Hello and welcome to episode 124 of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. My name is Sean Gerber and I am joined by Paul Herman. Paul, how you doing? Uh, that's a loaded question. That is a loaded question. So I, I don't know. I don't know yet. We're, gonna, we're about to find out. We are about to find out. So this, as you probably guessed when you saw the episode title, is our spoiler review for Avengers Endgame, and we do mean spoiler review. So if you have not seen the film, and based on the box office results, that is not statistically possible, but if you somehow found a way to not see the movie, then please do not listen to the rest of this review. Normally, I would say uh, listen at your own risk, but you'd really be doing yourself a disservice, I feel, if you listen to this show without having seen the film. So hopefully you have seen the movie. But now that the spoiler warning has been given, this is your last chance to step away, but now that it's been given, we are free to proceed. Sean. Huh? Sean, do you read me? John? On your left. There he is, the one and only John oh. Beerley has joined us for this review. And the Beerley. There's a reason why I asked John to be on this show, besides the fact that John is just one of the best in the biz. But <laughs> if you go back to Paul's and my podcasting history together, uh, the first time the three of us recorded together, with this being the end game. We don't have the perfect symmetry of having recorded a roundtable review back in the old Modern Myth Media podcast days for Iron Man. That podcast didn't exist when Iron Man was in theaters. But the first time the three of us recorded together was for a review of Thor, which, by the way, guys, was almost eight years ago. (laughs) (laughs) So... Obviously, you hear Paul and I here on Marvel Studios News. John Beardley and I host Fandalorians. It's a Star Wars podcast for a growing galaxy, so you can check that out. John Beardley, welcome back to Marvel Studios News. I think the last time you were on this show was when Taika was hired to direct Thor Ragnarok. Oh, man, has it been that long? My goodness. Yeah. Was Um, was I on that show or was I off that show? I think you were off that show. I think that was just John and I. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been a while, and I have to say, in in the meantime, and I'm not just saying this because I love you guys, there is no other podcast on the planet that is putting the heart and the thought and the commitment and the work into celebrating these movies the way that you two have. So to be, you here, to be here on this show, on, <laughs> I, I, I honestly feel like like I'm just a total poser here. Like I just don't, <laughs> oh, just, I don't even, I don't even deserve to be here. Um, on this particular show that celebrates these particular this particular film and it's and it's many it's so many milestones. I need people to know that John Billy is one of my closest friends and I, he is always welcome. Obviously, and Sean and I with, with us on the show and we we love John to death. Love and, you guys so much. It's yes. ridiculous. And I want you guys all to know if you're wondering why I do two, two Star Wars podcasts and I haven't showed up on Fandalorians yet, it's because. I'm biding my time. When the Mandalorian shows up on on Disney Plus, <laughs> you better believe I'll be on the show with those guys here or there. So if you're wondering why I haven't been on there yet, it's that I'm just it's biding my time. It's gonna happen. <laughs> I'm gonna be show up on there and argue with these fools. Don't 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 get me wrong. It's gonna happen. Yeah. So yeah, but yes, it's awesome to have you, Beerly. Yeah, awesome Paul's never afraid you. to show up and lose an argument. <laughs> wow! Wow! Just like old times. Just like it, it old has, times. It really hasn't changed in eight years, has it? No, uh, not at all. Not at all. 
Okay, so let's get into this movie. It's just, it's ridiculous. As we're recording this spoiler review, it's Sunday afternoon, so we already know about the the box office figures for which there isn't even a word to adequately describe them. So $350 million domestic, what? $1.2 billion worldwide since Wednesday when it started showing up in China and a couple other markets. What? Uh, ridiculous business for Avengers Endgame, but... This episode is impossible. Are, are there enough people in theaters in the world to make that happen? It's crazy. I, apparently there are. Nobody really thought there was going into the weekend, but there there's room. I don't know if people are just like if they just hired people to put up theaters in their own houses. I don't know what the <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what they did to get these numbers, but they have them and this show actually isn't about the numbers. This is about the movie itself. I think we'll mm-hmm. probably get several shows out of Avengers Endgame and maybe talking about the overall impact about this movie and what it's done in the marketplace. We'll certainly cover those kinds of things. Uh, And I'll cover that plenty over at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News, where we offer plenty of exclusive podcast coverage of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And speaking of that, before we start reviewing shows, I have some folks to thank. So Brandon McCollum, Catherine Esterline, Mike Gagne, or Gagne, not sure if I got the pronunciation correct, probably missed it both times, Nick Adams, Jacob Miller, and Chris Cameron. They are the latest patrons over at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News, which means they have access to exclusive content that's not available anywhere else. We have multiple Q&A shows, and I've been answering questions about Avengers Endgame, and we'll go back to recording that as soon as we're done recording this spoiler review. Uh, we have a daily news podcast that I do every Monday through Friday called The Daily Bugle. We have all kinds of other exclusives. We also have a Patreon-exclusive Discord community where we've been chatting about Endgame ever since it came out and, of course, anticipating Endgame for long before the movie was in theaters. So we have all kinds of different things. And plus, the exclusive content comes with its own RSS link, so that way you can get the main show. You can subscribe in your podcatcher like Apple Podcasts. You get the main show and the Patreon exclusives all in one spot. You don't have to track them down in multiple places. So for information on all the different tiers that we offer and all the different exclusives that we offer, please visit patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. Now with that, oh, go ahead. I just want to say, if people are wondering why I have been absent from the Discord, it's because I'm afraid of people spoiling any kind of Endgame thing. (laughs) So now that Endgame is now officially over, I will be more active on the Discord. So I just want to make that very, just make a little announcement really fast. Yeah, now that Paul's given himself an excuse for abandoning you, I will let you know that (laughs) I've been here the entire time. So (laughs) let's go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) I'm Tony Stark. Paul is Steve, who wasn't there. Uh, anyway, I mean, well, it's not wrong. Let's go ahead and let's talk about Avengers Endgame. There's so much in this movie. I, I think the best way that we could even attempt to tackle it is to try and go in sequence and just break things down as they pop up. Uh, so this movie opens at Paul's favorite MCU location, the Barton Family Farm, and I have to say that I am pleasantly surprised at how impactful this moment is seeing the not because i enjoy seeing the barton family be snapped but just the impact that i see it having uh, the emotional impact it had on me but also on audiences i think every time people see uh victims of the snap and you see people turning to dust it still has that same effect that it had watching avengers infinity war the first time because i think everybody or just about everybody had to know going into this movie that barton was going to lose his entire family in the snap I think as soon as you see that in the trailers, you're like, okay, that's the direction we're going. Even though you know we're headed there, seeing it is a completely different thing. And so to have a father having this wonderful moment with his daughter as he's teaching her to shoot bow and arrow, 
and calling her Hawkeye, his own superhero name, his own superhero identity. He turns around after a simple thing of wanting hot dogs and like turns around and his daughter's gone, then turns back around and now his wife and his two sons are gone. Uh, just uh, I mean, Hawkeye has an incredible role in this movie and it, and it certainly starts right here. So if you weren't invested in the Barton family before, uh, you got it here, but you should have been a fan of the Barton family all along, Paul. Uh, that is uh, incorrect. But, uh, but here's the thing. I, there's one thing with Endgame that I think that there's I, – I can't like even begin to describe that this, that this scene kind of helps set up is the fact that this is the ultimate payoff for not just Infinity War, obviously, but for all these films. And one thing that I found myself just being totally amazed at is the fact that it had got me invested in things that I didn't care about before. And I think as far as the Barton family, I, I definitely like this scene in particular was whatever. I knew it had to be set up with obviously to get Hawkeye from point A to point B because we know he becomes Ronan later. Uh, or Ronan, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, but the thing is, I it, it was one of those things where I just it, it definitely sets up for later in the film that you really get what we'll get into later that kind of reminds me of why maybe again, I'm not sure if this is always what they had in mind with when, when, when Whedon did this back in age of Ultron, but what Marcus McFeely have set up in this film with the Barton family, it makes a lot of sense for the payoff they go for in this film. And that's where I will concede uh, a little bit with that. I don't like how it's done in age of Ultron at all. Still, I still don't like that. There's a lot. There are some things in here that I think that definitely justify, I think, putting them in the uh, farm or the have the farm scene and all that. But as far as this scene in particular goes, yes, it was definitely way more powerful than I was anticipating. And I, I got to hand it to Jeremy Renner. I thought this is his best performance as Hawkeye yet. So this is just the introduction to that, like that performance. And it made me, it made me kind of get immediately put me into like, okay, I get it. Well, so this is what happens when you finally give a great actor, great things to do. Yeah, but that, I mean, well, I mean, yeah, it's debatable, but anyway, uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I love the scene. I thought the scene was great. I thought it was handled beautifully. Granted again, it was so obviously it was coming, but it still was impactful. People still gasped when it happened. Yeah, I'm like, come on, people. It's still a I gut mean, punch. No, when he when he turns around and you just see the dust, you know, in the wind yeah, of, no pun true. intended, of Lila Barton, who played by Joe Russo's daughter, by the way. I think most of oh. you listening probably know that. But, uh, yeah, like, that's – it's still a punch in the gut. What do you think, John? Such a punch in the gut. And I also had the same experience of – it, as soon as it, it's so beautifully subtly done when he turns around and there's just a little bit of her ash just kind of floating away just the gasps and someone about a row in front of me said no yeah you know you just it hurt a lot you heard a lot of that and i think it was really effective that they they opened on his ankle monitor mm-hmm. it, what i like about that is that every, every everything is about to stop mattering Mm-hmm. ankle monitors whatever whoever you were whatever you did whatever adventures you had before mm-hmm. everything is about to stop mattering as soon as as soon as your family disappears and and that's that's heartbreaking to me i love jeremy renner big fan of the man's work and i was also really happy to see him getting some really great material to work with here in this film after having been absent from infinity war 
he's had some interviews lately where he kind of talks about it was just you know that they were just trying to go for effective storytelling and that's why he wasn't in the first one to to open with him and open with him losing his family very powerful and I was also heartbroken about the hot dogs because I wanted a hot dog so badly, <laughs> but I was afraid to eat or drink anything. I saw the movie at 6 p.m. I didn't eat anything after noon because yeah. I was I was just afraid that I would have to uh, you know go to the bathroom during the movie. And everybody's like, oh, well, you, you kids see what happens when you get into your mid 40s. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. I was uh, no, I was I was bordering on dehydration going into my first time <laughs> watching the movie. I wasn't taking any chances of having to use the restroom during the film and it's very common by the way like i i can make it three hours it's fine but still didn't want to take any chances <laughs> no chances, no chances. <laughs> so uh whatever it takes dehydration included yes. i will make sure i don't get up during avengers endgame <laughs> so we cut to tony and nebula on the benatar we get the marvel studios logo and i never thought i would enjoy watching Tony Stark and Nebula play paper football in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and yet <laughs> so it is the greatest so thing I've ever seen in the Marvel so Cinematic Universe. Uh, and it has one of my favorite Nebula moments, and this is where Karen Gillan, I think, is super underrated as a performer in what she's bringing to this character. When Tony says, you won, and the way she just springs back and the look of shock on her face, let's keep in mind... In her life, at this point in the MCU, Nebula has never won anything. Every competition, no, one has, no one has ever told her she's done a good job. Yep. Yeah. She's never won. She always went up against Gamora. She lost uh, every single time, and that's why she looks the way that she does, because Thanos is terrible, and that was punishment, or tr- trying to improve her because she couldn't beat Gamora. And even when she you know, joined the battle and teamed up with the heroes on Titan, they lost. Nebula's never won anything in her life, so that complete shock... When Tony says the words "you won" and then shakes her hand and says "fair games," it was fun. Then it was fun. She doesn't even really know what to do with that, and it's such a powerful moment for Nebula. It really speaks to her history in a very subtle way, especially if you are more familiar with it and you've been following the journey of this particular character in the MCU up to this point. I also think it's a great moment for Tony because Tony is uh, such a competitor, Mm -hmm. and you know he's just kind of. Yeah, yeah, whatever you want. You know, it's almost almost as if he he wanted her to win to give her that. Yep, that's that's how far Tony has come and kind of where he is at this moment, knowing this is this is the end. It's it's a great moment for both of them. Well said. All right, <laughs> and so we get uh, then we cut to Tony recording his farewell speech to Pepper, what he thinks is his hair, uh, farewell speech, and. I love that when he actually stops this speech, the music cue is actually the same that we get at the funeral later. Uh, so I like the uh, I like that touch. But can I really fast? The music cue literally sounds like Silvestri is put in uh, Louis Armstrong's "What a Wonderful, What a Wonderful World" mm. melody in there. And every time I hear it, I, all I hear is "What a Wonderful World." <laughs> like, but but now I say that not to be funny. I'm, I'm yeah. saying that to be serious. Like. Like and, and I think it's kind of beautiful. Like, it really is. Yeah, like, I no, think it's it is. Beautiful be- because I think it's a calling back to like because he's reflecting on, but he's thinking he's gonna die, mm-hmm. and he's looking back of like the beautiful like things that he's he's that he what, what's going on kind of. But that's kind of what I, I and I wish I could like I could I almost want I meant I meant to Google that earlier and see. But there, if you listen to it, it really I mean obviously music melodies and. There's going to be similar melodies. That's just the way sure. music works. But it seems very deliberate 
in that very instant. Like it just seems like it, he is calling back to that song because it, it sounds it, for me anyway. Maybe I'm crazy, but that's what it seemed like to me. And I and it kind of got me. It got me emotional. The music. The music. This is the best score I think of all the Marvel films by uh, by far. I didn't know that. Alan Silvestri could do better than what he did with Infinity War because I thought that score was extraordinary. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And I thought, so yeah. to see him or to hear him rather uh, with the music he brought to Endgame, uh, but it also had some other great things. I mean, jumping ahead slightly here, I mean Captain America gets a music cue at a moment we're definitely going to talk about later. Uh, we get uh, you know there's Doctor Strange music cues when we see the Ancient One later. Like I think. The way this brought in the history of music within the Marvel Cinematic Universe and also adding in new touches like this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Silvestri just, he hit it out of the park. He's not going to be nominated for Best Original Score because it's just not likely that that's going to happen. Uh, But he should be because this this is wonderful music. Awards mean jack crap in my opinion. And, you know, to me, I feel like this was... For, for for going back and doing, like you said, all these different cues, all these different themes. I mean, there's just so much that you're mm-hmm. rehashing from so many different films. Yeah. And in integrating not just I th- and again, when you talk about music, you're not just in- inter- integrating the these new themes. You're integrating all these old themes that you have to also rework them and make them work for different things. And that's what he did really beautifully. He took the main main Avengers theme and twisted it, but still made it different enough to mm-hmm. where. Again, and that's not easy. Not so, you know, some of John Williams stuff, you know, and I think in the Star Wars trilogy, um, the sequel trilogy hasn't been great in my opinion. And I love the prequel trilogy music. I think that's like almost on par with the original trilogy. And that's no, I mean, at least Phantom Menace. And um, with this, with John Williams' recent stuff, it's just not as it's just it's not terrible. It just doesn't yeah. integrate as well, I think, as what he could with all the normal, the new or the older themes. Now with Silvestri. He's done a brilliant job of weaving in and out of all these different things. And I think that, like, again, the, the end game uh, cue we get uh, later on, it's, it's beautiful. It's perfect. I mean, it's but it's different. And it, but it integrates itself really well to know this is, it's, it, this is the, fin- the finale, or if you will. And so, like, yeah, again, it feels like he, even on the Avengers theme, like you mentioned, it feels like he's added some notes, but also lingering on certain notes just to make yes. it a little bit heavier in certain moments mm-hmm. and just exactly. make it build and build and build, especially, you know, before the catchphrase we've been waiting for <laughs> this entire yeah. time that we will talk about later. Like there's just, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy the, how good the music is in this one. Um, so we get, uh, we kind of get a little, as Tony's giving this heartbreaking speech, he's basically saying farewell to Pepper, whom he doesn't even know is still, if he doesn't even know if she's still alive at this point, but gut wrenching. Yeah. Just basically saying this is it for him. Oxygen's going to run out. And we, it's one of the places where it's a burden to be the smartest guy in the world because you can, you mathematically know when you're going to die. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Oxygen runs out tomorrow morning and that'll be it. Uh, But even with Nebula, I mean, I guess with some of her mechanical parts, she doesn't necessarily need to eat as often as Tony does. But like her giving him the last ration after he offers it to her, uh, the way that she took care of him after he was stabbed by Thanos on Titan and helping him with the you know infection that he had with it. Uh, You know, as he calls her the blue meanie. (laughs) But, (laughs) um, you know, and then even the the fact that she takes him to, you know, puts him up in the chair. You know, maybe she thinks that, you know, this is going to be it for Tony and that he's going to. He's never going to wake up again, so he should die sitting in a captain's chair. I mean, not that it's necessarily the captain's chair on the ben- on the Benatar, but he should die like that rather than just slouched on the floor of a spaceship. 
And then uh, we figure out where the Avengers sent Captain Marvel after she popped up in her mid credit scene. And I think that was the best way to go ahead and get Tony and Nebula out of space is just use the simplest option you have. You've got Captain Marvel, <laughs> and it plays off well. And it's a great visual, by the way, of her flying into the compound, just holding up this giant spaceship. <laughs> you so good. Captain Marvel. Uh, it's a really great piece, and I think they uh, they also inc- uh, incorporated Pinar Toprak's uh, Captain Marvel theme. I can't remember if it, I know they did it later on, and I think it might have played slowly here, but um, yeah, that was just a, a cool moment, and it gets us back to Avengers Compound, and we get an, another moment of heartbreak when Tony first sees, uh, sees Steve, and he just says, I lost the kid. Uh, and Steve says, we lost, you know, trying to not have Tony just focus on the one thing of losing spider-man but it brings us back to everything we've been building to from civil war and the level of responsibility that tony feels for peter parker and why he was so freaked out when peter even joked that it was tony's fault that peter was on the spaceship in the first place in avengers infinity war so knowing how much uh, peter parker meant to tony stark and for that to just kind of be the first thing he blurts out as soon as he sees uh, steve rogers uh, again i mean just when you were your gut was feeling okay after watching Lila Barton disappear. Here come the Russo brothers and they get you again. <laughs> just wham. Uh, and it's just more, uh, more tugging on the heartstrings. I wasn't expecting for whatever reason, I don't know why I kept expecting that scene with Captain Marvel for the mid credit scene to show up. Like, you know how they do that? They'll, they'll show like, or I guess like, no, they no, I still don't really do that. Uh, I, well, the Russos reason, like, have, the Russos have done that. I mean, they did, um, their end credits, the end credit scene from Ant Man. That's right. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. In, is an actual scene in Civil War. So I thought the same thing. I thought that that sequence was actually going to be in it. But once Captain Marvel got Tony, I was like, okay, so that that scene is not part of the movie because yeah, mm-hmm. you know, Tony obviously wasn't there when she showed up. Yeah, and so that was a little surprising for whatever reason. But and, and to be honest, it worked. I mean, because I think everyone assumed like, okay, Captain Marvel's part of the Marvel universe. All that, you know, a billion people, mm. you know, saw the or whatever. <laughs> He saw Captain Marvel. Everyone knows who she is, and that she is, you know, she, there's a big credit scene that establishes that she comes back because of the Fury's thing. I just thought, I just thought there would be more reference to Fury's uh, little uh, pager thing, yeah. but uh, but regardless, it, it yeah, it was it was it was a nice surprise. And again, I thought the it was a great introduction to Captain Marvel into everything. Kind of like, okay, this is her role. Certainly with power of, level. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> A great introduction to the character yeah. for people who are like, well, how is she going to fit in? Like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Like, obviously, they sent her on recon to try to figure out where everyone is because mm-hmm. obviously Tony went. And that, and that made sense. I'm like, oh, wow, that was yeah. actually, you know, pretty – it came it came together pretty well. So, uh, yeah, it was it was really interesting to see that kind of all kind of come together pretty quick. So. And I really like, too, just how quickly it gets things moving. Yeah, exactly. In other words, we're, we're a few minutes in and we already have Tony back on Earth. We're not really wasting any time. With, right. You know, it, it just it really because you had they have more important things to do and get to. So yeah. I, I really like how streamlined and fast the movie is moving quickly, but it's just emotional beat after emotional beat after mm-hmm. great character beat. And it's it's really, really effective and efficient so far. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're they're showing you that they're going to earn the three-hour runtime. They're not going right. to linger on things that they don't have to. The things they are going to linger are going to be more character-based and emotional, not just not the mechanics of how we're going to get from A to B on every single little thing in this movie. If you right. have a simple solution to move characters to where they need to go, use it, and then save the yep. more complicated explanations for other things that are going to be way more complicated later on in the movie. And so when Tony gets back, I'm so happy that this scene is in here because... 
for all the thought that maybe they would gloss over the conflict from Civil War, nope, we're gonna get we're gonna get into that, and that's still going to linger in in Tony's feelings and, and the anger and resentment that he has for Steve Rogers. This is a great piece of work by Robert Downey Jr. in this scene where he just gets frustrated with Cap and, and everybody in the room. And says, you know, I didn't fight him. Who told you that? He wiped my face with a planet and the Bleecker Street magician gave away the store. That was it. I mean, you get Ooh. some of the comedy beats you would expect, like Tony calling Rocket a Build-A-Bear. Um, you know, Rocket talking <laughs> about, you know, oh, Thor, Thor thinks he failed, which, you know, which he did, but there's a lot of that going around. So you get the comedy beats, but... It's really about the raw emotion and anger that Tony is feeling, and he's projecting some. Of, I mean, some of those are his own feelings of failure, but also still the anger that he has towards C, uh, towards Steve from Captain America: Civil War, and saying like, "I saw this coming. I had a vision. I said we needed a suit of armor around the world, whether or not it impacted our precious freedoms." And uh, I love how he goes back to Steve's line from Avengers: Age of Ultron. When Tony says, we'll lose, and Steve says, we'll do that together, too. And Tony says, well, we lost, and you weren't there. And so then when he says, I have nothing for you, nothing, you know, he doesn't have any plans, any whatever, he says, no trust, liar. And you can, great cut to the shot of Chris Evans with him reacting to that, because you know that one stung, because Steve knows he lied to Tony. Might have had his reasons for it, but ultimately that's something that Steve admitted was wrong and apologized for. Uh, and which is why, by the way, he wasn't worthy to lift the hammer in Avengers Age of Ultron, but he was. I told you. I told you. Nothing's confirmed. I told you. Nothing's confirmed, but look, he was lying to Tony at that moment. It was a horrible lie that would divide the Avengers and potentially cost them a victory in Avengers Infinity War. All of that happened. He wasn't worthy in that moment, so he couldn't lift the hammer. We can never know for sure if that was the reason, but I suspect that was the reason he couldn't lift the hammer in Avengers Age of Ultron. But he and Tony, they get past their resentment towards each other. They get past that moment later on, and Steve becomes worthy. But this was a great scene with a great performance by Robert Downey Jr., uh, and I was so happy to see that we... Not that I enjoy seeing these characters hating each other and, and having these hard feelings towards one another, but you can't skip that. We've got to get into it. So I'm, I'm glad that the Russos uh, and Marcus and McFeely, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, the screenwriters, were willing to go there here. Agreed. Tough stuff, but good. Yeah. And so that sets up our plan to uh, Tony collapses because he's barely eaten for the last three weeks. So he's not really ready to go off on this mission. And whatever but, effects work they did, too, he looked really thin and ragged. Yeah. they uh, In and, those scenes. And they can because he didn't look so ragged even in the the shot of him on the Benatar recording the speech to Pepper, like they totally right. gave us a, a fake shot in the trailers because they didn't show him looking so scrawny. Um, right. They didn't show him looking so weak, but we got that in, uh, in the actual film. And then of course we see it, uh, we see it in, we see it at the Avengers compound and it makes sense because it means that Tony doesn't get to be part of this mission. He's not physically up for it, even if he wanted to be. And so we get to, uh, we, we move on. Everybody's making their plan to go get Thanos uh, Rocket and Nebula help kind of figure out where Thanos is. He's used the stones again, and so they're going to go off and they're going to get him. And I think this sets up the big surprise of the movie is that they get him, but it's too late. And I think it, you know, everybody reacts. I mean, when a couple of times when the Avengers catch Thanos and they, you, and Thor chops off his arm with Stormbreaker, and then when Thor later beheads him, you know, I think people feel like, oh, 
the Avengers won early, and it's like, no, they didn't. Thanos made sure their loss was permanent, and the fact that Thanos destroyed the stones, it just adds to his character from Avengers Infinity War. Yes, his plan is crazy and murderous, and whatever. it's not a good plan. I'm not, in fa- I'm not pro-Thanos here, but in terms of his own conviction and what it means to him, he stands by it at every turn, willing to sacrifice the one person he loves, Gamora, to get the Soul Stone to carry out his plan. And then even once he's carried out his plan, he shows that, look, I did what I set out to do. I don't need the stones anymore. I'm not here to be all-powerful all the time. I needed them to do one thing. I did the one thing. And the only thing, the only purpose these stones will serve now is temptation for others to come and undo what I've accomplished. So I'm going to destroy them, and I'm going, I'm going to, as far as I know, remove that option from the table for everybody else. And so I think that move by Thanos, it, it's hard to really focus on what on the what that means for Thanos as a character because everything's happening so fast and it's so confusing that this villain who seemed unbeatable in Avengers Infinity War looks so weak and is taken out rather quickly in the beginning of this movie, but. Uh, it really speaks a lot to Thanos' character the, with the decisions they had him make here. So I have to say that, I, you know, I kept away from spoilers for the most part of Endgame. Mm-hmm. And besides, like, seeing the the New York scene, uh, obviously Steve wearing that amazing Captain America costume that everyone, for some reason, doesn't like but should. Um, but, but he was seeing him wear that in the Battle of New York. I knew time, mm-hmm. some kind of time travel was happening. And when you have that scene, what I love about Endgame, and I want to make it very clear, we didn't do a, re- a kind of an overview. I don't want people to understand that, yes, I love this movie. Yeah. Just make sure you, just, just so you guys know, if you guys were wondering what I thought, yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, I love this movie. We will it's definitely just, get to overall thoughts at the end. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's why I'm feeling out. If you're wondering, I did. But what I'm trying to say is what's so brilliant about Endgame are, is things like this, is that they go in and they try to have like this immediate reaction. They get Tony, they, they go, okay, we got to fight him right away. And instead of that being the end of this movie, it's the very, you know, which is a typical action. Mm-hmm. This is all very trope. This is all very standard stuff. Like got to fight him right away. And they may even lose that first time, but they may get to him like halfway through the movie and they lose. And then they figure out something at the very end, et cetera, et cetera. What I love about Endgame. It takes out all those old ideas, throws them out the window. And and even so from a movie standpoint, it takes it and says, this is something completely different. And I was like, okay, I had no idea that was going to happen. And I loved it. I immediately, I immediately bought in and go, okay, this is, this is, you know, especially when it goes five years later, which we're going to get into in a second. But when you put all that together, it's so different and so much moodier than I was anticipating that. I just was like, wow, I can't, this is, I love how the writers went a different direction. Now, when you look at it from the comic book perspective, because that's kind of what I kind of feel I bring to the tables, my comic book expertise, if I have any, um, is the fact that we have a different kind of Thanos here. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love the fact that this, that, you know, in the Marvel, anything that the MCU has, has, has shown me is that the elements of these characters exist in the MCU versions, but they are clearly not, completely for the most part not comic book versions of those characters and sometimes it really is a betterment to those characters and i would say in the case of a few which i'll get into there's a couple other characters i think the mcu might have improved on it might be i almost prefer 
I actually almost prefer the Thanos. This this character of Thanos from the movies, even though I love Thanos in the comic books, he's a one-dimensional bad guy that's in love with death. And I love that. I love that idea of the character. He's a cool character. He's a great character in the comic books. But what's amazing is this Thanos doesn't care about the power. And I love that because his convictions are way more important than having power, which again right. yeah. is way which is way different than any other character in almost any other major like mythological uh you know bad uh bad guy trope i mean look at the emperor from star wars right like we a character that's coming back confirmed in revenge of the, or revenge of the Sith, rise of skywalker in episode nine coming out in a couple months but that laugh sh- laugh comes in and in this and his character is all about state living forever and having absolute power that's his main goal mm-hmm. and that's again there's and i love that that is a very bad guy trope that is that will serve from you know to the end of time. Well, look and, at how Thanos reacts when he sees himself being killed, and that's destiny fulfilled. He's not mad exactly. that he's not mad that not he got all. killed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so when you have that, and you immediately show us right off the bat, like this Thanos doesn't care. And like when he says, because I thought for you know we talked about before Sean that when he snapped his fingers, I thought that the, the somehow the power must like. The gems must need to be recharged or or whatever. But no, like he literally almost killed himself destroying the stones. Yeah. And like he didn't care. And I, I just knowing that he would leave himself with no way to recover because, exactly. yeah, because the yeah. only thing he could have used to, uh, you know, heal himself would be if he still had the stones. But he can't do that if he's destroying the stones. So he knows he's going to use all the stones again. He knows how much damage that did to him once. But at least then he still had the stones. Now he's going to have nothing. And even though he has nothing, he didn't get himself. He didn't bring himself an army, as they said. You know, Captain Marvel goes and does the recon. No grounds, no ground troops, nothing. Like it's just him. Um, and there's a cool line of Nebula saying, "And that's enough," which you know makes yep, you think that Thanos that. Yeah. is going to be <laughs> impossible to take out. But in this instance, it's not because Thanos isn't really that interested in defending himself. I mean, he maybe could put up more of a fight than he does in his little uh, hut there, but he doesn't even care about that. I've won. It's over. Um, mm-hmm. Even to the point where, yeah, when his 2014 version of himself sees the, you know, sees one that dies, you know, uh, a few years later, okay, fine, I, I got what I did, what I set out to do. That's all. That's all that I needed. There's, it's still evil, but there's a purity of his intention to, you know, to which he abides. And so I think that's where I think Thanos. It just adds extra layers and, and just gives that character, makes that character so much more uh, multidimensional than what you get in the comics. I do prefer MCU Thanos to comic book Thanos, and I love comic book Thanos, but Same. they've yeah. taken the best parts of this character from the source material and they've added uh, just some extra fascinating layers to it, and it's great. The effects, Josh Brolin's performance coming through, mm-hmm. the effects, it's all fantastic here and don't have a lot to add to the great stuff you guys have both said other than I just love the, again, how quickly, how surprisingly quickly the movie is, is going. And Thor, you think, Oh my gosh, Thor just chopped his hand off. That's crazy. Oh, Thor chopped his head off. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, And (laughs) And, I think, yeah. And and there we go. And it's over. It's over. Not only is it over for Thanos, it's over for our heroes. It's done. You lost. This mm -hmm. is it. We're done. Well, just We're in, done. yeah, just in terms of structure, what I loved about it is, you know, there's talks of well, they have to, you know, they can't just leave this like what we saw with the snap. They have to respond and they have to respond quickly. But also, you kind of want to see them. What happens if they have to live with this devastation for a while? 
Well, you get right. both in Avengers Endgame because they do right. what you would naturally expect. Yeah. As soon as we can, as soon as it feels like we have an opportunity to get him, we're going to go get him. And that doesn't work. That's not good enough. We weren't fast enough. And so now and now we're now we're done and now we are stuck with what Thanos gave us with the snap. So really great way they they executed that and no pun intended as I transitioned to Thor. It's interesting seeing that moment play in the theater when he chops his head off and then they say, what did you do? And he says, I went for the head. And I I hear a lot of people laughing in the theater. It's not really a comedy beat, though. I mean, it's Thor is sad. Like, it's tragic. Thor is like he he gets to do what he should have done in the first place, but it's too little too late. Uh, And you see the reactions on everybody else's faces. They just know what are we going to do here? There's nothing that... As far as they know, and as far as they're going to know for five years, there is nothing that can be done now. They lost, and they don't have a way to undo it, at least not yet. And so when we move into five years later, and there were rumors that there would be a time jump in the movie, and we knew there would be, at the very least, a lot of time would span across the movie at some point, because thanks thanks largely to Natasha's hair is really what we had here. <laughs> oh my Lord. So when we go to five years later, well, look, we look for any clues we can in trailers for, <laughs> for these movies to try and figure out what's going Fair on. Fair enough. No, no, I, I feel you. I'm and, the same way. I'm yeah. Same way. Well, and I think that's, I, I did hear some, you know, some audible gasps in the audience at different screenings uh, when you see the five years later, cause it's like, Oh, they really didn't fix this. You know, like, so, Oh, can, they yeah. must have to live with this. Go ahead. Sorry, I, I apologize. I'll be a lot of interrupting each other, I imagine. Um, I got to say, I, when I thought there would be a time gap, I thought it'd be at the end of the film, like, you know, oh, we defeated Thanos, everyone's back, here's five years later, and and I'll get into why a couple of reasons, you know, of things I, I thought I would not like, I ended up, you know, liking, but I didn't expect it to happen, like, ten minutes into the movie, and it being a major plot point, and I was just kind of taken aback by it. Like, again, what I love about this movie so much is it takes everything I think about from a, something like this and it totally turns it on its head. And the five, for me, the five years is the, besides Thanos being again, not caring about power, not, you know, he just, again, all he cares about is conviction. The conviction is what drives him, not the power again, not normal, but then you all, you go from that right into then uh, five years later, crap, the heroes have to live with this failure for five years. Yep. And that was it, it just I just was like, wait, what? And I was immediately again, I, I know these stories. I know where these characters were headed, but they there were so many twists and turns for this longtime Marvel fan that I just all right let's do this yeah. okay this is different so, we don't care who you are what you think you know we're not going to let you get your bearings in this we're going to keep yeah, <laughs> we're going to keep we're going to keep shoving you you're not going to be able you're not going to find balance in this <laughs> like you are yeah, yeah. we are going to keep you on edge this entire time and yeah that five years later because yeah, it is that not that knowledge paul it's like it's like oh shit it really stayed that way yeah. like yeah. um yeah. just it's absolutely it's absolutely devastating so we get this group therapy session and uh, it's I, I love that Steve tries to guide people into doing what he can't, you know, trying to get people yeah. to move on, that this is Steve's role now is or one of his roles, I assume, that he's trying to do what he can uh, to try and help people move forward, even though he doesn't have a chance in hell of moving forward himself. 
And so we have Joe Russo cameo, uh, getting a cameo in this scene as uh, the first openly gay character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I thought it was a great, uh, I thought it was great to include that in this film. And Joe Russo did a great job. He was an actor before he was a director. And I think you see that in the performance that he gives where he describes just going on a date for the first time in five years since the snap. Also worth noting is that, yes, we get a Stan Lee cameo later in the film, but also with a cameo in this scene is Jim Starlin, creator of Thanos and writer of Infinity Gauntlet. He's the one who asks uh, Joe Russo's character a question during the uh, group therapy session. So nice. a good cameo there. That's and awesome. Yeah, and... I, I love that they actually took a moment to check in with non superheroes. It's just a moment. We yeah. don't they don't have a ton of time in this movie, but let's spend two minutes with just some regular people in here and just see how they're dealing with it. Because we know how the Avengers are dealing with it, or we're gonna see a lot about how the Avengers are dealing with it. But let's just check in with some of the more regular everyday people in this universe and how do they respond to it and you can just see, I mean a date results in both people crying, you know, and like, because they can't, both of them are thinking about the same thing and don't, don't want to be thinking about the same thing. But one cries before the salads, the other one cries before dessert, uh, because everybody is still completely devastated. It's five years later, but it might as well have been yesterday. Yeah. I was really shook by that shot of the Statue of Liberty too. Mm. Just, just kind of surrounded by, it looks like it was just like the harbor was just like surrounded by, by boats. And it was just, it was really that really got me. Can, and one thing I have to say, coming from again reading comics for so many years, usually when these things happen, and obviously we all read comics for a long time and, and know the stuff that when there's usually these groundbreaking uh, things like where everyone disappears, or there's usually some kind of fix or or something like that, or it's it's kind of time doesn't jump forward. And what I mean by that is, like you talked about, the everyone is affected by this. It's five years later that, again, John, the Statue of Liberty shot, like it, the world looks empty. And yeah. the fact that, like in the comics and, and a lot of things we get in, in these kinds of moments, we usually only see the, the ramifications like the next day or mm-hmm. or whatever, right? Well, we're, one of the lines that Russo says I loved was uh, we talked about, you know, things we miss, the Mets. Sports, like think about like, you know, there's not enough people to like keep sports around and things like that. Like, you know, yeah. the world had changed and it's not like, and again, it's not like what I love is that it, it stays that way. Right. For, for pretty much like things don't don't get fixed. Like one of the, one of the things that five years later is so awesome is, again, it's nothing gets fixed right away. People have to live in their misery. And yeah. I love I love that in the comic books. We would just get a fix or there'd be what's fix it all. And it never happened, whatever. No, no, this, this is powerful and they leave it. And and I love that. The fact that again, the five years is, is kind of supposed to emphasize and give more payoff. Again, I, one of the things I'm going to keep talking about end game is payoff. The, one of the, in, in for making end game, its own payoff film, the five years serves that purpose in my opinion. Like that's to me, if you if you don't if you were if I were to watch Endgame by myself, the five years um, story B or whatever you want to call it uh, idea, that's what gives I think the uh, ram- not ramifications but the justification of having and, and and investing yourself into these characters. If you had no idea what was going on besides this one movie, that makes it I think worth investing in, and you see that. 
and that's what makes and I think what make, helps Endgame be so special are things like this. We'll get into other things, obviously, uh, with its yeah. own movie as well. But right. the five right. years is the is I think is the reason we get so I think helps get so much more invested in this movie itself. Right. Yeah. I mean, a great shot of City Field where the Mets play, and it's completely empty and. It looks nobody's been inside for the last five years. You know, it's and then we get it from Joe Russo's character as well, talking about how much they miss the Mets. I mean, there's life has gone on, but not in every way that life was going before Thanos snapped his fingers and took out half of everybody. So we get back to Avengers Compound and we see what the status quo has been superhero wise for the past five years is that there's this open video conferencing channel. And Natasha has been running point out of Avengers compound and just keeping up with what everybody's doing, not just on Earth, but across the universe, because Captain Marvel's checking in along with Rocket and uh, Rocket and Nebula. And there's a piece here. This movie really is about paying off the last 11 years worth of movies in the last 22 films, including this one. But if there's a potential reference to the future of the MCU, I think one might be in this scene, because as... Natasha's checking in with everybody and getting updates. She asks Okoye about tremors, and Okoye says it was a mild subduction under the African plate. And Natasha follows up with, well, how do you? How are you going to handle it? And Okoye responds that it's an earthquake under the ocean. We handle it by not handling it. <laughs> and it could be a throwaway thing, right? Just a throwaway could update. Be. Or, I mean, of all the different natural disasters or events that you could choose, why would it be one that comes from the ocean? Uh, especially when comic book fans know very well that Wakanda and this other place called Atlantis, Marvel's Atlantis, not the other guy's Atlantis, uh, they go to war with each other. And T'Challa slash Black Panther goes to war with Namor. And what's been one of the most popular fan choices and fan ideas for Black Panther 2? Wakanda versus Atlantis, Black Panther versus Namor. And so I do feel like that line could potentially be teasing something for Black Panther 2. It may not be. Uh, it could also, by the way, be teasing Eternals because the the Eternals involves the Deviants and they live at the bottom of the ocean. So it could be that. Although, why would Okoye be saying it? I would think it might have more to yeah. do. And based on the location under the African plate, that would point more towards Namor and Atlantis for Black Panther 2. So Bring it. it's it may be nothing at all, but I do think there's a, there's a possibility there. As soon as I saw... I caught it the first time I watched Endgame. Uh, I was like, and I saw an earthquake under the ocean. I'm like, huh? <laughs> and then, uh, you know, but then it's right back to the story. You know, okay, sure, maybe there's a tease of something in the future. But Scarlett Johansson, I mean, she's been great in the MCU for years. I mean, she's given great performances in plenty of the other films already. But I think, as we see for probably more than one of these performers, I think she gives her best one in this one. I mean, especially when she's recapping with. Uh, with Rhodey, what's going on with Clint Barton. And, you know, Rhodey is almost like, well, do we even want to find him at this point? And you see in, you know, as her eyes are welling up with tears, you just see all Natasha wants to do is find Clint and reach him because she feels like her friend is going down this absolutely horrible path, a path she's actually fairly familiar with. And she just wants more than anything else to get him out of it. I mean, well, I guess the number one thing she wants is to undo the snap. But with that not being possible, if she can at least just save her friend uh, and she feels like she's struggling and, and failing to do that. So a couple of things I, I want to talk about with, with, with this whole scene. This is a really cool scene, by the way. 
And again, the idea of setting up the five years, we I love the fact that Natasha is the head of whatever Avengers team or and again, I would I want it, I don't know if they're gonna have this, but I love a Marvel comic with like all those people as Avengers with Rocket, Black Widow, Okoye, uh Captain Marvel, War Machine. How cool would that be? I mean, that's like a that's a really random that is a an Avengers lineup just screaming to happen in the six sixteen universe for, for all places, but like much right. less something like this. And I there's something to be said about weird and I, and I, when I say weird, I mean just being just kind of out of nowhere lineups with a Koye's kind of like new her again from the MCU version, of course, because she's awesome. I love the MCU Okoye. Um, bringing that into 616 or whatever, I'd love to have this like a really a random Avengers team because that's one of the things I love about the Avengers and or Marvel teams and just any superhero team is I love the writers that bring in like random sets of Avengers lineups that you have no idea why they do this, but it works. And I feel like this lineup is such a random group. I'd love to see them in an Avengers lineup at some point. So. Uh, that said, I love it like a like a prequel comic or or something that would be really cool to have them all team up together. But it was really cool seeing Natasha kind of being the head of that, not not Steve, because obviously Steve is doing his own thing and and trying to deal with things his own way. Whereas you have Natasha is like trying to keep it all together, and it's it's like she has and trying to keep herself together because exactly this is all she yes, has to keep yeah. herself together too. Yeah, and so I feel like there's a lot again. The writing of this movie is so good because you get to see exactly what you said, John, is that she's the one who's heading it up because she feels she needs to. And I, also she has to for herself. And, you know, she even says, like, who, if I don't do it, who will, you know, basically, or we will, you know, we don't, we don't do it. Who will? So I just love how, like, the tables have kind of turned between her and Steve and, and how things have kind of time has changed these people loss, you know, losing if, if you lose loved ones, if you lose like a, whatever, losing it, it builds character and it makes it definitely definitely changes us as as people. And you see that with even people like Captain America and Black Widow. I think it's really I love seeing that on screen through again, not like having to have Cap be like you've changed Black Widow, and she's like you're right, Captain America. I have. <laughs> we don't have those. We we have it through. You see it with how she's interacting with her other. I don't know if you call them Avengers or not, but the other people. Uh, I'll call them Avengers because I wanted to. Okay, the other Avengers, totally right Avengers there. Ball. Yeah, the hologram Avengers, and you know, seeing her interact with them, it was just it, you got to see it all right there, and how she's getting emotional and she's eating her sandwich, you know, and just you know losing her mind. So it was like it was a really great scene again really clever well-written scene explain what's going on to us but also showing us how just you know barely held together black widow is and and talking about the okoye uh, namar scene i i definitely after you you're the one that kind of alerted that to me sean and said it to me and i was like whoa wait a minute and i, I alerted a lot of people to that on friday morning well other people <laughs> at the premiere monday night and other people when i posted a spoiler article friday morning and all wow. of a sudden hours later people mysteriously had that idea but i digress but but, but anyway it's a, it's brilliant because i feel i feel this movie is kind of set up but it's it's an end that also it's setting up and, and I think there's seeds there. I think there's definitely seeds they've planted, and I think that that's definitely something you can follow up with. And I think Neymar is a with the Hulk 
Boy, I can't wait to talk about the Hulk. But um, with, with Neymar and the Hulk, their their whole rights kind of thing are in rights hell, if you will. This is the perfect opportunity to start Im- implementing the fact that his character may exist. So I love that. And I would be remiss to not bring up something that everyone knows that I am obsessed with, these heroes. Uh, Sean, you may know what's coming. Uh, Captain Marvel's hair, I felt, was exceptional in the scene and I wanted to make sure that people knew that I prefer short haired Captain Marvel to the long haired Captain Marvel that we got in the previous film. And I hope that in her, in the future appearances in other Marvel uh, cinematic universes, we get short haired Captain Marvel. Cause I thought this was a fantastic look for the character. Johnny want to weigh in on Captain Marvel's hair. I liked it. She, I thought it looked great. She looked, she looked great. She looked great. And this is another one of the great things that happens when you promote your movie by not really promoting your movie. Exactly. Yeah, very true. You know what I mean? That that surprise. On on one hand, it's a great it's 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 another visual cue that time has passed. Yeah. But also it's just a nice surprise to people who have been reading her comics for years and are familiar with that short haired look. And, you know, to, to to see that on screen was really, really cool. And of course, you know, Brie Larson looks she could shave her head and still be yeah. uh, absolutely ridiculously, stupidly gorgeous. But it was a nice, it was another nice surprise. And yeah. I just, I just, I do, I, I love everything about this scene. Uh, I also love the fact that, you know, <laughs> Natasha's eating like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yep. <laughs> because again, it, it kind of, it kind of comes back to, well, you know, what else are you going to do? We're going to go, we're going to go, go eat at a nice restaurant. Right. You know? I mean, we we already know what the mood at restaurants is because we we heard that from uh, was it was Anthony Anthony or Joe Russo? Joe Joe Russo. Joe. Okay, so we we already know from from Joe Russo's scene what the mood is at restaurants. So it's just, it's almost like everything is just you just you just you take care of yourself and you exist in your own little corner. Yeah. And and that's just kind of where we are. And I felt like that sandwich, even though it was kind of a small thing, was 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 kind of a a metaphor for for yeah for for how, how how everything is and uh i just oh my gosh yeah, who has time please. to even who has time to even care about what they eat at, exactly. at this point you know and exactly i mean and, and why would you feel like i mean and, and the other thing is the you know the simplicity of a peanut butter sandwich i mean to be clear my stance my official position on peanut butter sandwiches is that they're delicious but like oh, yeah. for, from natasha's <laughs> standpoint it's just like well how i mean can you take any real pleasure in anything in life is that you yeah. certainly can't take pleasure in something as simple as food because you've got all this other stuff on your mind. And so, right. you know, it doesn't, it really doesn't matter what you eat. You're going to eat, you're going to eat because you have to, to keep on living, but that's about as much as you're going to do. Um, yeah. and I love when Steve walks in, you know, I offered to cook you dinner, but you seem pretty miserable already. Um, and I, when she threatens to throw a peanut butter sandwich at his head, so <laughs> well, I love the part where like Steve can't help himself. He even says it's force of habit. He cannot help himself but trying to look, trying to be optimistic and look on the bright side. As I was driving over the bridge, I saw, uh, you know, I saw whales. I saw a pot of whales. And she goes, Whales in the Hudson. And, but she realizes what he's doing. It's like, no. There's <laughs> whales. It's, it's an odd sight. And it's probably, it's kind of cool that you saw that, but it's not worth it. And we both know it. So shut up, Steve. And right, so, right, like, right. I, so good. yeah. So and good. Steve acknowledged, like, okay, yeah, that wasn't it. And, so we get this great conversation between the two of them and where, you know, Black Widow talks about, you know, I used to have nothing and now I found, I got this job, I got this family, uh, which is called back to later when 
uh, when Tony, after Natasha is gone and Steve or Tony asked if she had any family and Steve goes, yeah, us, because uh, yeah. that's what they are. And I, I love lines that, that bring it into that idea of who these characters are to one another. Yes, they're superheroes. Yes, they're teammates. Uh, they're even friends, but uh, it's more than that, too. They are family. And so to see, and especially for Natasha, the only family that she's ever had, that she's ever known, and she's lost them. And she knows that even the ones who aren't gone are hurting, like Clint Barton and everybody else that she knows. And it's just, it's there's so much great stuff from Scarlett Johansson in this. And her perform. I mean, Chris Evans is also great in this scene, but Scarlett Johansson is just so good in all of this. You know, processing just the degree to which Black Widow is uh, is feeling this, and it sets up what I'm going to talk about later with her character. But how there's just there's so much good stuff here, and then uh, in between all of this, there's been uh, reason for some hope. So the biggest hero in the universe is a rat who, <laughs> as all of this is going on, has uh, tricked the uh, or has you know flipped the switch, hit the button on the quantum tunnel inside Luis's van that spits Scott out of the quantum realm. And of course, he I, had, oh, go ahead. I'm so sorry, Sean. I, really fast. I, just want, I don't know about you guys. Maybe I'm just an idiot and slow, which are definitely all those things. But, <laughs> uh, but seriously, I missed it when like the rat did it. I, I yeah. thought it just kind of, he just kind of came back himself. And it, it was the second time that it happened that I said, oh, the rat did it. Yep. Okay. I, I totally missed it. Was that just me? Did I miss that? Uh, I mean, I think, I mean, it definitely looks like the rat does it. Like it, a button kind of lights up right underneath the rat as the rat's like walking off of it. So yeah, the rat is the hero of the universe. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's, and I, cause I know some people are not necessarily loving that, that it was just some accident that Scott got out, but the film even acknowledges that Tony says it's a billion to one fluke that you survived. And it's about time the Avengers caught a break. I mean, everything right, that wasn't, right. you know, after so many things that didn't go their way in Infinity War and haven't been going the Earth's way for the past five years, for them to catch a lucky break, that's fine. Sometimes that's what you need. You know, you can be, you can have everything that you need to be successful, but if you don't catch the the occasional lucky break, then maybe you never get into the right position to uh, to actually use whatever skills you you've developed. So. Or whatever, or put into put whatever plans you may have into action. So I don't really have an issue with that. And I think you know whatever. If it wasn't the rat, it would have been something else that would have spit Scott out into the you know back into the present day. And and if it wasn't five years later, maybe it's seven years later or ten or whatever. But Scott still comes out uh, just hours after he went in, as far as from his standpoint, from his perspective, and he can still help uh, set up the plan that they ultimately uh, that they ultimately go with. And and what a great emotional entry into the film i mean you know everybody else is we've seen everybody else crushed and defeated but when when scott comes out of the quantum realm he doesn't know to be crushed and defeated yeah he doesn't he doesn't know what's going on he's just he's just regular upbeat scott hey big god for five hours what's up oh 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 my goodness and just how desperate paul rudd is as he's as he's looking at the memorial looking for cassie's name Mm -hmm. um you know banging banging on the door you know praying that she that she answers and this woman this woman comes to the door and just the 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 seconds it takes him to realize that this woman who answers the door instead of my daughter answering the door it's some woman oh my gosh this woman is my daughter Mm -hmm. and it's it's just there's just so much emotional just he's so 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 good everybody else is just kind of broken and dejected but you know this is this is the most 
outward emotion we've seen from anybody yet. And I think the fact that it comes from Ant-Man, who's just like the happy-go-lucky fun guy, yep. it's it's really, really, really effective. It is, and I love, I mean, it's this emotional reunion with Cassie, who I think when Scott went into the quantum room, she's about 10, so now she's about 15. And he just, you're so big. <laughs> like, you know, which just seems yeah. like this thing that you would say, you know, very casually to some relative you hadn't seen who was a kid that who you hadn't seen in a while. Um, yeah. You know, so it's this emotional reunion. And then Scott just puts it in pure Scott Lang terms. Um, One of the many times I was, I, I was already choking back openly oh. sobbing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, during he, this movie. Yeah. His many per- times. Yeah. And even before he says that line about you're so big, I mean, just the, the emotional reunion. I mean, yeah. Paul Rudd, yeah. we all know he's funny, but he's a damn good actor and we get yeah. to see that yeah. in, in moments like this one in, uh, in Endgame. So yeah, Paul Rudd was just fantastic in this. And, and even the, you know, looking at the lines, that's again, where we're mainly focused on Scott and him trying to just, you know, just praying that Cassie's name is not going to be, on that list, but it also shows you how people perceive those who are gone. They call them the vanished is what they have on the memorial. They're not dead. They're just gone. Uh, and so having that and, you know, for, and seeing that this is kind of how this is what people have had to do. And, and I actually think that if I'm looking at it correctly, it doesn't even look like it's really in strict alphabetical order on there. Like it's, it's kind of grouped by letter, but it's not all in, straightforward alphabetical order and i think the reason for that is because names kept getting added oh there was yeah and it was impossible so many yeah Yeah, it was impossible yeah it was impossible to keep it all and keep it all straight uh, because so many names being added at so many different points in time after the fact and so yeah just extraordinary to see that and that's just you know the area around san francisco you have to imagine that there are many many names you know many memorials like that across every major and even small city around the world that there would be things like that you would see scenes like that and i don't want to we know there's a ken john cameo we got a russo brothers community cameo <laughs> as the security guard at the u store facility where uh where scott was um so yeah just really great stuff with ant-man then when he shows up uh as he's fumbling through his explanation and then deciding that he'll be the one to eat the peanut butter sandwich if nobody else is going to take it uh, which <laughs> very much is agree- that anybody's sandwich yes well you have to feel you have to figure that once he realized what happened he has that reunion <laughs> with cassie and so he gets it you know and she would explain to him what has happened and so he got in the van or he went back to the storage facility got the van and he drove it across the country because because he's in san francisco avengers compound is in new york he probably didn't stop. Maybe he didn't stop to eat once along the way, or maybe it's been hours since he ate. But uh, you know, him wanting the sandwich was just awesome. But then him trying to explain the plan, uh, and then just boiling it down to a time machine and trying. You know, it's not a time machine. It's a time machine because it's, <laughs> it's like preposterous, but it's the only solution here is that we're going to go. Is that we have access to the quantum realm where time works differently, and so his plan is. You know, there's a simple enough logic to his plan because he he just it just happened for him. I ex- I entered the quantum realm at one point in time. I exited at another point in time, and I did it in hours, not in the amount of time that actually went right. by in the in the, right. in that interval. So, you know, Scott's plan is simple enough, but there's really only one person. They hope there's a second person, but there's really only one person who can actually help them execute this plan, and that is Tony Stark. And in these past five years. He has done what he was never able to do in the past, which is he was able to stop. 
He was able to stop being Iron Man for the most part. He retired. He started his family with Pepper. They have a daughter. Her name is Morgan, which was the na- named after Pepper's eccentric uncle, which was teased in uh, in Avengers Infinity War. And so when we saw this five-year time jump and Tony already did retire and he already had a daughter, I thought, oh, no. Oh, no, Tony. This is when I really started getting worried about Tony Stark yeah, in this yeah, movie. I, I, I thought the same thing, Sean. Because you just you just know that oh my goodness like on, on one hand oh my as soon as he stops you you know he's got a kid you can yep. just tell by the way the scene when he when he, when he walks outside he's walking through the yard it's like oh gosh this mm-hmm. is the, the, this is the yard where there's a there's of, of a family that has a kid and and you do you just get this this horrible just horrible dread that Tony having a kid is po- probably signing Tony's death warrant. And it's just it's heartbreaking. Or you think, well, gosh, this is another uh, uh, somebody else to be in danger. But, mm-hmm. you know, this that's not the nature. The danger is gone. The world is dead. Half the world is dead. The, the danger is gone. The only danger that we have here is going to be to Tony. And yeah, that was uh, it's, it's, it's a it's a it's it's bad. It's it's the best thing for Tony and the and the and the and the worst thing for us in the audience, knowing that. Yeah, that's probably it's it's a death warrant. Yeah, I, I mean, talk about the. Oh, go ahead, well, well, no, I was just going to say that. Um, you know, you go back to our discussion, Paul, uh, Paul, that we had, uh, episode like 109, our first in the end game, our first in our in the end game series with Iron Man. And we knew that Tony could die and we'll talk about how he dies later, but we knew that that, we knew that that was on the table. (laughs) Right. And, but we just, we ultimately didn't think that that was going to happen. We knew it could, that maybe it would be Tony instead of cap, but we just weren't necessarily feeling like like that was going to be the way about it. But the reason I said that, well, I don't think Tony's going to die is because there's something else he hasn't successfully done in the MCU and he hasn't really successfully retired. And then he did. And so that was when I was like, Oh no, now that he fulfilled that part of it uh, and proved that he could actually do that, that he could move on, even though he was moving on under the worst possible circumstances, uh, he did it. So I thought, okay, yeah, he's probably not going to make it. But what were you going to say, Paul? I'm sorry. Uh, what I wanted to kind of talk about the kid thing, because I, I know I, I caught some flack for uh, saying that the whole kid aspect in, that was introduced in Infinity War, I wasn't into it. Now, I want to make sure people understand you know, why originally I, I didn't really care for that when they brought up Infinity War, because it felt like, you know, it felt like they were setting up to him to have a kid at the very end of it just felt like they were setting it up to be the very traditional I'm pregnant at the very end of end game. And he's like, I right, guys, I'm going to retire and have a family. See you guys later in the sunset. <laughs> you know, that was a great rubber. Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, 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 I, I, spot on. I realized, <laughs> but so I, I immediately, I immediately was like, Oh, we don't need this trope crap. I don't need this. Get this out of here. Now, the brilliance of Endgame is it took that and put it on its head completely with the five yeah. years. And again, I'm talking yeah. about the five year aspect. Mm-hmm. When you introduce that, it totally takes it, and it, it, you're like, wait a minute, he already has the kid, and y- you could see Tony change. It was something that I didn't expect, and I was totally surprised by, and I liked it a lot. And I like the fact they set that kid up in the first film, but it's not this thing where it's a, oh, guess what? It's coming to fruition now. It, it, no, it came in fruition within the first like 25 minutes. And it's a pretty heavy, again, the payoff. I'm talking about, this is, again, the payoff is going to be the theme here. 
the payoff of not just that one little line, but just what it represents in this film of why yeah. he's doing it. And it adds to the guilt because, again, he's got his thing. And he even said, like, everything I have when he, when he talks to uh, Captain America, he says, everything I have now is what needs needs to stay. That's all that matters to me. But he also knows what he has so many people lost. And he knows that with that conversation with Pepper when he yeah, says. Yeah, Pepper says we were really lucky. Yeah, we got lucky. And he's like, I know. I know we got lucky and he, and I love the fact that he's contemplating of throwing it under the ocean after he figures out time yeah. travel. And he's like, I'm going to throw it all underneath and, and just forget about throw away the key. Like I don't, I don't, if it means giving up what I have now that I'm willing to do that. And I love the fact that it's hit, you know, but it weighs on him so much that he, he can't, you know, what he has when other people have lost too. Cause that's what, you know, Paul Rudd says to him or Ant-Man. Well, I, I love that it's pepper who gives him the green light. You know, exactly. Tony is saying, yeah. you know, Tony's saying I could drop, put it in a lockbox and drop it to the bottom of the lake and just go to bed. And Pepper says, but would you be able to rest, though? Teasing her line to him later. Oh, God, that hurts. <laughs> God, that hurts. Yeah. <laughs> so, Again, would the you, payoff. But the yeah, payoff. yeah, but the like Pepper, Pepper being the one to give Tony that green light when she's the one who's been trying to get him to actually retire I mean, go back to their infinity war conversation you know if you if you wanted to have a kid you wouldn't have that referring to the new little arc reactor he had on his chest for the nanoparticles for his suit at that in that film and so you know just saying like look okay you're retired but the world needs you and and you know and and for pepper to even appreciate that like we got lucky but so many people didn't and even though we have this happy family life like we we should be a part of this. If there's a way to fix what happened five years ago, then we need, then Tony, you probably need to do it. You feel like you need to do it. And that's because you do need to do it because you can't just, if there's a way to undo this horrible thing, then you, you have to step up and you have to do it. And then Tony gets into the action, but we have other stuff before that. So Paul, I'm very curious to how you feel on this because after Tony tells the Avengers that like he, you know, he can't, he doesn't want to do it. You know, he, he, well, I love that he makes fun of Scott for thinking that his entire plan to save the world is from back to, is based on back to the future and says, <laughs> that's not your plan. Is it good? Cause that would be horseshit. Um, and we'll get into the other time travel movies later. But when, uh, oh, I forgot another thing that, that stands out as he walks around after Tony says, you know, I got my second chance right here with his daughter and I can't roll the dice on it. And then Black Widow says, you know, oh, he's, he's scared and, we get a callback to one of your favorite lines. He's not wrong. So, yes, I saw. I know. I we got like, a he's yes. not wrong from Steve Rogers. I heard that. Yes. So then they need another brain and they cut to something. Ooh. I mean, you. I knew they were setting it up for a while because it was just clear what direction it was headed. And a lot of people figured it out by then. And so we got Professor Hulk. I no. To be clear, yeah. I, I love what we got with smart Hulk, professor Hulk, whatever you want to call it in this movie as a big, big, big fan of the Hulk and particularly the run where he turned into professor Hulk. And we talked about it on the Marvel unlimited book club for March of 2019 Uh, available at patreon.com slash Marvel studios news. So when we talked about it, talked about how much I loved those issues, especially incredible Hulk, Issue number 377, where that transformation actually happened. And while I didn't expect them to go into the abusive father angle and the father murdering his mother and all of that, 
There is a part of me that, as a comic book fan, and this is maybe my one nitpicky gripe with Endgame, is that I didn't actually get to see Bruce turn into the Professor Hulk. Although we don't actually see the physical transformation in 377 either, for the by the way. Yeah. But yeah. even though I don't, I, I, I feel, I don't know, I guess a little bummed about missing that as a comic book fan. The fact that we didn't see the transformation, I think, ultimately worked better in the movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it left us in the same state as everybody else, confused and having to play catch up with how exactly this happened. And I think the idea, going back to the idea of keeping us off balance, not knowing what to expect or exactly where we're at in this story, uh, in that, I think the Professor Hulk was a great example of it. And even the amazing comedy beats that they got out of it uh, probably so would probably would not have worked if we got the full transformation. So us playing catch up, uh, it that's where I... I will give up my own comic book fan desires and say, look, the the best story choice for the film was for us to not see that transformation and for us to have to catch up to it, just like Scott and everybody else. And it's a nice little example of the momentum of hope at this point in the film, too, because mm-hmm. you really you really need some hope and excitement at this point. The last time we saw Bruce Banner, he was very much not OK. Now we see him and he's possibly too OK. <laughs> yeah. And again, we, have, we don't know how it happened, eight, eight, you know, eight. 18 months in a lab and 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 here he is but uh to, to me to me that was enough because it's 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 so joyous to you know that was one of my the things that frustrated me a little bit about infinity war was i just i just felt like the the oh he can't turn into the hulk just got a little bit jokey after a while ah come on it was just a little it was a little it's like i got it okay I, I i get it but i felt like they were um, you know, just kind of hitting me over the head a little too hard with it by the end. So this was this was a really nice surprise here for me, and uh, uh, very very welcome. And again, as you said, the the comedy beats are are just are just lovely and wonderful. Yeah. The reveal of Professor Hulk. Now I knew there was that element was there. Now Sean, I wasn't convinced it was going to be quote unquote Professor Hulk just because I thought it'd literally just be Banner and into the Hulk's body. And I just kind of left it at that and assumed that. And when you kept calling professor Hulk, I'm like, it's not professor Hulk though, man, you were right. You were a hundred percent right. <laughs> and I'm so glad you're right because, and I don't, and maybe people will argue with me that it is Bruce Banner. No, that's not Bruce Banner. Obviously that is professor no. Hulk. One hundred percent. That's why Valkyrie and, says, I think I liked you either of the other ways. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so good. I have to say Professor Hulk is maybe my favorite character besides Thor, which we'll get to Thor in a second. Um, but Professor Hulk is pro- maybe my favorite character in this movie. And I just love the fact that they took this very um, – a pretty po- – I would say it, it's not a deep cut because he was Professor Hulk for a long time. Years, yeah. And, yeah, for, you know, for a number of years. And But they literally, literally took the Peter David character – and put him in the movie. That's Peter <laughs> David's character. I, I was just like, "What?" Yeah, the only this... thing that's the only thing that's missing from this Professor Hulk compared to the comic book one is the is this thing that I said would be missing the entire time. We never had the Gray Hulk in the MCU, so we're not going to get the Gray Hulk personality because there is a little bit more of that attitude. Um, and short temperedness to the the Professor Hulk that we have in the comics, so it is a, it is a little bit different, but it's still Professor Hulk. It's the MCU version of it. It's not just it's not just the MCU banner in a Hulk body. 
which again would have been the easiest route to take. And sure. and but it's not like and that's again the writing is so brilliant because they took this again the comic book character and again it, it it's not like it's a one hundred percent trans you know translation. But it's a pretty accurate, like, mm-hmm. it's it, the personality is so, I, I mean, when he, yeah, I, I, there's so many great moments with, with Professor Hulk with, with the with the humor they use and everything. It works. But I really love this the performance that Mark Ruffalo gives as Professor Hulk. It's fantastic. And I got to say, like, you to me, it was evident right off the bat, this is not Banner. And it's not, obviously, the Hulk. So it was a really great perform it was an under it was something that i wasn't expecting to get i i, I liked mark ruffalo in the films i think he's, he's a solid actor and everything but after seeing him in endgame again professor hulk is the payoff right like to me again going back to that payoff word i'm gonna keep saying it folks and i, I i'm not, not stock i'm not gonna apologize about it but here we go you're End- not wrong with, yeah thank you uh with infinity war you have the fact that the Thanos beat the crap out of the Hulk, right? And then Banner and him couldn't get on the same page. Well, I love the fact in that five-year gap, we ha- there's a reason why Banner's like, I got to get these guys on the same page. And he figures it out. And I love that. I love the fact we they use the five years and they use Infinity War. And a lot of Marvel fanboys would be like, I don't like the fact the Hulk got beat by Thanos and all this <laughs> other crap. And But again, they use that that what happened there and what happened in in infinity war to say, Hey, you know what? We've got to, you know, Bruce Banner's character, he develops and says, I've got to figure something out. And he decided to, you know, take those two things together and make professor Hulk. And again, it's right. a by the, the defeat by Thanos is a by is professor Hulk is a byproduct of that. And again, yeah. I like that. That's great payoff. Well, look at, and look at what it all speaking of payoff. Look at what this changes for the Hulk. So the Hulk left Earth as somebody that the world feared, you know, from especially like the last major sequence we see. I mean, obviously there was the Battle of Sokovia, but he had his incident where he was influenced by Scarlet Witch and with the battle with Iron Man in South Africa. And you see the absolute terror with which people look at Hulk. Well, now kids are coming up and asking for pictures with the Hulk. <laughs> so the way that changes it, and now they all know Hulk's catchphrase, Hulk, Hulk uh, out. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Listen to your mom. <laughs> <laughs> she knows better. <laughs> just that. <laughs> like, it's that that's the Hulk now is just the greatest little touch and an that's awesome so path. There's another one for the Hulk that I'm definitely going to get to, uh, and it's going to call back to one of John's favorite things. But uh, you know what? I'm going to skip forward. I'm going to talk about it now. Um so when Hulk uses the gauntlet and, you know, they, they make the choice and Hulk has to be the one to use it, he says, uh, you know, well, the radiation's mostly gamma. You know, it's like I was made for this. Mm-hmm. Yes. And go all the way back to the Avengers yep. and the conversation mm-hmm. that Tony has with Bruce where he says that much gamma radiation, it should have killed you. Yeah. Basically, illustrating better that you were alive for a reason, which I know one of John's favorite lines is, your tiptoe big man, you need to strut. Strut, yes. Tony's yes. belief in Bruce Banner, it seems like it was paid off in Avengers, and it was, but there was still something else. Banner didn't know it yet, even Tony didn't know it yet, but there was still something else that Hulk was made for, and uh. Hulk is the one who brought everybody back. He didn't do it alone. He didn't get all the stones by himself, but ultimately he's the one with the gauntlet who brought everybody back. 
And Ruffalo plays it so beautifully too. I mean, it's just there's 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 this knowing, yeah, I'm gonna do it, and 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 if it kills me, that's okay. But he's also aware that it's very likely going to kill him. Mm-hmm. And and he, there's just this, the, just the way he sort of accepts that. You, you you can see him working it all out. What a beautiful piece of motion capture that is for you know for Ruffalo's performance, and a lot of that too comes from I think Ruffalo's gift for vocal inflections as well to to get through to get through the motion capture to get through the CGI, and and really get that out there. It's ugh. yeah the Hulk the Hulk in this is just magical. It's so good. Yeah, and so we the, get oh go ahead, Paul. I was just gonna say that just kind of talking about his character in general of the film. I feel like this is a great this is a great moment for I think Hulk in pop culture because in in, in pushing what we're going to do with the character forward cuz now you don't have to have mindless Hulk in every film now. Not not everyone's going to be who's that green guy talking? He looks like the, that's the Hulk. Like yeah. you don't you don't have to have that anymore cuz you can have whenever you want it to do that or you can have these you already now established in a giant movie it's you know that everyone saw they all saw a hulk that could talk and it was a different personality from banner most people are going to understand that so the possibilities of getting a gray hulk now Sean the possibilities of having more professor hulk yeah. and introducing a more complexity of the character in upcoming films is all possible and I, and it's done so seamlessly in this movie that I'm just excited for the there's I think now the possibilities are endless with the Hulk. They always were there, but I think there was always a trepidation with the fact that this character was like this everyone knows Hulk smash and all that stuff, which again, I love that. I love that about the Hulk. And that's an important aspect of the character. But now with Professor Hulk and having establishing the fact that this is not just Bruce Banner's brain in the Hulk's body. It's a totally different transformation of the two characters together. Now you can do a lot more with him in the future films and add a complexity that you didn't have before. And it's right. it's done such it's done so brilliantly in this movie that like you talked about with him saying, you know, it's all gamma. Like you know, he, he brings up the idea that, that I was made for this. Essentially, you can you have these moments now, these different things you could do in films because of this film and these moments like that. And I think it's beautiful. And, and I, I again, he's one of my favorite characters in the movie. He's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no this this like made my heart whole was to finally see Professor Hulk in the Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe. Yeah, this is this is it's all time Marvel comics for me is that stuff. And so, um, you know, I was just at the right age when that stuff came along, and it, it got me and never let go. Same. So, yeah. you know, to have that in this movie and, and done so well was really really special. So, Hulk is our first uh, attempt at time travel, or he make, helps make our first attempt at time travel. This sequence is downright hilarious. <laughs> From Hulk initially, you know, being like, oh, maybe we hope we don't lose tinier in the 1950s. <laughs> We're good. With the thumbs up <laughs> after Natasha That's tells him you can't so joke good. like that. So we get the sequence of Scott going through being like a 12 year old kid, then an old man, and then a baby. And, and <laughs> when Steve points that out, Hulk's response, he'll grow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so did Pete. I don't know if it's baby me or old me or, or me me. <laughs> Just me me. Oh, so good. And then, you know, and Hulk, I think this, I consider this an absolute win. Just <laughs> time travel. Oh, man. And so it, it's uh, a great comedy beat. But this is where the Russos as directors, they are so good at navigating, and you know, 
going through tone, you know, of managing tone throughout a movie that they can go from hilarious to emotional to scary and back and through and, and just they can they can get set any kind of mood they want at any point in time and they can make it feel natural. Um, they're I don't know how they are, they're able to make those kinds of transitions, but they just have a certain magic to it. And so yeah. Yeah. they get uh, we get a little more. I mean, Steve feels pretty dejected after this. As funny as it is, Steve realizes what it means that. They haven't figured it out, and if they can't make this plan work, uh, it's not going to happen. And then Tony shows up uh, and calls it correctly that they turn Scott into a baby. Um, and I, I love, I love the simplicity of the resolution between Steve and Tony. How much really needs to be said? You know, Steve has already apologized to Tony. Tony's said what he had to say about Steve and how he felt. It's just at that point now where. Tony just says resentment is corrosive and I hate it. Steve says, I hate it too. And they make their deal to go save the universe. And it's an important point here that Tony says, you know, get what, get back what we lost. I hope, but we have to keep, you know, I have to keep what I found in the last five years, meaning we can't do anything that's going to jeopardize the present other than Tony's own life as we'll get to later. But we get that. And I love the, you know, the handshake between the two, I know some people were upset that they showed a handshake between Tony and Steve during one of the trailers or the special looks or whatever, but that wasn't the actual handshake. That handshake isn't even in the movie. So (laughs) we got the actual resolution, the actual handshake between Tony and Steve. And the moment that I cared more about the handshake was Tony handing Steve the shield back. Um, (laughs) Yeah, don't tell everybody. I don't have one for everybody. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I didn't bring one for the whole team. Uh, I love that, you know, and even reminds him like, hey, he made it. He made it for you, meaning Howard Stark. And I guess Tony has since repaired the scratches that uh, Black Panther left on the on the shield, but he hands it back to him. And we get Alan Silvestri putting in his own little Captain America theme from the first Avenger makes it in there uh, as Steve takes the shield from Tony. Such an awesome musical touch in there for a moment that, you know, we've been waiting three years for that moment since Civil War to see these guys bury the hatchet and for Tony to hand the shield back. And that moment was everything I could have wanted it to be. Yep. Yep. I it was it was one of those things where it it, it wasn't everything I wanted it to be. I don't know what I wanted necessarily either, Sean, but. It wasn't. It, it wasn't a bad moment either. If that makes any sense, like I, it was, I thought it was adequately, adequate, adequately done, and I did love seeing getting the the shield back. Because I'll be honest, I totally forgot that Tony had the shield, and uh, just because you know, I'm so wrapped up in everything, you know, from Infinity War and and everything, I kind of forgot about it, and I was like, oh, oh yeah. The, the shield is back. That's awesome. So it was great seeing the shield again. We hadn't seen it since Civil War. Yeah. And, it, and again, it looks it looked beautiful. He repaired it and everything. And I, and I love the line where he says, you know, he made it for you. So, yeah, it was it was great seeing the shield. And it, it was one of those things, too. And again, I love I love Cap being like he's, he's not Captain America is more than the shield. And I, I love the fact that he's not like, oh, I need this. Oh, this feels so good. He's like, OK, you know, he's kind of it's good. It's great, but it's not like it's everything to him, and which yeah. we'll get we'll get to later on in the movie. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, I did I did like the fact that he got it back, and it was beautiful to see because I I love that shield. I need to get a replica sometime. I know I think you have one, right, Sean? But yeah, I got a I, pretty pretty nice one. It's not metal. It's not vibranium, but <laughs> it's <right>. a fiberglass one to one replica that a company called EFX Collectibles made uh, years ago, and now it's signed by Chris Evans and a bunch of people, so it's not going anywhere. Uh. Um, yeah, I need, I need to get my version of that. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty nice. But yeah, I loved uh, I love seeing that moment. Uh, as I said, I, I appreciated the the simplicity of it. There's not these guys are already friends. Yes, they got ripped apart, but there's only so much that you that really needs to be said. At the end of the day, they're they're ready to stop hating each other, ready to stop resenting one another. They're just tired of it, and it's time to move forward. Um, so uh, especially because Tony did get to say everything he could have wanted to say uh, in their first meeting five years before that post uh, post snap. So now, now it's time to get the team together and we're going to go check in with what Thor was up to. And of course, before that we see a hilarious sequence of Scott Lang trying desperately to eat his damn taco <laughs> and failing. So that was amazing. I love yeah. Nebula's line. Like roadie careful on reentry. There's an idiot in the landing zone. <laughs> It's, it's so good. And so Rocket picks up Hulk, who hands Scott two tacos to replace the one he lost and and one. Uh, and I just love the smile that Hulk gives when he hands him the tacos. And I love how when Hulk's in the ship as they're landing in Tonsberg, Norway, also now known as New Asgard, uh, Hulk's like just the way Hulk's just dangling his foot. <laughs> just having a blast. Um, I don't know why, by the way, they didn't just fly the ship directly to where they were going to see Thor. I don't know why they needed to ride in a truck. I'm just glad I got to see him do it because that was hilarious too. <laughs> Hulk and Rocket in the back of this truck. We get the uh, Valkyrie cameo or one of the Valkyrie moments. It's not really a cameo because she's in the final battle too. So we meet up with Valkyrie. Uh, we get that funny line that she doesn't like to do better either the other ways. And then we meet Melted Ice Cream Thor. And... Wow. Uh, wow. I did right. not see this coming uh, <laughs> at all, but I am so eternally grateful that they did it. I know that there are, are a lot of people who feel much more, who are probably going to feel much more comfortable cosplaying as Thor in the years to come. So <laughs> like it's, uh, there's a much more attainable version of Thor for people to cosplay as. I don't know. It's just, I, I love this. It's, there's a lot of great comedy beats to it, but they don't forget the heart behind all of it, which is that Thor is in so much damn pain and is doing everything he can to mask that pain. Uh, so all of that is just, it's so good with what they do with Thor here. It's paid off, I think, the best when he finally, when he gets to have a conversation with his mother, which we'll get to later. But it's, uh, God, it's just so hilarious and great to see Korg and Meek again, even if Korg is being called a dickhead on while playing Fortnite against new master 69. Oh man, this, that whole sequence. But again, it's hilarious. It's ridiculous. But when it's time to show just how badly Thor has been hurt by what happened and the mistake that he made and not going for the head or when he did, it was too little too late. Um, just seeing the way that that affects him and Chris Hemsworth, uh, this sequence, as well as some others here, it reminds me of his scene in Infinity War, which I think is one of the best acted scenes in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe when he has that conversation with Rocket oh, and how gosh. how effortlessly he navigates from comedy to tragedy, just back like nothing, like it's nothing, the way he moves back and forth. And he does it in this scene as well. Chris Hemsworth, I mean... I think he's good in a lot of movies outside of the MCU, but the I think he's always been underrated in terms of what his, or long been underrated in terms of what he's bringing uh, as an actor to these films. Uh, but I feel like I won't be able to say that for very long, or maybe I can't say that anymore because uh, I, I feel like people are definitely seeing it, or they at the very least they should be seeing it based on the work he's uh, he's been handing in lately, uh, especially this one. 
You know, there's something that one one thing I, quickly about why they drove into New Asgard. I wonder if they did that on purpose, deliberately drove drove in because it's like you know these people. The last time they dealt with a spaceship, it was ah, good point. It was really really bad. So it. it, it it's a great humorous image. It's a wonderful image. It's a fun image, but you you have to wonder if it's just like you know let's let's not just drop a spaceship in the middle of True. New Asgard because the last time these people saw a spaceship, it was it was it was bad news. Or maybe if Thor hears the spaceship, he takes mm-hmm. off. Exactly. 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 They have no idea what they're, what they're going to find. It's also sad too to think that in all these years, Thor's 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 condition. In, in this film is a surprise to everybody. And it's heartbreaking to think that he's been closed off from everybody for, for that long. You know, they needed, everybody needs family. They need friends. Uh, Thor has a new kingdom here that he never even interacts with. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just video games with Korg and Meek. And as you said, Sean, you know, Hemsworth, one of the things about this movie is, okay, everybody, everybody gets to go out in, in a big way there's so many resolutions of so many storylines everybody gets to everybody gets to to be and look their best hemsworth goes through the entire movie other than a couple of quick scenes at the beginning you know is as, as this just disheveled thor mm-hmm. and i think it's i think it's kind of a big deal for you know you, you, you think for 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 an actor who is as as as, as friggin good looking as hemsworth is to to say yes i will commit to this for the entire movie um, I think that's 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 uh, that's that's really cool, and also too the, the the thing about it is one of the things I like about Thor being Thor having become very funny over the course of these movies is they can bring it right up to the edge almost of buffoonery sometimes, but what makes it real and makes it work is him's the sincerity that Hemsworth mm-hmm. brings to it. And and that's what just what comes through here. You talked about how how great of an actor he is. That that what's driving Thor through all of this is just that that gut wrenching raw pain that is always that is always right there. So to me, this wasn't something that's played for laughs. To me, this is something that's just an extension of his hurt. And and that's what Hemsworth. That's what comes through. The sincerity is what may, is what grounds the humor in Infinity War, and it's the hurt that grounds it in in Endgame. Very impressive work from this man, for sure. Paul, what did you think of this version of Thor? I I think that there, there might have been a moment for me where when I saw as soon as I saw Thor, where I very temporarily took myself out of the movie and went, "Oh shit, Paul's gonna love this." I hope I was what? right. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait! Hold on. Hold on. Like, you, how, why would you think I love uh, Thor in this? Just curious. Like, because what, what, what? you love Thor being as crazy and weird and comical and buffoonish as possible, along with the sincerity. And like, so when I saw this being Thor, I this just feels like your kind of Thor. You are one hundred percent on the money. Um, so I know yes. you, and I know how you, how and why you love Thor. <laughs> yeah. so. Well, and, and to be honest, I feel the last in the last uh, three films, this is Hemsworth has gotten a great range with Thor, and it shows the comedic chops. With again, he's got the sincerity with the buffoonery and uh, all that stuff down. You know what you said, John was was hundred well hundred percent well said, and I echo everything you say. The one thing I would say is making him like this was definitely, I think made for both. I don't think they, I think they, they knew it have 
uh, I think they're, here's what I think they did. And I think this is what the brilliance of what they did is that they knew they wanted Thor would be affected by this some way. And instead of doing the obvious route where he's a brooding character, like a, like a Ronin, Ronin, whatever you want to call him again, Hawkeye character, you have now, you've got this guy who his post-traumatic stress, um, you know, and he's trying to deal with it in some ways. And everyone deals with those things differently, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they went, you know, people obviously kind of let themselves go. They're not they're just, they're just, you know, they're, like you said, uh, John, they're masking it as whatever way possible. And he's, you know, again, Thor is has always been into like drinking and, 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 and eating like nice things. And cause he's a, a king for God's sakes. So he's just going to be obviously going crazy and going to town on those things to, to, to make himself feel better. And those people exist, you know, I mean, that, that happens. I do the same thing. I mean, so it only felt natural and it only made sense that Thor, this would happen to him. But what was so brilliant, what they did is they, they made it a part of the film that he doesn't go back to being thin. Like I kept thinking, like like I kept thinking they set up the the Scott Lang sequence where he goes back and becomes a baby and a whatever that he would go back and put himself back into uh, being super fit Thor again. I was thinking when he grabbed both hammers and had the lightning hit him that he was going right. to have the lightning burn off all that melted ice cream. Like I, I that's what I thought he was going to do. Thought the exact, I thought the exact. And same was, when and, and it, I thought for a second it had it just everything was a little yeah, bit dark. When, and I thought, oh, he's he's yeah, he's, but, oh no. I mean, oh, they're, they're 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 sticking to this. Who knows what kind of shape he's in when we catch up with him in Guardians of the Galaxy, but uh, or Thor four wherever we see him next. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the commitment to it in this and I mean, God, the comedy that it set up, I mean, it was worth it alone to hear Tony Stark call Thor Lebowski. Like, I don't really know. <laughs> like, yeah. That's all the payoff I needed. <laughs> well, um, but, but again, it was incredible. It's an incredible, uh, gutsy thing to do with one of the most, yeah. again, no pun intended for gutsy. <laughs> yeah. I mean. But it's it was such a very it's 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 a very uh, not dangerous but you know what I'm trying to say here it's it's not this is not a slam dunk decision that you do like oh yeah this is easy this is so obvious no it's not like you're taking one of the most attractive people in 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 entertainment that everyone is like women post pictures all over their wherever you know in their walls or their offices or whatever and and they all are infatuated with Chris Hemsworth and they make him. For ninety percent of the movie, like this overweight, bearded man who's got yeah. all these, you know, trauma, you know, traumas and anxieties, and and again, like it was, it was the right thing to do, and I love the fact they didn't make it easy on him where he becomes fit again. No, he was; those were the decisions he made, and mm. he, they stuck with it. And I thought that was a brilliant again, and they and they kept it a secret. I love that, and again, it worked. Everyone was bought into it. And then Chris Hemsworth just delivers a performance that is so perfect as, you know, Thor. And I, yeah, it was, I, I loved it. I love his performance as Thor. Yeah. I loved, I, I loved his first performance as Thor. His, I would say Avengers Thor. I love everything. The only performances of Thor that I did not care for were Dark World and Age of Ultron. But here's the thing, Paul. Uh, I, I read earlier today uh, a Vanity Fair article about Hemsworth. And after after the dark world and age of Ultron, uh, he said that he was frustrated and bored mm-hmm. with Thor as a character. So he goes to Kevin Feige and he tells Feige, I feel like I'm dying here. I feel like I hand, I, I feel like I have handcuffs on. Mm-hmm. And what does Feige do? Hemsworth said that 
you know, Feige starts taking notes. Yep. He's like, oh my gosh, he's actually like this, this, this guy's actually listening. And, mm-hmm. you know, so they sort of mapped out kind of this new, you know, this new way for, you know, for Thor to be moving forward. And it, again, it's, it's, it's paid off so well. And I, I feel like buffoonery is a little too harsh a word because I, I don't think that Thor was no. buffoonish in, in those films, but I just, again, it's, yes, the it's, it's funny, but again, it's, it's Hemsworth is just so earnest and there's so much heart and truth behind the way it comes out that, that in a way it makes it funnier, but it also makes it more, more grounded and real and sweeter and more and more sincere. And I just, uh, I think it's really, there's so many characters who get the, get really big emotional beats in this, in this film, but Hemsworth is just everything he does is, is through that lens of, of the pain and the, Oh, it's, it's amazing. But to me, I feel Love like the, I feel like the last couple of films with Thor have been more in line with actually the comic book character of Thor, like the comic books. Like he I is a little, a little more yeah. of a doofus. And the fact that right. they went the more humorous route, that's exactly what Thor is. I mean, he is he can be serious. And he, like just Infinity War, I felt was the perfect example of what you could do with the character. You can add those humorous beats that Hemsworth has obviously proven he can do. But you also have like. And and that is Thor. He's a little bit goofy. He's a little bit funny. But well, he's and, also and, and Thor one, like you know, the, they they back into him at the hospital. Right. <laughs> yep. And, yeah. And things like that. Or or when we first, you know, one of the first times we see Thor is he's, you know, he's he's coming in all super confident. He winks at his mother uh, in, in in the giant hall there in Asgard, and it's I've I've missed I've missed that Thor. Yeah, I think I I agree with you, John. I think they had a pretty good handle on the character in the first Thor, and then. I still thought he was solid in Avengers, but yeah, by the time it came around to Thor of the Dark World, they lost sight of it a little bit as they were going with the, you know, the burden of that character, you know, he was ready to, his father thinking he was ready to be king and him feeling like he wasn't ready to be king and not being ready to, you know, handle that and and all things. So, I mean, I I get what they were going for in Thor of the Dark World, but it didn't totally uh, it didn't totally work, and that they they lost some of the character there. I still like Thor: The Dark World, by the way. I mean, we gave it a good review. We did, uh, we did. and and I stand by it. It's I still think it's a decent and, and fun movie, but it's not on the level of what a Thor movie could be. It wasn't on the level of what the first Thor movie was, and what eventually Thor Ragnarok became, and obviously Thor's appearance in these last two uh, these last two Avengers films. So that, of course, was something. about although I will say. I don't know that they were really going for meta with it, but I do think it's pretty awesome that jumping ahead a little bit here to where uh, they're doing the breakdown of the different Infinity Stones and planning for who's going to go get what stone and when, and Thor explaining the ether and basically explaining the plot of Thor the Dark World, <laughs> and so Scott funny. Lang is loving it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So you take... What's, oh, that's Jane. Uh, Jane and I were dating, and uh, you know, yeah, uh, so you <laughs> take what's anymore. you know, and he's just looking at Thor like very intently and smiling a lot, and smiling and nodding his head with everything that Thor is saying. <laughs> he is so into the story of Thor: The Dark World. So I really love Marvel taking the film that has been maybe uh, you know the least liked of their movies, even though it still got mostly positive reviews. But it takes the film that probably gets beat up more than anything else in their canon. And it has Thor explaining that, and it gives that film a new fan. It's Scott Lang. That's just awesome. Uh, it's just such a cool, uh, it's, it's, 
such so a cool great. touch. The, the only thing, the only thing in, Th- in Thor: The Dark World that offends me is the the green screen at the end, that final scene. Ooh. In the oh Ooh. my gosh, Marvel. Uh, I mean, Marvel. Malekith isn't great, so I, I think. Check. <laughs> yeah, that one's that's unforgivable. But yeah, yeah the but it, there, there are some missteps in Thor: The Dark World. But yeah, I mean, clearly they've found their stride with Thor and they keep changing things up with them. And he's just an absolute blast. And I mean, even that shot of him when it's time for him to explain the ether and just <laughs> sitting in there, is he asleep? And Rhodey's, I think he's dead. <laughs> so and it's good. Nice to see Valkyrie too here uh, as yeah. well. I mean, T- Tessa Thompson is oh, just, uh, she's the that best. woman is a, she's a force of nature in Thor Ragnarok. She is, she is dynamite in that movie. Absolutely. So it was really nice to, to see her, and not only to see her on screen, but also you know have um, you know have it confirmed that that she's you know that Valkyrie is still alive and yeah. well, and um, I think already already at this point in the film we see we see leadership from, from her, and again that's a great arc for her too oh, because yeah. you know she she was basically in the same place well not as bad off as Thor is right now but you yeah. know just basically you know drunk and fighting now thor fights with nuke master 69 (laughs) on uh, you know (laughs) on the video game whereas whereas at least she was you know you know doing something i guess a little more constructive if not necessarily uh moral but um you know it's 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 nice to see them flip-flopped where you know now it's thor who's who's really fallen hard into the bottle and she's the one who's who's stepping up and trying to be the leader for the people that yeah. that he's he's just not able to be right now it's yeah. hard it's, and it's hard as, to see him that yeah as he in, acknowledges later in the film yeah. she is she's already the king yep you know. which is why I, i'm ready for Val- valkyrie king of asgard yes uh, either, either a movie or a disney make it disney plus because i i, I want to yeah. check in with test with tessa thompson at least once a week yeah exactly <laughs> totally with you on that so we get to part of getting the team back together we've caught up with thor now we've got to go catch up with clint barton who they're not using the word but he's wearing the costume of ronin right and i feel like a lot of people aren't paying enough attention to the fact that there is an a gorgeous single shot that's happening in this sequence with ronin we cut to yeah. a Quinjet coming into Tokyo, and then we have this tracking shot of Ronin slash Barton, whatever you want to call him, going in and cutting down these gangsters, and they never cut. It just scans up and then through and then out a window and down, even through the sword fight. So that's there's not a cut until that sword fight is over, until uh, you know when when Ronin has uh, when Ronin's beaten this guy. And he says, you know, and the guy's offering, like, give me, I'll give you anything you want. He says, what I want, you can't give me. That's right before he says, what I want, you can't give me. That's when there's a cut. So that's it. There's this gorgeous single shot that leads into this sword fight in the rain. Uh, but even before that, there's the, the whole chase sequence of going through it. Like, it's, it's a really nifty little piece of filmmaking that they squeezed in here. Uh, and you don't normally get those kinds of shots in a movie like this. And it's Hiroyuki Sonata who's playing the gangster that Clint Barton is, is after here. Uh, but I, I really liked that shot, and it helps uh, certainly helps make that scene. Uh, and it's also just great to see the kind of the – not great in a, in a way that's all that positive, but to see Clint Barton's mindset here. In the same way that we see Thor's pain and how that manifests, and Thor's mainly taking his pain out on himself, Clint Barton is taking his pain out on others. And – He's taking the idea of survivor's guilt into another thing where he's actually taking other survivors and making them guilty. You know, Thanos took a bunch of people. Why didn't he take you? 
You know, you're the one who should have been taken. All these innocent lives were lost. They got Thanos. You get me. Uh, just uh, great stuff for Clint Barton. And then when he catches up with Natasha, Natasha even saying, like, when he says, don't give me hope, and she says, I wish I would have given it sooner. And you know that she means that because that's what she's been trying to do this whole time is right. they've been trying to track right. down Clint Barton. Great right. acting from uh, Scarlett Johansson and Jeremy Renner. Great writing by Marcus and McFeely. Great direction and really great camera work. And I really just wanted to give it a little bit of extra love here to Hiroyuki Sonata, who is just such a, just he just cuts such a classic figure on on screen. We previously saw him in uh, the Wolverine mm-hmm. as uh, Lord Shingen, and um, he's on Westworld uh, as Musashi in a couple of really strong episodes uh, uh, from the second season of Westworld, and you know just great great actor. And it's just it's again it's hard to see how far some of these heroes have fallen. We we're right on the heels of, of seeing, you know, how hurt Thor is, you know, and now we see Clint just, you know, think compare, compare his appearance here to the way he looked at the beginning of the film on the farm with his family before, before everybody disappeared, Mm -hmm. just happy and healthy and good. And just, and to Tiri just looks, he just, he's just physically and emotionally an absolute mess. Mm. But, still capable and more dangerous than ever i love the you know after he after he, he kills hiroyuki sonata's character the way he just wipes the blood off on his yep. on his clothes this is this is not the first blood that's been all over his his new right. costume here but it's it's you know you talk talk about red ledgers this his 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 she natasha knows better than anybody you know about having red in your ledger and, and it's it has to hurt her to see him uh, to see him going this far, that far down this path, great, great work, great work for him, and a great, a great, 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 great role for Jeremy Renner. That's um, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, he's so awesome in this. And then, so at that, once we get Clint back, then we're moving forward onto the rest of the team here. And so we have, we pretty much have the team. It's now it's time to figure out how all of this is going to work. So we already talked about the Lebowski joke. We talked about, <laughs> uh, well, now then Tony calls Rocket Ratchet, and he says, take it easy, buddy. You're only a genius here on Earth. Um, right, right. So now it's time for this test run, because there were two test runs, and then Scott screwed it up. Um, <laughs> so there is a great sequence of Clint going on the, the test run and, and calling out for his daughter, who uh. actually hears him, but of course he's already gone. Uh, but the most important part of this scene is that before Clint goes on his test run is that they define the rules of time travel for what they're doing here. So anytime you're dealing with time travel, we're not dealing with an actual thing that happens. So, <laughs> you know, for to expect that all the rules are going to completely check out 100%, that's not really the a realistic expectation. But we don't need all of those things to check out in a movie with a God of Thunder. It's, we're not <laughs> shooting for absolute sure. realism here. Sure. What they do a great job of in this sequence, and Banner is the one who illustrates it, is that they define the rules of time travel within this universe, and I think they stick to these rules. And so that's the that's what I think you need to do in a situation like this, and I feel like that's what they do. So, uh, And they do it in a really funny way, poking fun of previous time travel movies because <laughs> Scott and Rhodey list a bunch of them from Bill and Ted's excellent adventure to hot tub time machine. <laughs> but Hulk explains much to Scott's dismay. Now that back to the future is a bunch of bullshit. According to Scott <laughs> that in this universe, well, and I think it's mainly true is that you have 
changing the past doesn't change the future because if you travel to the past, the past is now your future and your pre- and your former present is now your past. And by extension, which Hulk doesn't say, but by extension, your previous past is still your past. It's all still one timeline, uh, right. but you're just kind of creating little loops, but it's all along the same timeline. You're still not changing the future. So what they have to do is they have to go get Infinity Stones they have to pluck them out of different points in time, and then ultimately they don't know this yet, but Hulk finds this out in his conversation with the Ancient One that they will have to put everything back. But the line about changing the past not changing doesn't change the future is very important for Steve Rogers' ending, uh, and also I think factors into Loki, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But um, I think they do a good job here, John. I don't know if you had any notes on it, but I think for the most part they did a pretty good job of in as simple of terms as they could, explaining the way time travel is going to work here because we're actually getting into quantum physics, quantum mechanics. We're getting into all of this stuff, which is it's only theoretical in our world in terms of how this would work, but they have the opportunity to explore it in the MCU because they actually have the ability to go subatomic right. and go into the quantum realm, which, uh, as, as, far, as far as I know, we can't do yet. But if we could, then maybe some of these rules would actually be applicable. But... Uh, in, at least in this world, they are, and I think I feel like they stick to them. I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty liberal when it comes to time travel in yeah. movies. Just, just, just give me rules and stick to it, and 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 I'll pretty well roll with it. Um, one of my favorite explanations of time travel is in Ryan Johnson's Looper, when um, Bruce Willis is telling his younger self, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, they're sitting in that diner, and it's just like, don't even, don't even think about it. Just don't even think about it because you'll drive yourself crazy. Mm-hmm. And that, so that's 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 kind of where I am with with, with yeah. time travel in this in in this movie. Tell me a good story. Time travel is a part of it. Okay, we're going to be running yep. around through time and reality. Okay, just make it make it great, and I'll forgive damn nearly anything story wise because I'm just here for a good time with this movie, and that's what it gives me. So yeah, definitely, I didn't I didn't worry about it too much. Yeah. to be honest. So after we get our explanation of time travel, we get to the. Infinity Stone information session, which the one we see is Thor, but Thor's takes place at breakfast, but we know this was going on all day because then we see them eating Chinese takeout later. Uh, <laughs> so they've been, they spend an entire day going through all of these different Infinity Stones. They come to the, the realization of three stones being in New York at the same time. Scott uh, wisely calls not it on going to Vormir to get the Soul Stone, uh, but that's gonna. But they are going to have a 2014 team that goes and then splits up to cover Morag for the Power Stone and uh, Vormir for the Soul Stone. Uh, meanwhile, Thor and Rocket are going to go to Asgard in 2013 for the Reality Stone or the Ether. It's really more of an angry sludge, as Thor says, and somebody, <laughs> as he points, <laughs> points a cap, somebody really called it a stone. Might need to amend that. Uh, <laughs> and, then, um, and then, of course, in New York, it's going to be Cap or Steve, Tony, and Scott going to get the Space Stone, the Mind Stone, and the Time Stone. So everybody's got their missions. Cap gives his incredible speech, and Rocket says he's pretty good at that. Scott says right, because it was a damn good speech. Chris Evans just, he nails those Cap speeches. I don't know what he else does. to say. I, I, he's I really good at it. I, I think back to Winter Soldier when he, um, he gives a great yeah. speech, and, you know, and, and, and Sam is just like, did you just make that up? Did you write that down for us? You're just making it up <laughs> off the top of your head. Yeah. <laughs> so damn good. Uh, you know, uh, Cap, the best. Cap needed to have a speech like this in the uh, in this one, and he got it and hit it out of the park as as he so often does with these things. Yep. But here's where there's a moment 
that the first time you watch it, you don't think about it because you don't know what's going to happen. The second time you watch it, they've given you a knife to the heart and they twist it because the last person to say anything before they go on this mission is Black Widow, and she says it to Steve with a smile on her face, see you in a minute. Yeah, that's and another that's another thing where I was like comes oh, back. No. This Ugh. is yeah, this is she just became the guy in the war movie who's like, "Oh, hey, before we go on this mission, let me show you guys a a a, a picture of my fiance." Yeah. Hey guys, I just got a letter from my fiance. We're expecting. <laughs> We're going to have a baby. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Yeah, she she broke. And you would think, you would think that somebody who's been on as many missions as Natasha would know. You never you never say something like that, Natasha. You never say it. But uh. Well, that's the thing is that uh, <laughs> I know we're skipping ahead because I know Vormir is the last stone acquisition we see when we go back in time for all this stuff. But I'll, I'll just go ahead and get to it now while we're on the subject of Natasha. That's not the only moment where she's happy. I mean, she's borderline giddy throughout this mission. You know, yes, she's yes. smiling. This entire time, as you know, as she and Clint are going to go off on their side mission, Clint makes the joke, "We're a long way from Budapest," and she's smiling. I mean, she's love she, that moment. You know, love that line. She's kind of giving Rhodey crap for the ship. You know, the pod being lowered so that Rhodey and Nebula will have a ship. And Natasha is actually kind of happy, much happier than she's yeah. been throughout the entirety of this film. And yeah, the reason got, you got purpose now, yeah, purpose and hope. You know, in the same yeah. way that she gave Clint hope, she feels like. Finally, I've been sitting here for five years feeling completely powerless. There's nothing I can do. We lost, and we just have to be stuck living with this, putting out whatever fires we can. But how much does that really matter? Because we lost the big one. And so, you know, that she's been devastated this entire time for these last five years. She's been in this headspace. And now she finally feels like I can do something about this. We can do something about this. And that's where she's feeling happy and, and hopeful. And that's why it's a and it's a great job by Scarlett Johansson to play this character these two different ways of you know the of just being completely distraught, just being feeling like there's being completely hopeless, and then having hope and actually right. being happy about that. Uh, right. Great job by Scarlett Johansson of navigating those two different sides to Natasha and her experience in this movie, and then of course all that hope, all that optimism comes to a grinding halt with the very sobering realization that comes on Vormir and. Paul, if you remember, I talked about the idea of an Armageddon ending in Avengers Endgame of Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck. Uh, ben Affleck drew the short straw, but Bruce Willis ultimately says, I'm the one staying on the meteor and Ben Affleck lives. They were basically fighting to be the one to sacrifice themselves. Well, this right. is a fight to see who's going to sacrifice themselves. But yeah. before we get into the actual fight, uh, so it wasn't the end of the movie, but I did call an Armageddon death in Avengers Endgame. Yeah, you did. Uh, yes, he did. I, I had and, the, and, and I Sean, had the... also, Sean also called that uh, called that to me privately in a conversation yeah. we had after I we had... recorded our last issue of our episode of Fandalorian. I right? had the so... characters I had the characters wrong, and I had the timing in the movie wrong. But I, that that style was still applied here, although I think it was done even better <laughs> and more dramatically than than in Armageddon. Yeah. Uh, oh, but so great. I mean, that realization that comes to the you know that. Natasha just sits with it. You know, Clint wants to mm -hmm. just say, look, this is all a bunch of cosmic bullshit. Who cares? Um, but then Natasha says, look, Thanos came here with his daughter, got the stone, left the daughter. You know, the daughter never came back. Uh, says, so what Red Skull has told them, uh, that's it's true. This is the deal. One of us is going to have to go. Uh, and yeah. then I love how they agree that somebody has to go. And then, <laughs> great job by Renner. Like, I'm starting to think we mean two different people here, Natasha. <laughs> um, 
But I love the expression on Black Widow's face when she says, you think I want to do it? I'm trying to save your life, you idiot. Yeah. Um, great job yeah. by Scarlett Johansson. Cause oh. it's, just, it's not like there's no yeah. pleasure in this. There's no pride in this. It's just, right. but it is the, and she doesn't say it in some heroic way, but it's just whatever it takes. It's just the realization of this is what we have to do. I don't want to do it. This is awful. I don't want to go, but one of us has to, and it's going to go ahead, and it's going to, and and I think it should be me. It's going to be me, and I'm going to fight you to make sure it's me. This whole scene is, in my, I think with with between Scarlett Johansson and Jeremy Renner, and I've always liked Black Widow, the exception of even Iron Man Two. I, I'm a defender of Iron Man Two. You know that, Sean. Yeah. And I will, I say that she was, you know, her characterization wasn't the best in that movie, and it definitely got better after Avengers. But I still liked her in the movie. And I feel like she's gotten a, the raw end a little bit, I think, in, in Age of Ultron, just, you know, whatever here or there. But I really do think that um, in this movie, she really shines in from, I think, Scarlett Johansson's acting. This is her best performance besides, I think, from Avengers. I think she's that's her, still her best. Uh, the character was given a lot to do. The, she, her range was, was given given a lot to do or as far as her acting abilities in the movie Avengers. But now with Endgame, you really got to see Scarlett Johansson at work. And I feel that from the moment when she's talking to the Avenger holograms at the very beginning, and then you have the part where now with her and, and Jeremy Renner and Hawkeye sitting, you know, flying over and talking and saying, you know, kind of reminiscing together and I love the fact that they just—it was perfect. They, they both acted their butts off in this movie, and I really feel that with Jeremy Renner and and their performance, while they they're fighting for the Armageddon ending, which I haven't seen Armageddon in like thirty years, so it feels like so. <laughs> but like I I don't remember that at all. But I I, I know what you mean. I, I vaguely remember it. But I didn't. I it was I wasn't expecting that for the soul the Soul Stone again, again. Another thing that why this Endgame film is so brilliant is that it does things in different orders that you weren't expecting. And you're like, oh, man, like I did not. I mean, the fact you have Black Widow and and Hawkeye fighting to sacrifice themselves for the soul gem was with, you know, with with Red Skull overlooking is like just it's it's, it's a it's insane. You know, it's just wow. And yeah. And so I don't. It was just fascinating to see them together. And again, going back, I talked about this earlier in the podcast, going back to what I said earlier about the farm and the and the family of, of Clint Barton, this is where that pays off. And this is where I actually now will finally say I'm okay with the family. I don't love that idea of Clint. I don't love MCU Clint Barton. And I don't, I'm not like, he's not my favorite character, but I accept a family and I don't despise it as much as I did when I left or before I came into the theater because of this moment right here without the family and having their backstory and all that all tied into this, you don't have the scene. It doesn't have the weight it has without that. And that's where the payoff from this film, again, I keep going back to it. It comes into play because without that family, you don't have the struggle between these two characters. It becomes it, – it's still, I think, a good solid scene, but it doesn't have the weight. You don't really feel the pain and the and the, the urgency that, that 
Scarlett Johansson has with everything she's going through already. And again, Clint Barton, you could almost argue that Clint Barton would have, if he didn't have the family in the beginning, yeah. he'd have no reason. It would make sense to go, yeah, you go ahead and do that, Clint. I'll, I'm going to you know, make up for what I you know, would have been doing the last five years. I'll keep doing it. It would make more sense for him to sacrifice himself. But, but, it's, no. also the, but it's also her paying. We go callbacks, though. It's also her exactly. paying the debt to Clint Barton. Because mm-hmm. like, when he says, like, you, know, you, know who I am, you know who I am, or you know what I've done, you know what I've become. She says, I don't judge people by their worst mistakes. And he says, well, maybe you should. And she says, well, you didn't. Because go back to the story yeah. she told Loki. Granted, a lot of that was her just getting Loki to talk and give out his plan. But I think she was telling the truth, which is that at one point she was running up against S.H.I.E.L.D. And it was Clint Barton who was sent to kill her. And he made a different call. And so now there's that red in the ledger that she's paying back. Like, you saved my life. You saved my life once. Now I'm saving yours. Because I knew, I mean, once we knew that they were the two going to Vormir, it's like, well, one of them's got to go. So who's it going to be? And they had me for a second. You know, when when Clint fires the arrow, the you know, the exploding arrow that knocks Natasha down, and he's running off in slow motion, I'm like, oh, man, he might be the one to go here. And then she grabs him and just sets up that agonizing, uh, you know, final thing where... And I love how she says, let me go, and Clint doesn't do it. You know, she ultimately has to put her feet up against the wall and push herself off to break uh, Clint Barton's grip. God, it's just, it's agony watching that scene. It's beautiful agony to see that drama play out, but man, it, it hurts. Uh, to let see. me ask you this, let me ask you guys this question. Was there any point during this that you, and I, I knew it was an empty, stupid hope, but I had it anyway. I kept thinking, what if the fact that they are trying to stop each other from being the one to sacrifice that it would somehow break the curse of the stone and that they would, I, I, I had, I had a little yeah. bit of a moment where I thought that maybe I didn't have maybe, that. Maybe, I, maybe, maybe, maybe I felt the same sense of dread as, uh, you know, from the Gamora scene on Vormir and infinity war, where it's just like, yeah, it says sacrifice. What'd you look like? That's it. Gamora has yeah. gone. And you know, yeah. now it's like, well, one of these two characters is gone. And it's basically going to be whoever wins this battle between the two of them. And, uh, you know, then you could tell by the end those last, you know, those final seconds that obviously Black Widow is going to be the one who who does this. And uh, it's just it's they I mean, in, incredible job with the scene. Like, it's just as it was when they did it with with uh, Gamora in Infinity War. Just unbelievable the way they uh, they executed these things. No pun intended with the uh, the acquisition of the Soul Stone. But yeah. we got to get to because uh, I know we're we're over two hours into this, so we're we're gonna challenge the movie's runtime. I feel like <laughs> uh, already, it's it's almost a guarantee at this point. Yeah. Man. So we've talked about Vormir. Let's get back to the beginning of this. Uh, the first place we go to when we start going into the past is New York in 2012, and I haven't been to a screening yet where the audience didn't erupt for this. Uh, because we go back to the Battle of New York, where the Avengers assembled for the very first time. We get that shot again, of that hero shot of all the Avengers again. Mm-hmm. Um, just unbelievable visual and great comedy beat to show us a little Hulk moment that we didn't see during <laughs> Avengers. Oh, man. And when, I think it's a little gratuitous, but whatever. That was <laughs> Rips again. off the shirt. Just Brilliant. Just, uh, uh, so uh. Just like uh, a little punch to the a little punch to the car, picks up the motor, like just a little chuck, <laughs> <laughs> threw him like three feet. I don't know, <laughs> just just far enough to be out of frame. Just uh. 
uh, uh, such a uh, good yeah and then we go but i love how this gave us uh, the chance to go back to the past in the mcu but see moments that we hadn't seen during that time the ancient one was fighting the chitauri atop the sanctum sanctorum during the battle of new york awesome nice Nice. Great touch, and we get some of that Michael Giacchino, Doctor Strange score uh, incorporated in here. And I love, uh, I really love the way that, you know, the Ancient One, it plays on that idea of her being able to see her own future. You know, she saw far enough into her own future uh, up until the moment of her death in Doctor Strange. So she knows exactly who Banner's talking about when he says Doctor Strange, and no, you're five, you're about five years too early. And, um, so and we got a callback again of knocking somebody's astral form out of their physical form, and to see that with Banner and the Hulk, I thought was a really that was a really cool moment. Uh, but it also gave us a critical piece of information in this, which is that the stones have to go back. Just because you take them doesn't mean you get to keep them. You have they have to go back, which ultimately means that the stones are in fact destroyed in the present day Marvel Cinematic Universe because they all get taken back later in the film. But I love the way this pays off the moment of Doctor Strange giving away the Time Stone, that this is how Banner convinces the Ancient One to give it up, to say, look, Doctor Strange gave it away. And she says, willingly, yep. And then she gives the whole thing of Doctor Strange meant to be the best of this, meant to be the best of them, all of the masters of the mystic arts. So uh, I, it was a really great sequence. And uh, yeah, there's some exposition that goes into it, but this is how clever they are with the writing. And then, of course, with Tilda Swinton and Mark Ruffalo is that you don't even care because they're also... they're they're still building character in these moments, even Dr. Strange, who's not even present for that meeting. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a, that's a very good point that it, it says a lot about him that, that she's willing to just hand this thing over on a promise of something that somebody else says that he does in a few years. It's, it's, it's great. It was, it's one of those things where I just kind of, I accepted it. I, I wasn't, it was, I like the part. It wasn't my favorite part. I like I like the astral plane of, of Banner talking to her, uh, and everything. That was that was interesting. But it was just kind of weird to me that she said, "I won't give this to you." Oh, Doctor Strange, you're supposed to be the best of us. Here you go. It is a little. Again, it is an important, but it is an important revelation. Like it's. I mean, I don't know what what there is to not buy there. Like if she I, knows that Doctor Strange gave it, it up, but yeah, I, I guess I bought it. It just seemed very. I don't know. I, I just felt like she should have been. It, it, that wasn't my favorite scene for whatever reason. I, mean, I can't explain. Do it. you it expect the Hulk to beat her in a fight and take it <laughs> and take it from her physically? No, 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 it's not, not going to happen. I just actually, you know, I, I don't know. It just, for some reason, it just seems kind of just seems different to me or out of place. I don't, I, I can't explain it. It just wasn't my favorite scene. And I liked, I liked the ancient one. I liked her in the, she's one of my favorite parts yeah. of the movie actually of the yeah. Doctor strange it just for whatever reason the scene just didn't resonate with me as much as I, I i thought it would but i did like the fact that obviously you're setting up the idea of why they have to go back in time in the first place just to get put the stones back and everything but um yeah that scene was probably wasn't like my favorite it just i didn't really I, I can't really explain it i did like seeing her fight the, uh, the chitari though that was cool yes yeah, no, it was cool to see uh, get some more of that information in uh, just see some more of that background. Also, see different angles from the Battle of New York, like what happens after they do the pose with Loki after he thinks he'll finally have that drink that now. Great, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love so much that um, even though what's crazy about some of these things is that they were already spoiled. By the way, some of these things got spoiled, like Tilda Swinton. I think it was Michael Grillo, like one of the executive producers on the movie, was at like a panel 
several months ago, and he spoiled that Tilda Swinton came in for a day for Avengers Endgame, or back then we thought it was Avengers 4, and Frank Grillo spoiled that he was in the movie, but I had actually, I don't want to say that I had completely forgotten about it, but I had put it enough out of my mind, and I also didn't know exactly when they were going to pop up, so seeing, uh, seeing Tilda Swinton was awesome, but then seeing uh, Frank Grillo back as Brock Rumlow, seeing Maximiliano Hernandez back as Jasper Sitwell, whom I still kind of miss, although he did Same. need to die in, in, in Winter Soldier. <laughs> but to get him back uh, for this to show, okay, like what happened in those final moments after they beat Loki? What happens to the Tesseract and the in the Scepter? How did they end up where they went? Well, we know what happened with the Tesseract. We followed that all the way to Thor taking it to Asgard. But the Scepter, how did that end up with Dr. List and Baron Von Strucker? And we get that information in this one. Uh, and I just, oh, man, there's so much great setup here, but... Hail Hydra. Ha- yeah, Hail Hydra oh, that was, was oh, un- that was phenomenal. Because they, they 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 set up the expectation of another elevator fight. Exactly. And, oh. and, and it's and it's so tense. Yeah. And he just diffuses the whole thing. Hail Hydra. Yep. <laughs> so genius. So good. So good. Well, and especially oh, because so uh, Sitwell was about to call the director. He was about to call Fury, yeah. who wasn't Hydra. So that's why it's that much of a thing of. This is why Steve would stop you if he was Hydra, wouldn't want you to call Fury because Fury's not in on this. The person right. who's in on this is the secretary, and that's who Steve mentions he's on orders from. So Hail Hydra, you know, so you see Sitwell react to it. Rumlow hears it as well, and he just walks off with the scepter. And yeah, you're right. I mean, it, everybody that was loves one of the single most inspiring moments for Hydra, those Hydra guys ever. Oh, man, oh yeah, we've got, we've we got, got Cap in America. Yeah, we got Cap. This is the best. And it's also it's also a nice nod too to that uh, to the the comic series where Cap was, yeah, Hydra ish. Yeah, a little... it's a little a little secret empire. I don't know if it's really a nod to that, but or intentionally a nod to that, but it certainly plays into it. Um, yeah. yeah, it was awesome to get that moment yeah to to remind everybody remember that really sweet elevator fight (laughs) in winter soldier uh yeah we do of course we do is that what we're gonna get again nah (laughs) hail hydra i felt it was a whole callback to the entire film with oh totally Totally. i mean it's obvious but i mean like it was just like it felt it was perfect it was a a perfect nod to that film yeah and it just it, it was it was great and obviously what it sets up is Oh, One of my man. favorite parts of the movie, in yeah. my opinion. Cap versus Cap? Yeah. Dude, I, I have to say, Cap versus Cap in my favorite costume. Captain America costume. <laughs> one was, one yeah. with mask, one without. So you get yeah, both yeah. looks. I, yeah, thank you. Exactly. You got it. Like I'm like, no way. Yeah. They knew. I know, they Paul. Knew. <laughs> you know, they know that there's going to be someone who is going to be very upset if Captain America doesn't wear his mask at some point. So we got to put yeah. this on. And I got to say... I was so happy. It was just great to see these two characters, like, again, the same character fight each other, but also seeing Cap, how he, like, five years, you know, or whatever, mm-hmm. nine years later, whatever it is, where he's talking, you know, when he says, I could do this all day. Yeah, I get it. You yep. know, I love that. It was perfect. <laughs> you know, yeah. I love when he swears and says, you got to be sh- me, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, oh, me. it was, yeah, it's great. That was great. Yeah, God. it was yep. so awesome. Yeah, I could, I could do this all day. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, I know. But you know what? Oh. I love that Cap took advantage because he recognized this in himself. Like, somebody says the word Bucky, and I just get stopped in my track. So he said, Bucky is alive. Wham. (laughs) That's how Cap ends the fight. Oh, so good. And then, you know, that is America's ass. Oh, man. I don't even care that I don't even really think Steve Rogers would say that. So (laughs) 
think it's just <laughs> it's really it's it's a dumb line, but it works. Yeah, it, it works. It's it's questionable whether Steve would ever say it, but you know what? In that moment, why not? Um, I mean, I mean, you know, I I I agree. Steve Rogers would never say it. On the other hand, he just has this. He diffuses this hail hydro moment. Yeah. He just fights himself. He's time traveling. Yeah. He's doing all these crazy things. If there there if there is a moment that he's gonna say it, it's it's this one. Yeah, I I think that's fair. Yeah, he. Uh, I mean, what a great, what a freaking great moment. So I know before that, like, and I love that they set it up right. Why does Cap think that other Cap is Loki? Well, because Cap Loki turns into Cap right before, like, on my way down to coordinate search and rescue. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And that's why I, I, lo- love, I love Chris Evans as Loki as Cap. Well, it's the best. And even callbacks of like, why was Loki like having this thing like around? Why was Loki muzzled at the end of Avengers? Like, why was that a thing? <laughs> Here's why. Boom. Yes, yes, <laughs> like, this is genius, yes. by the way. It also yeah. sets up. It also sets up the fact that Captain America would would think it's Loki. Yeah. When yeah. when he walk, you know, when he see when he sees himself, yeah, exactly. with a scepter, he's like, "Oh, I got Loki," because Loki just mimicked him right there. Yeah, so... and, and they know that, and he knows that Loki got away because we have the yeah. radio call of, uh, you know, Hulk had to take the stairs, and that backfires on Tony, uh, on the twenty twenty three Tony, because uh, there he is trying to get it. He's got the tesseract because they had this great plan with Ant Man. <laughs> is that Axe body spray? Oh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> So everything seems to be working just fine. He gives himself, uh, you know, not quite a little cardiac event. Ant-Man trips that up by messing with Tony's arc reactor, and they get the case away. Great cameo from Alexander Pierce, you know, as played by Robert Redford. I, you know, one of my favorite things from any review that we've ever done is John Beardley highlighting the fact that Robert Redford has said, has said Hail Hydra in a Marvel movie and also talked about Batrock the Leaper. <laughs> it's like what? Robert Redford is talking Robert, about that drunk, but Yeah, Robert Redford has done that in a movie. Uh, so seeing him pop up again in this was just great. Um, <laughs> and then yeah, they get the case, and Loki's seeing the whole thing. Not sure how he's not sure how it's happening, but the Tesseract gets knocked loose by Hulk coming at, down the stairwell, and Loki takes off. So more on that in a second. Well, I guess I should get into that now. I know a lot of people are saying like this is going to be the setup for the Disney Plus series. I'm not convinced because I think Kevin Feige during that investor day for Disney plus back on April 11th talked about the idea of the Loki series being, you know, Loki spanning the adventures of Loki spanning human history. So that points to past tense where Loki's already dead. There's not really much to go on here for a Loki series. Remember the space stone is not going to allow him to travel between different timelines. It's just different points within the same timeline and within the same reality. So there are a couple things that would, that point to, you know, why this wouldn't really lead to as many places as people think it would lead. So first, Cap says, I'm going to go clip, all, I'm going to clip all the branches. This could have been one of the branches he clipped, by the way, he's going right. back and fixing this. So there's that part of it, uh, because it does need to be clipped. So you would think that Cap would have done that. But even if Steve somehow forgot to do it, changing the past doesn't change the future. And so timelines have a way of ultimately correcting themselves. And so what you have is you would have this kind of parallel reality that I think ultimately merges with the main timeline, which I think is very similar to what happens with Steve. So yes, in this timeline, Loki has the Tesseract, but that timeline still has its Tesseract. So it still has its Infinity Stone. So it doesn't necessarily need to be replaced. And what ultimately happens is I think the same thing, just in a different way. So maybe Loki doesn't go through all the same adventures in Dark World and Ragnarok, and maybe that changes things for Thor, but it still ultimately leads to 
Thanos finding Loki, killing him and taking the, te- the Tesseract and, and Space Stone and snapping his fingers. So maybe it changes certain things along the way, but I think the end result is still ultimately the same. So I don't think, I don't think the purpose of Loki with the Tesseract was to really force, to create some new thing for a Disney Plus show. Maybe I'm going to be wrong about that. I acknowledge it's possible. I just don't see that happening for these reasons. Um, I think it's really just more of we needed a reason for them to have to go somewhere else, and that this right. is the reason. We needed to take away the space zone. And plus, something had to go wrong. There's no way that with everything that was happening that all teams would be successful getting the stone exactly where they were supposed to get it. Something had to go wrong. This was our thing that went wrong. And well, Sean, as soon as as soon as Iron Man, as, as soon as Tony and Steve are going to be the ones who who stick around to try to to try to fix this, uh, your Armageddon scenario just flashed through my mind. I'm like, oh no, here it comes. Here comes Sean's Armageddon scenario. These two guys are going to go off and do their thing, yeah. and it's coming. Yeah. Unfortunately, at this point, we hadn't seen that there was the Armageddon scenario on uh, on Vormir, so that yes. maybe gave you a clue that maybe those guys would be safe, but. Yeah, all this New York stuff was great. We'll get to uh, New Jersey in 1970 in a bit. Um, before we move away from New York 2012, anything else that we've left out that anybody wants to cover? Well, I, I just want to say that I think that time travel gives you the, what they have established in Endgame. I don't think I agree with you, Sean. I don't think it's going to be this is the, the 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 Disney Plus show, but I will say that you're you're setting up other characters returning because of time travel. So. I just that's, that's yes kind of and no, but we'll get into that. Um, right. So let's go to Asgard 2013. So here we are with Thor: The Dark World, and you have Rocket explains the plan. It's simple enough. Jane has the ether, so all we got to do is stab her with this thing and extract it. And Thor's job is to just charm her, so that and that that's it. Um, <laughs> So Rocket is basically able to get the ether on his own, and he has to because Thor just can't move forward because he sees his mom and realizes this is the day that she dies. And that, by the way, is absolutely a part of Thor The Dark World that I think has has always worked, is the tragedy of Frigga's death in that film from everything that happens before that with her taking charge, even telling Jane, you know, do everything I say exactly as I say to do it, tell you to do it, and, you know, like her just being so in charge of that. I mean, she ultimately dies, and then we get... Uh, a beautiful funeral scene uh, that I still, I think one of the most gorgeous scenes in the MCU that I really love. And so getting a chance to see Rene Russo as Frigga again was just great. And that conversation between the two of them from Frigga recognizing that this is Thor from the future and that the future hasn't been kind to her son all the way to acknowledging that uh, you're not an idiot, but yeah, you are a failure. And that makes you just like everyone else because everybody fails at what they're supposed at who they're supposed to be. You have to succeed at being who you are. Uh, just mm-hmm. great back and forth between these two characters, and it's exactly what Thor needs in in the in that moment. I got to tell you, the, everything between Thor and his mom hit me hit me as hard as anything as anything in the movie. It was all so beautifully well done, and I love the line to her. She's like, "Boy, I was raised by witches. Yep. You're not fooling me." You know, and, and which 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 again is just a nice little it's just a nice little sentence that that tells us more about her than than we previously knew. And I really felt like this was this was the best movie for Rene Russo and Frigga that we've that we've had in the yeah. uh, in in the MCU and uh I was really I was really personally very grateful and thankful for uh for the beauty of these scenes. They really they really hit me where I live. Yeah. I was surprised to see see her come back and it was a welcome one though. And mm-hmm. I I thought it was a perfect 
example of helping Thor kind of move past his problems and and yeah, it was it was a much it was a surprise and I, I and I, like you said, John, it was a, it was a good um, good scene. Yeah. Yep. And of course, it ends with some people wait for the hammer. I cheered as soon as Thor reached his hand out because I knew exactly <laughs> what that was, um, and I felt like we were probably gonna get a past Mjolnir <laughs> if we were gonna travel in the past to get Infinity Stones, as you know had been one of the popular theories for this movie. I figured. We're going to get a Mjolnir in here, too, because um, it's just, you know, it can only be Thor for so long without Meow Meow. Uh, so <laughs> we got, and Thor is still worthy, and of course it sets up an even bigger payoff later on in the movie, which we will definitely get to. Um, yeah, the that stuff was, was great. Now, I guess we should also talk about Morag in 2014. And, uh, you know, that's where we get, uh, we start catching up with Thanos again. We're catching up with Thanos in 2014. It allows us to see a scene from 2014 that we hadn't seen before, a little battle scene with Nebula and Gamora. And then, of course, we have Thanos coming up, uh, Thanos talking to them. And quick little side note, I don't know that Kevin Feige would ever pull a George Lucas and retouch a movie, but now that 2014 Thanos does look like Infinity War Thanos, I wouldn't be mad if they went back and touched up Thanos from Guardians of the Galaxy in 2014 <laughs> uh, just to match it since it's at the exact same time period. But if they don't, fine, it's whatever. Um, but uh, so this is where Thanos comes back into the plot. And I'll skip around here. I know they cut back and forth in the film a little bit, but I like this idea of Nebula's consciousness being, you know, that that she basically, when 2023 Nebula comes back to 2014, it just automatically syncs up with her network. And so now there's two consciousness on this one network, and that's how Thanos finds out. I thought that was a really cool, inventive touch that actually makes sense within the film. So I liked that piece. Um, and I like the way that it ultimately challenges Nebula to face her former self, which plays out right. later in the movie. Right. Um, so there's a lot of great stuff here. But Thanos discovering, going all the way through the process, and discovering that he won and discovering that it was his destiny, that he fulfilled his destiny. And and as I mentioned before, he sees the whole conversation. He sees even the moment of his death, and he's satisfied by that because he's won. And now all he has to do is make sure that these unruly wretches, the Avengers, don't undo what he did. So the way they got Thanos back into this story, and also letting him see his future, I thought was was important, not just because it has to give him a motive, but it allowed him to be very similar to the Thanos we saw in Infinity War. Because if it was a Thanos who, you know, was, you know, missing nine years worth of experiences and not maybe quite being the exact same guy, you know, giving him a, the knowledge of his, give, showing him his future and showing that everything that he's planning to do right now has come to fruition and he actually did it, uh, allowing him to kind of catch up with who he became makes him very, I think it, it keeps him whole and it makes him very much the same guy, even though, you know, it's from two different points in time. It's still very much the same guy, so it's still the same arch villain that the Avengers are ultimately facing down here. And I want to throw some quick love too to Karen Gillan for she's so good as 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 both Nebulas here. But it's just it's it's heartbreaking when she's trying to radio everybody to, yes. to let them know Thanos knows, Thanos knows, Thanos knows because she knows not only does she know what Thanos is capable of, she knows what she's capable of. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And and that's really powerful. Yeah. Also, she really sells it. Also great to go back to the come and get your love beginning uh, for Peter Quill on Morag. <laughs> I love I love seeing that. And, and to show War Machine just War Machine just punched him right in the face. Yeah. I like, love that. Like, so I, so I, he's I, an I idiot. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I was like, yes, thank you. And, then, and, and I love seeing him from the perspective of him singing it out loud without the music exactly that was perfect that was amazing (laughs) okay so here's what like yes it's this amazing magical hilarious thing in guardians of the galaxy from the point of the moviegoer but inside that cave in morag this is what it sounded like I love, I love too. I love Rhodey, you know, going yeah. all Raiders of the Lost Ark. Are you crazy? This is the point where like spears yeah. come out of the walls. and. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like Peter Parker clearly isn't the only one who gets his information from movies because <laughs> yes, Rhodey's yes, all about yes. it in this <laughs> it's one. It's like, oh, crap. This is major Indiana Jones stuff getting ready to go down. Right yeah, here. but it, it is heartbreaking when Nebula can't make it back. And then, you know, because you could say, well, why didn't she immediately, once she woke up, like, why didn't she like leave and go back? Well, she had to warn uh, she really needed to. She had to. Uh, she had to warn Clint and Natasha. That's who she was trying to reach, and then she's captured. So, um, as so we get this thing, and this is what it allows Nebula to, uh, or twenty fourteen Thanos to come back into the plot, which we will see later. So let's move to New Jersey uh, in nineteen seventy. We're back at Camp Lehigh, where the idea for Captain America was born, and we're there because Loki took the Tesseract in New York. They need. They still need the Space Stone. But they need more pin particles to get back. So Tony remembers that this is when uh, his dad was in New Jersey and Hank Pym would be there at the same time. So there's going to be the te- – and not just uh, – well, I don't even know if Tony knows. Well, Tony says he knows how he knows or why he knows because I'm sure he knows, he knows that his parents lived in New Jersey while his right. mom was pregnant with him. And so he for some also somehow also knows that Hank Pym was there and the Tesseract was there. But he's right; those things are there, and so Tony has to get the uh, get the tesseract, and that's when he runs into his father. And I love this whole conversation between the two of them, especially once they get some air, because Tony got to have that conversation with his dad in Civil War, but it's a simulation via binarily <laughs> augmented retroframing or barf. It doesn't right. count. Right. Tony right. got to talk to his actual father here and hear his father's own doubts about whether or not you know he's even going to be fit for the job to handle having a kid and tony just says it plainly that you know i thought my dad was hard on me but now i just remember the good stuff uh to right. have that right. have that moment with his father and, and a chance to say yeah. goodbye and a chance to say thank you that he never got because they left and tony never told his dad anything um in that last uh interaction in on, on december 16th 1991 so for tony to have that moment I mean, it, it it again had me worried about Tony because he he's getting all these moments, um, but it was so well done, and, and John Slattery was just so great as as Howard. Yeah, love Slattery. No offense to Dominic Cooper, who was it was fantastic as 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 the younger younger Howard, but Slattery is just anybody who watched Mad Men know that 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 Roger stole every every scene in every episode he was in, and uh, I love love Slattery. Yeah, he was. It was good seeing. It was a good little moment. It was a, it was a nice bit. Also seeing Steve, see Peggy, and kind of reinforce that's what he kind of, he desires, kind of a thing. And she yeah. still loves him. You know, again, assuring the fact that, not that he needed this, but he saw the the picture of himself on her on her desk still mm-hmm. that he, the, the impact. So, that was a great moment. It was, I felt at that point that in the movie it was it were kind of you know, slip sliding around a little bit, a little bit too much at that point, but it was fine. Like I was, 
again, it wasn't a negative necessarily, but it was definitely like, okay, let's get let's get back let's get back to that uh, infinity let's get back to that gauntlet now. Yeah. But, uh, but but that's again, I understand it, it was a great moment. It was a great yeah. moment. Yeah, yeah. It, it was to me it was worth it. Also, really great cameo by James Darcy as Jarvis in this. Yes. yes. And yes. here's yes. the yes. significance yes. of it. So for those of you who are Agent Carter fans, you know, you recognize Woo. James Darcy being Jarvis. But yeah. as far as I can remember, this is the very first time that an actor who debuted in Marvel television yep. got to be in a movie playing the same character. Yep. Everybody yep. else went from movies to TV because I had uh, even people said, what about Dr. List? No. Dr. List first appeared in the mid credit scene for Captain America, the Winter Soldier in 2014, did not debut on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. until March of 2015, and then was back in Age of Ultron in 2015. So actually starting in television, making it to the movies, as far as I can remember, James Darcy is the first, which actually kind of allows the Agent Carter TV series, at least season one, but probably also season two, to be canon in the MCU. I know... Where a lot of the Marvel TV shows has been called into question, and I still think most of them aren't canon. Uh, even a lot of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Is, I don't consider canon with the rest of the MCU, but at least some of Agent Carter is. Um, and I do believe some of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is still uh, still canon, but still cool to see that cameo. I've seen a yeah. few, I've heard a few people cheer, uh, you know, when I've seen him pop up, but I don't know if they're cheering because they hear the name Jarvis or because they actually recognize James Darcy from the show. But uh, I know when I saw him, I was. We have a lot of cameos in this, but I think this was the most surprising to me, just because we've never seen this. We've never seen somebody from Marvel Television get to go jump into the movies. Granted, it's just for this one little cameo, but nobody else has ever had even this. It meant a lot to me too because I love the Agent Carter show so much. It was so great, so wonderful, and uh, and and he was he was a big part of why it was it was so. So good. Um, his his chemistry with Haley Atwell was fantastic. So yeah. this made me this made me really happy. Yeah, it was awesome. And yeah, Paul, as you said, you know, getting letting Steve see Peggy, which sets up what we're going to see with his ending uh, later on in the film. So then we after nineteen seventy, I think that was when they went to Vormir. And we one thing we didn't mention from that sequence is uh, a great performance by Jeremy Renner and his reaction when he sees the Soul Stone and remembers exact and you know it dawns on him exactly what was lost in order to get it. Uh, and then he comes back and. Everybody's happy at first until they realize one of them didn't return, and they don't know that Nebula who came back is not the same Nebula who left. So you have this whole situation here where everybody's realizing, you know, they feel like they've got a victory, and now they're seeing what it cost, and they have kind of a, and it's not really, it's not formally a funeral, but that's effectively what it is with Natasha. Right. I've heard people saying, well, right. why didn't Natasha get a funeral at the end with Tony? I think Natasha got a funeral. We just didn't see that version because we saw this other version uh, right. with the, with the family that she knew and the family that she loved. And so we saw them you know, mourning her loss. And and also Thor saying like, "Look, we we just went back in time and fixed a bunch of stuff. What are you talking about? We should be able to just get this back." And it doesn't all work that way. And especially when it comes to the Soul Stone, because the Red Skull explains it. It's an everlasting exchange. And so, you know, taking those moments to, for these characters to show how much that loss is weighing on them and even a bit of that denial by Thor to thinking they can fix uh, they can fix anything, they can undo anything. Well, not quite. And, and Natasha is 
at least at this point in time in the MCU, she's really gone. And so to see the characters being affected by that, including Bruce, who obviously had uh, a, a brief romance, but something that affected him, well, affected both of those characters in Avengers Age of Ultron, uh, you know, to see her death uh, impacting these characters. And now it's left for them to uh, to make sure that her sacrifice is actually worth a damn. I think she'll be back. I think that I think when that I I have this crazy theory that a soul for a soul. I have this crazy theory that when Cap went back to put back uh, the Soul Stone, that he you ima- can you imagine you know Cap and Red uh, Skull and the, and, and, yeah. and, and the Red Skull bargaining for Natasha's life. Yeah, yeah. I think she's and, dead. I think she's gone. Yeah. I, uh, I I I don't know. I'm um, gonna. Well, I think the same thing that whatever whatever the deal is with Gamora would also apply to Natasha. And I don't know exactly what's happening with Gamora, but we'll get into that in a bit. But yeah, I I don't know that Natasha is really and truly gone. So, but I think what they did a great job of is they don't they did a, a good enough job of making it feel like that is definitely final right now to where you don't feel like, oh, this is just something they're going to undo later. I think maybe they could, right. but I don't know right. that they absolutely will. Yeah. yeah, I just see. I, I think of the 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 Swedish film from 1957, The Seventh Seal, where Max von Sydow plays uh, a, a knight who plays chess with the devil, and I just I just see this playing out with 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 Steve and the Red Skull uh, when he takes the Soul Stone back, and just sort of this big massive bargain for Natasha's life, and just as Steve got to secretly live his life, um, I can see I can see him keeping i can see steve keeping a secret for nat of you go and do what you got to do and i'll i'll keep your secret for as long as you need me to that you're still alive you can come back on your own terms for the first time in your life it's 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 a thing i I, she's probably dead but that's that's how i'm choosing right now to believe that that there was this this amazing bargain between between steve and the red skull that might have lasted a long time and that he was not going to leave without that. Don't do it, John. Don't give us hope. No, <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Yeah, it's, I uh, this is me. It's who I am. So we've got, uh, they've got all the stones now. And we already, John, we already talked about uh, Bruce. Well, all of you guys, we already talked about Bruce and saying he was made for this. Hulk has to be the one. Thor maybe could survive the snap, but he's certainly not fit. He's not at his he's not at his best right now, so it's it's got to be Hulk, um, and it works. But clever touch with the barn door protocol because it totally makes sense for Tony to do that because they don't know what's going to happen when Hulk snaps his fingers. But it also with that and then just how loud it is with the Infinity Stones allows Nebula to carry out the plan where the Sanctuary Two. Which they only had one pin particle, so you're wondering how they all got back. I think it's because they used the pin particle to shrink down everyone at once, and then just use, and then only Nebula was out. Because when they show the Sanctuary Two, it's already in the quantum realm, so I think they were already lurking in there the whole time. But uh, I might be wrong on that, and maybe they just Thanos was like, "Oh, you have one of these. We can re- we can reverse engineer this and come up with our own," and that wouldn't surprise me either. Um, but anyway, they have. Uh, so Sanctuary 2 shoots out of Avengers Compound, but they don't hear it. They don't see it because of the barn door protocol, and which sets up a surprise later. But uh, they did a great job of giving that feeling of victory. And we saw the Sanctuary 2 come out. So in terms of you know the misdirect and just making you kind of forget the things that you just saw, just having it be so peaceful. Laura Barton is calling Clint on the phone after the snap. And 
Scott's noticing that there are trees and there are birds and everybody, everything just seems so happy. And then Bruce, as he's recovering, you see the reflection in his eye first. And here's this just ridiculous assault on Avengers compound as the sanctuary two is just firing on everything. And that sets up our, uh, our final battle, but really just, I mean, just to kick things off with that, I mean, just to show the, the devastation that Thanos is capable of, you know, we think of him very much in terms of the, you know, as the, the hand-to-hand combatant. Obviously, we saw a lot of that in Infinity War, but you can certainly see the way, you know, without ever touching, without ever setting foot on the ground, the kind of devastation that he's capable of, of unleashing because he, he completely levels Avengers Compound in a manner of seconds. Right. Yeah, there's like, that was such a surprise. I just kind of, the fact that, like, they, I thought Scott would be dead. And also... So did I. Was, I. I really thought he was a gunner there for a second. That's what yeah. happens when you can shrink down, though. Yeah, yeah, I guess. So one of the things, I, I, I don't know if it was a callback or not, if it was intentional, but I thought of the Secret Wars uh, issue where Hulk was holding the entire mountain uh, mm. from the heroes. Oh, yeah. And, and, and so like you have that here with, with Hulk. Obviously, Hulk is also reeling from the the snap that he bringing everyone back uh but he's holding it up and i'm like wait is this like the is this a callback to it probably wasn't but that's the first thing i right. thought of was yeah the secret Wars issue where he's holding up the entire mountain and everything uh because everyone's trying to you know get out and trying to figure out what they're going to do that's what made me think of that um but yeah i i that was really that was when things got really into high gear and and then that whole thing with Hawkeye being chased by those uh, Thanos monsters. Yeah, the Outriders. So, Outriders. I don't know their names. So, but yeah, that was a uh, that was it was really weird. I'm like, man, this is oh, so this is what happens. Okay, this this makes sense now because I was wondering. I'm like, what are they gonna? Who are they gonna fight? Like, what's gonna happen? Okay, okay. <laughs> now it's starting to set up. I, I started to make it started to make a everything started to make sense after that point. Yeah. Well, even Thanos, you know, dispatching Nebula to go get the Infinity Stones after, you know, she says, you know, well, she walks out to greet him after, you know, she helped them, you know, helped fool the Avengers and and helped him unleash this attack on them. For her to be able to say, you know, it just shows where this Nebula is at. Because in 2014, Nebula still has hope that she'll win her father's approval and she actually cares about getting it. The modern day Nebula right. doesn't care about that anymore. She's moved past it, but her former self still wants that, and you can't stop wanting that just because your later self tells you that that's you know, that you don't want that anymore. It doesn't change how you right. feel in the moment. Right. And so to see, you know, Thanos trusting her and and basically knows he can still manipulate this one. Can't manipulate Nebula years down the line, but can still manipulate this one. Is that she's going to go get the stones, and Thanos is just going to wait because he knows what's coming, and he just wants to take out the big three because he knows they're going to come get him. And so we get this, oh, it's just goosebumps to see all of this stuff happening. Thanos is just sitting there, and we have Cap, we have Iron Man, we have Thor. And Thor says, you know, it's a trap. And Iron Man's just like, yeah, I don't much care. And Thor says, good, just as long as we're all in agreement. (laughs) The the lightning cracks, in comes Stormbreaker and Mjolnir. All of a sudden, Thor's beard, it's still there, but now he's got a little ponytail <laughs> on his beard. <laughs> and, oh, it's just everything to see them walking towards Thanos. And great villain monologuing by Josh Brolin. Just great. And, I mean, the lines from Marcus and McFeely are so awesome. Like, you could not live with your own failure, and where did that bring you back to me? And then just, which was, a, you know, the line that made it into some of the marketing, but 
there's a lot of stuff with Thanos that's just so great. And, you know, when they start battling him, and I love the way this was structured, that we got a big three battle versus Thanos before we got the the big battle. We got this right. small right. confrontation. Uh, small is not the right word for it, but a more intimate confrontation against Thanos, and then it got bigger. But in this moment, before we start seeing everybody... I mean, Iron Man, Cap, Thor, to see the way they're all working together to try and beat Thanos, and it's just not working. And to the point where they actually got me thinking that Thor was going to go. When Thanos is, you know, he's been beating on everybody, and then he throws Thor down, and then Thor tries to call Stormbreaker. Uh, Thanos catches Stormbreaker and just starts pushing Stormbreaker into Thor's chest. You see it yeah. piercing the armor. Yeah. And uh, great shot of Thor, like Hemsworth, just the intensity in, in his face because you know he's not—he might be about to die, but he's not going to give Thanos the satisfaction of showing that he's scared. Like he's just going to be looking at Thanos with the with all the fire that he can. But then Mjolnir lifts off the ground, shoots past it, knocks into Thanos, and who catches it? Steve Rogers, <laughs> and everybody yes. erupts in every screening because why the hell wouldn't you like? Come on. It's Captain yeah. America wielding Mjolnir. Cap I is worthy. Theater. The theater yeah, went no, wild. It's so it's bananas. Uh, so I this has been something I have been pounding the table for since I can remember. Since basically the Avengers. Yeah. And I thought it was gonna happen there, to be honest. I, I always thought that they were gonna have a callback to that. And they didn't. But it never would have been as sweet as it is now. No, 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 no. It wouldn't have been. I would hundred. I, I think it was perfect the way it was handled in a sense, even though it really still bothers me that he can't lift it up in Age of Ultron because I don't like it. And but again, the payoff. I go but back think to the about payoff. But think about the internal logic of the MCU though, because there have even been times when Thor couldn't lift it. So just because you are generally worthy doesn't mean that you are always worthy so there may be times where you're not your best self and you're not worthy and i don't think cap was his best self when he knew that his best friend had murdered his other friend's parents and wasn't saying anything about it well like i said i I'm, to be honest i kind of hope in the commentary for endgame the russos address this and they and they say why he was able to, to, to carry it then and not now so which again if you're right i'll concede i have no problem and, and i still Either way, I may be fact, wrong about the reason, but I don't think there's any way to explain other than he wasn't worthy in that moment. Come up with whatever or, reason you want for why he's not worthy, but I guess there's 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 the possible interpretation that he was able to lift it and he and he knew it, but he didn't. He chose not to. He didn't need mm -hmm. to, or he didn't fall through enough either. And that's the thing too. It's 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 hard to say what. Uh, yeah. But either I, way, I, I don't know. I think the fact. I think the fact. I think you either lift it or you don't. I think the fact that he budged it to me meant that especially now in, in, in context of, of, of having seen Endgame, I think he could have all along. He just chose not to. In other words, I don't need to, I, I don't need to do this. I don't need to show off in front of everybody. I don't need to, yeah. make, I don't, I don't, I don't need, I don't need yeah, to make Thor fair. look bad. Um, I, I feel like he could have, if he chosen to. And I think that deep down there was a part of Thor that knew it. Well, that's what he said. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as soon as, as soon as, as, as Mjolnir budged, in Age of Ultron, I think Thor was like, "Holy cow, he can, he can, he can," yeah. and, and and that's that's why Thor's line here is, "I knew it." Yep. You know, not oh, it's about time, or finally, it's I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. Well, and that, that's that's really well said. And I think that 
but regardless of, of, of all those reasons, yeah, it and like everyone erupts and everyone loves it. Erupts. it. And, and I gotta say, I I literally, even though I I I I didn't know if it was gonna happen or not, but when it happened, I lost it. Like I literally gasped and then I squealed. Oh no, I was in the I was at the premiere and I didn't care where I was. I lost track and I just yelled out, Yeah <laughs> like, oh, I yeah. cheered there out were a loud. lot of yelling. But and yeah, cheers I mean everybody was yelling and cheering. It. Like I mean and that was a crowd of with a lot of people who knew what was happening because they made the damn thing. So like, it's just it's so satisfying to see it. And I'm glad they waited for yeah. Whatever the reason, I don't care. You know, I think there was might be reasons why Cap wasn't worthy in Ultron, or maybe to. I think John, your theory is also awesome. Well, either, and, and, and Sean, your theory is awesome. Either one, I mean, either I, one works I, for I me. Never, either yeah, one works yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah, what matters yeah, yeah. most is that we, for whatever reason, we did have to wait. And yeah, when agreed. we find when we finally got it, it was the sweetest it could have possibly been because yeah. we really had to earn that moment. And so. Uh, you know, I mean, the characters had to earn that moment, but the, uh, we as the audience had to earn that moment. And it never could have been. Would people have cheered it in 2012? You're damn right they would have. Would they have cheered it in 2015? Yeah, they would have. But would they have cheered as loudly as they did, as emphatically as they did in 2019? No, they would not have. It meant everything because of the way they built to it over all of these films and to have it happen there. Yep. And damn, when Cap got Mjolnir, see, catching Mjolnir, yes, that's the shot. But I'm losing my mind when he's just whipping Mjolnir, Slowing running towards it him. With her her oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the uppercut to Thanos. Oh, great shot. You know, he's slamming it on the ground, yeah. calling down lightning. Oh, the calling down the lightning. You know, it's just... just like it's it's yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, he did not just he didn't just pick it up. He, no. he uses it. He wielded and, Mjolnir. And I tell you, man, you, you can tell. I knew something was up when, you know, Thor, Thor reaches out his hand and Mjolnir doesn't, yeah. it doesn't like fly. It, it goes up. I'm like, was it just lifted? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh no, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And and it was just such a great, a great moment. So to me, this was, of course, I spend the entire movie on Avengers Death Watch. I'm just convinced that yeah. everybody's going to die at any given moment. So to me, Cap wielding Thor was another <laughs> sign of, okay, that's Uh-oh. another death warrant sign. Here we go. And, you know, when it leads into, you know, Thanos just smacking him around and destroying the shield, yeah. the shield's just breaking into pieces. I thought, man, please don't tell me that everybody's going to show up. And the last thing everybody sees right as they show up is is cap die is, yeah. is is that what we're leading to because man i was oh i was so nervous i was it, nervous for everyone at every given second just so epic mm. the way all of yeah. that happened and uh, there's also a great really inventive shot where cap throws up his shield throws the yeah. hammer at the shield so it's a bank shot that hits thanos in the head <laughs> you know the banking off the shield sends the hammer back and it gets thanos yeah. just so good yeah. And then, yeah yeah cap misses with a hammer strike thanos hits him with a choke slam a la undertaker or kane like just <laughs> nails him with a choke slam and then yes and he actually gets a really with his uh double-edged weapon like thanos ends up like slicing steve and then yeah chops the shield to bits and then more great villain monologuing by Brolin talking about, you know, in all my years, all this slaughter, all this destruction, like it was never personal, but what I'm about to do to your stubborn, annoying little planet, I'm going to enjoy it very, very much. And then we see the army. And because this is before they died in infinity war, we've got the children of the rest of the children of Thanos besides Nebula and Gamora. They're back. We have, 
again with callbacks we've got the Jatari, we've got outriders we've even got the sakaran soldiers from guardians of the galaxy in 2014 awesome. we've got yeah. everything and it's because thor and iron man are down at this moment cap stands up with half a shield and he's facing down thanos and his entire army and cap's not moving he is ready. He's you know he's not going to win if those are if that's the way the numbers stay. But Cap's not moving. Uh, just so such an incredible visual. And then what we played with for the beginning of our show, static. We hear sounds like it's Sam and he's calling. And then on your left, I mean, come on, call back to how yeah. these guys meet in Winter yes, Soldier, yes, all the way back yes, to the yes, opening yes. moments of the Russo brothers' very first Marvel film. Come on, just amazing. And then. It's uh, it's Black Panther, Okoye, and Shuri who are the first to walk through one of the sling ring portals. And then Falcon comes flying out, and we see all these other portals opening. And there's Doctor Strange with the Guardians who were snapped. And, man, does I mean, everybody's cheering already. But, man, does Spider-Man get the biggest pop every single time <laughs> when he shows up. And it's just, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. And we see everybody coming in. Here's Valkyrie with the Asgardians. Here's Wong and more of the Masters of the Mystic Arts. Everybody is coming in, and the score is just playing so beautifully. Yeah. It's so just intense and heroic, and it's full of uh, it's full of hope. But also, we're about to kick some ass. <laughs> and then yep. we get the line that we've been waiting as the score swells: "Avengers!" And then assemble i know some, some people are like well shouldn't he have yelled assemble i'm like look we got to shout for avengers and then we got assemble like just spoken clearly with everybody who was there with him it works i have no problem with how avengers I, assemble was delivered here um no, not at all it, let, let me let can i may it please t- you I, may I have to talk about this i have i have to i have to interject this because this is something talk about you know cap holding molnir for you know waiting for 2012 I've been waiting for this for a long, long, long time. Yeah. This is this is this is the battle cry that is. If you think, I think of Avengers, I always think of Cap yelling, Cap Avengers Assemble. Yeah. It it is ingrained in me of reading comics, even though I wasn't a giant Avengers fan as a kid. That's what I remember. I remember every time the Avengers would show up in a comic book. Cap would always yell that. I mean, it was like a 90% chance if it's in an Avengers comic, he's going to be shouting that at some point. Like, it's just the way it is. And it's something that we, I just, I always thought it was strange. I just didn't, didn't want to say it. But after the first movie, I thought, well, I understand because it's a little cheesy, right? And you're kind of, you're kind of playing with, you don't really know what you're playing with yet because you don't want to alienate the audience you know, the mainstream audience, but you also want to, you know, make fans happy. It's just, I can understand you, you don't want to play all your cards yet. And then with, uh, age of Ultron, when he says Avengers, and then he's about to say it, and then it cuts it. Um, you're like, okay, now you're just playing with the fans. Okay. It's, funny, <laughs> it's cute. And it, but at the same time, I thought they're never, they don't want to say it. Like it, it's just yeah. one of those things that, you know, I totally forgot that, it even existed because I never assumed it was going to happen ever again. Because I, I thought that was the closest they were going to come to it. Like, okay, we're going to be a kind of a cute little thing, whatever. That was it. When Captain America says Avengers, I went, oh god! Like, I literally, I got, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 my hands went like 
out I went outwards with my with my arms. Like I mm. was with someone who was close to me on my left that I had no idea who he was and I was irritated at him because his wife kept turn on her phone every <laughs> 30 minutes but I didn't care cuz I was watching the movie but my hand, my arms went out next to my brother and this guy next to me and I went oh my god oh my god <laughs> and they said, simple, I was like oh my god oh my god I I just started I yeah. I literally like I I I got I can't even remember I was in a euphoric state of mind at that point when he said it because I, I oh no I I, I had forgot. tears I had tears in my eyes like I was just yeah. so I was so overwhelmed by it like I got I started getting misty when he got the damn hammer yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, exactly. I was yeah. like oh no I'm, I'm losing it I'm losing it <laughs> Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then every and then just the moment of everybody coming back from the snap and I'm like, oh here it comes. <laughs> and then Avengers assemble. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's crazy. Just, it was, it, it's oh. weird because I didn't think like I totally forgot that would ever be said. And the fact that you know not to mention Molnir, Captain Holy Molnir is, is definitely something I waited for a long time. This is something that's been waiting to be said in comic book films uh, forever. I mean, this is like the pinnacle. This is like one of the last, I'd say, remaining things that like is a comic book staple that hasn't line. been done. It's the What's line. That? It's 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 the, it's line. the yeah. line from Marvel that had never been said that that needed to be said. And I can't think of another line off the top of my head that hasn't been said that you know it could mean as much as this one in that moment. It's Just, like with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. It's like clobber in time, flame on, um, you know, on the best of the areas of what I do. Um, Nuff said, uh, Wolverine saying, which we bump. did get in this movie, by the way. Nuff said yeah, was the bumper sticker yeah, on Stanley's yeah, yeah, cameo. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. It was awesome. Love that we got to and see they, a younger Stanley. I know we didn't really touch on his cameo much in the 1970s part, but yeah, that was that was an awesome okay. Stan cameo. Yeah. But yeah. Th- th- that's the thing, though. Like, and so Avengers Assemble was. This, I mean, and I'm trying to think of all the other things that that, that could be said. That this you know, no, there is there is one more, but it's kind of a minor league one. It's it's Neymar's uh, Imperious Rex, you know, and uh, you well, know whatever. he's not he's not in the MCU yet until maybe Black yeah. Panther two. So yeah, so yeah. there there is that. Um, uh, I also there all there is one minor league one also with uh, Thor saying I say the nay that is also missing in the. In Thor movies, but anyway, this is the big. This is of all the big ones, the big big ones. This is definitely the last one that had not been said, and it's up there as one of the more fa- famous Marvel comic sayings. And it, the fact that they waited, you know, ten years to say it in this context, it was beautiful, beautifully done. And I don't know if they were, if this was purposeful. And this is why, you know, I haven't listened to the, the Infinity War commentary. But I will say this: I cannot wait to get my hands on that commentary for Endgame because what I'm going to do is I'm going to listen and I'm going to watch Infinity War with commentary, which I haven't seen yet, and then I'm going to watch Endgame, and I'm just going to like just cannot wait to, to hope they reveal a lot more of behind the scenes and, and reasons why they did certain things, and maybe again explain why Avengers Assemble would waited so long. Like maybe talk a little bit of the history of it. I hope we get that in this uh, in the in the the uh, commentary track. Yeah, it's uh, God. You, I, you couldn't have asked for a better way in my mind to get this to set this up and for him to say it, and it just triggers the. Oh, what a battle! I mean, everybody running and just it's 
a battle over the ashes of Avengers Compound, and they're taking on Thanos and his entire army, and it's just, God, it's incredible. I mean, and, oh, I love the, you know, everybody's coming in, and Wong's like, or Doctor Strange's like, is this everybody? And Wong's, you wanted more? And out pops Giant Man with, you know, Rhodey and Hulk and Rocket, who had been trapped under the rubble. And Rhodey's got this brand new suit that almost looks Iron Patriot-esque. It almost looks like blue and red to me as opposed to gray and red. I don't care. It's a cool suit. Yeah. Um, right. But, man, just this battle is everything. And what makes it so good is, damn it, we earned it. You know, like, and, and they earned it. Marvel Studios <laughs> earned it to, to have it be this, you know, to to go through this entire experience with these characters over years, over so many movies, and then particularly with the experience in Infinity War and those characters who were snapped and the journey we went through on this film, they made sure that these moments, when we finally saw them in this battle, they meant as much as they possibly could. And giving everybody different moments, you know, Giant Man stomping on Cull Obsidian to kill him again, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> Giant Man punching one of those huge Leviathans from Avengers. Awesome. Uh, oh, yes. So yes. good. So uh, we get so many great action beats. Okoye, that happens later on in the battle, but the fact that she takes out uh, Corvus Glaive with one spear strike, just amazing. That was just, incredible. Just yeah, impales yeah. that dude. Um, I oh, There's so much here in this battle. I will be like going frame by frame on this Blu-ray, like ridiculous. Like I see, I catch new little pieces of this battle when you watch the movie because it's all just so fast and furious, but there's so much good stuff going in here, and they give every character their moment. We kind of skipped before this battle... Um, for this battle or some of some of what's happening at the same time as all this is, you know, Nebula, uh, when, when Clint gets away from the Outriders and he has the gauntlet, you know, he's threatened, of course, by the 2014 Nebula. And then 2023 Nebula shows up along with 2014 Gamora and they try to stop her. And Nebula saves her 2014 sister by killing her 2014 self. And for people wondering why nebula is still alive after doing that that's because changing the past doesn't change the future so nebula still uh is around despite uh despite killing the 2014 version of herself but you know we talked about that with nebula on the show when we talked about the guardians and nebula for in the end game and the idea of maybe her being the one to kill thanos and while i think it still would have totally worked for her to kill thanos i wouldn't take anything away from what happened with with iron man later but giving her this moment, I think, was also very, very powerful to kind of it's it's a touchy kind of thing because I don't want to say that, you know, 2014 Nebula is, is a product of, of, of abuse. So I don't want to say that she absolutely deserved to die. So it's not so much Nebula killing this killing something that's purely evil, but removing the part of herself that that calls back to you know removing the worst part of herself or a you know confronting the worst part of herself in that moment uh, i thought was still very powerful yes very much so beautifully said and uh so we get into this battle and oh man it's all going well it's all going okay i love the relay and they finally take a moment from civil war that i always just make fun of when clint like spins his bow around like to black panther and is like we haven't met yet. I'm Clint. And Black Panther. <laughs> I don't care. Well, this time, but now Black Panther knows his name. Clint, yeah. give it to me. And yes, there's and yes. the relay race is on I with the gauntlet. That. Oh yeah. my god! The relay so race great. is on with the gauntlet. So T'Challa just slams on the ground with you know redistributes his kinetic energy from the vibranium suit. Just blows all these monsters off of him. And then he's going through it again and again. And then he's finally going to get stopped because Ebony Maw is there. And now hands the passes the baton off to Spider Man, 
who's running through, and we get another callback. Activate instant kill. Boom! Now now Peter Parker finally has use for that function on the suit. <laughs> so we get that, and then it's just, it's all going sort of okay for a second, and then we get a confrontation between Thanos and Scarlet Witch. And it's just such a great moment. You took everything from me. I don't even know who you are. You will. Oh, my gosh. And in case you're wondering why did 2014 so Thanos knew who the Avengers were and didn't know who Scarlet Witch was, remember, Scarlet Witch wasn't an, Aven- wasn't an Avenger until 2015 Avengers Age of Ultron. 2014 right. Thanos would not know Wanda Maximoff. Um, so we get, uh, and we get Wanda whooping his ass. The same weapon that destroyed Captain America's shield Wanda actually breaks it. Not completely, but she does break a piece off of it. And so, you know, her having that and puts Thanos into a position where he gives the order to rain fire and Corvus Glaive says, sire our troops and just do it. And so now it looks like there's just this barrage firing upon this army. The Masters of the Mystic Arts are doing their best to shield everybody. Amazing moment of Rocket trying to save Groot in a way that he couldn't save him during the snap, where Rocket just throws himself on top of Groot, trying to save him from all this fire raining down from Sanctuary 2, and it stops. The fire points upward. What are they firing at? Captain Marvel. Good thing they showed us in her movie that she can go right through, you know, that she can power through an entire ship, because (laughs) because now we (laughs) we we know exactly what's happening when she just shoots through the Sanctuary 2. A great entrance for Captain Marvel. Just so awesome. And it makes sense why she wasn't in the battle right away. We knew she was off in space dealing with other stuff. So my guess is that wherever she was at the time, she realized, okay, all of a sudden half the people are back here. Whatever planet I'm on, something's probably up. Let me get back to Earth. And this is what she finds. And she ends up taking part to save the day. And Peter Parker, as polite as ever, Hi, I'm I'm Peter Parker. <laughs> love that moment. I love that I, moment. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, it's such hey, a quintessential yeah. Peter Parker hey, moment. Hey, Peter Parker, you got something for me? Uh, uh, the way she says that was just yeah, like was super adorable. Hi, oh, hi, perfect. Carson. Yeah. Hi, yeah, was, hi. yeah. That was great. That was a that was a great moment. I oh, felt you know, that was. We missed great. another one from earlier, though. Another moment that that had me crying. Uh, Tony and Tony hugs Peter. Yeah. Just. Yeah. You know, Mr. He did the yellow sparkly thing that he does. <laughs> Tony just hugs him. Peter's, oh, this is nice. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Again, a callback to when they were in the car. That's not a hug. I'm just getting the door for you. This time yeah. it's a hug, and Tony means it. And oh, just so good. Um, but yeah, Peter hands the gauntlet to Captain Marvel. I don't know how you're going to get through all that. Sees the entire army, and then Wanda drops in. Don't worry. Pan to Okoye, she's got help, and we see all these female heroes. This all, you know, I still think Tessa Thompson's right. We need to have the all female team up movie, but we got that visual right here in oh, so this good. battle, and it was extraordinary. Just an unbelievable sight. Oh, man. So good. And yeah, this is the charge where Okoye just totally takes out Corvus Glaive, no problem. Uh, Okoye's got it. And, man, Captain Marvel going for the quantum tunnel, but Thanos takes what's left of his weapon, does the ultimate javelin throw, takes out the quantum tunnel in the van. I love that, you know, the La Cucaracha horn from Luis's van makes an appearance in the... <laughs> you hear it in this all-time epic MCU battle. And, like, they... Yes, we're going to make that car horn part of the, the whole thing. Like, just unbelievable the way they did all this. Also, a great callback when, um, when it's uh, Scott and... 
Hope, who are you know realize like, oh, we have to go get the tunnel working, and they say they need ten minutes, and then Cap tells them to go do it, and then it's Hope who says we're on it, Cap, and she's the one who busted, who made fun <laughs> of Scott. I know. Yeah, I she know. made fun of Scott for calling him Cap in, <laughs> in oh. Ant Man of the Wasp. It's just what you call him. It's just who he is. He's Cap. Um, so yeah, so many great little callbacks in this. I mean, throughout the entire film, but then especially in this battle, just so so good. And yeah, Captain Marvel. Now she has to take out Thanos, and you know the, we see this battle. But you know, I love how you know. Well, we see a bunch of different things fighting, like Thor and Cap come after him, and then uh, you know because he throws Captain Marvel down. And then there's a great shot, and another one that I'm, I'm like, Paul has to love this when Cap and Thor are teaming up on Thanos, and all the lightning's going through Thor, and his eyes are glowing, and he's just screaming. I'm like, that's a Paul shot. <laughs> um, <laughs> is, you're, you're not wrong. Yep, you're I'm, like, wrong. I'm like that's a Paul shot, 100. Yep, um, yep. I was like, oh, it's so good. And then uh, you know he gets them off of him. He's about to snap his fingers. Captain Marvel flies back in and just holding him, holding his fingers so he can't snap. And her no selling the headbutt is just everything. Just mm-hmm. <laughs> just he unleashes his headbutt. And nope, doesn't move. And then he has a perfect heel move cheat, takes the Power Stone out of the gauntlet, socks it with, socks her with it, puts it back in the gauntlet. Which, by the way, was awesome. Oh, I great move. To, that, was, that was a great move. Great move. Um, and then, you know, Doctor uh, Tony and Doctor Strange had been talking earlier. Tony says, tell me this is the one way out of 14 million. If I tell you what happens, it won't happen. And then Doctor Strange doesn't say anything, but Tony looks at Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange just holds up one finger. And, okay, this is what's happening. So Tony flies into Thanos. And if you actually listen closely, I don't know if uh, I don't know if anybody's hearing this on the first time they're seeing the movie, but you can actually hear the stones being taken from the gauntlet that Thanos has on onto Tony's arm. You can actually hear the gears grinding, and it makes sense that it would because this is all Tony's tech. So if he wants to initiate some little transfer of certain pieces from one piece of armor to another, it just makes sense that it would happen, and we can visually see it when he goes off of it. But yeah, Thanos... There's the rule of three, right? Thanos, for the third time in the film, we hear him say, I am inevitable. And if you're going to give Tony one last, well, it's not technically his last line, but if you're going to give Tony one line to say before he snaps his fingers and believes that he's about to kill himself, and I am Iron Man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Chills. Chills. Just, are you kidding me? This is so perfect, the way they've structured this entire thing. Yeah. And... And we see Thanos' army fading to dust, and the last to go is Thanos. And just the look of shock and defeat on his face, like he can't believe it. Um, and he just has no choice but to accept it in his last seconds. Oh, man. So good. We talked about it before, Paul. I mean, Thanos had to go. He's too powerful in the MCU. Yeah. You, know, mm-hmm. you got to take him out. You can't have this. We're bringing it into this story. And Tony being the one to take him out, it is perfect because Tony's been the one who's been worried about Thanos more so than any of these Avengers. You know, he was worried about it since he flew through the wormhole and realized there's a lot more going on here uh, than just some guy from Asgard wanting to, you know, bring a few aliens through space. It's a lot more than that. And Tony's been the one on the lookout for the guy. He says that in the beginning of the film. And so Tony is the one who gets to deliver the final blow that takes out Thanos and his army. And then we cut to, and I, you know, three people get to have a moment with Tony before he dies. And I think it's the right three people. I mean, I know you could certainly point to Steve, but Tony's best friend is Rhodey. And to- they don't say anything, but Rhodey just kind of looks at him and gives him a smile and a nod. 
Then Peter comes in, who is, I mean, he's a son to Tony. That's how Tony responds to Peter is, is as a son, not just as a mentee, as, as a son. And, you know, he gets to say we won, and uh, but they're losing it and apologizing. And then, of course, Tony sees Pepper, and the last Whoa. words he says before the last words he says before he dies is actually "Hey Pep." That's the only one he actually speaks to of the three uh, who Tony meets up with. He says "Hey Pep," and then she tells him we're gonna be okay. And in some ways, she's meaning her and her, you know, yeah, your yeah. wife and daughter are gonna be okay. But it's also all of us. We're gonna yeah. be okay. You yeah, saved yeah. us. You can rest Ugh. now. And Tony yeah. rests. It's so unbelievably well done. Just, mm. yeah. I mean, you can't do this any better than the way they did it. You just can't. I'm they sorry. Can't. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. can't. You can't. I, I mean, Tony's death in this, it makes me sad to think that we're not going to see this guy anymore. Um, and we'll talk about the funeral in a second. But, I mean, just all the way up through this moment, I'm, I am sad that he's gone but i am just so damn proud of tony stark you know and he's not even a real guy don't care uh, you know <laughs> i've uh in this particular iteration of tony you know love this guy since 2008 and he's just been amazing and everything that came from that first iron man film has been extraordinary and i'll talk more on that before we wrap up here but Damn, I mean, I was just so proud of him. Proud of him in that moment, and he was given such a beautiful and uh, such an incredible ending to uh, to his journey in these films. Just yeah, unbelievable, sure. unbelievable. There's there's not a lot that can be said other than it was perfection. Yeah, it really was. I mean, there there isn't really anything you can really say other than it was the perfect you know culmination to this character and what he's kind of been through, and we've. I've talked about how it the MCU is such a different animal than the comics because there is a finale with these characters. These characters can't keep going because the actors are going to age. They're going to eventually die. In the 616 universe, they never die. They just keep going and keep going. Mm-hmm. They die and they come back, but they can't age. They all stay the same age. And with, with film and, and these different mediums, obviously in, in the, with t- live action – you're going to get these characters aging and you're going to have to have some kind of moving on from them, whether you reboot the whole character and with, but with, I love the route that the MCU is going because with, with, with having this, these kind of conclusions with these characters, there is a sense of, uh, there's a sense of, a sense of, of accomplishment. Sorry, my dog was freaking out. Um, and there's a sense of, of a peace you can have, like uh, there, there is an ending to these characters and it feels it's satisfying to know mm-hmm. that. Like I could sit down and I could watch all of Tony Stark's film like journey and there's a beginning and an end. And I love that, that, you know, even that Tony says that in the movie, right? That every journey has an ending, right? Yep. So part of the journey is but, the end. Yeah. Uh, every, yeah. Every journey has an end. And so I like the fact that, and the, I, there is a finale with these with these characters. It's, it's, it's actually nice. I was like, because I I come from the continuity of no one ever dies; they just come right back. And again, I think that's always a possibility. But right. but it but it was it's nice the way they handled it with with you know twenty two films, ten years of stories, and you're gonna give us this. It's it it was it felt perfect. It, there was there's no other better way to say it <laughs> other than. Other than that, it was perfect. 
I have nothing else to say other than that it was perfect. It yeah. was it was it was beautifully done, beautifully acted, and you know, God bless Robert Downey Jr. for having been not only not only a wonderful Tony Stark, a wonderful Iron Man, but a great ambassador for Absolutely. the Marvel brand, a great kind of uh, big brother and kind of guiding force for all of the other actors. I feel like. Robert Downey Jr. was always setting the standard for everyone else to to rise up to. Mm-hmm. Um, so many charity things that he that he did, and just there just there's just a lot a lot of what he the way he was again is an, an an ambassador for Marvel um, off screen really really set a high bar for um, just uh, he's been a really huge part of the goodwill that has been built uh, for these, for these films in this universe. And we're, we're never going to have anybody else who's, who's, who's like him in, in, in that regard. No, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable what he's done specifically on this and what Marvel has done up until this point. And, and yeah, the way they handled it, it was perfect in the film. And then also a perfect way to handle after the aftermath is that we get a voiceover of Tony Stark, you know, once uh, this movie, not at the very, very start. We started on the Barton family farm, but after that, you know, not long after that, we had Tony recording a message. Well, now there's another pre-recorded message, and we're seeing all these images of the hope that's been restored. We see Wakanda celebrating. We see uh, the Barton family celebrating. That we see them reunited, and we're seeing all of this stuff all over the world. And it's Tony just saying, you know, that. In the event of my untimely death, not that death is ever timely, but you know, he just he can't help but be Tony Stark. Uh, and so to get through all of that and just acknowledge that that's the hero gig. Part of the journey is the end, and accepting that you know what he's the miss the mission he's about to take on. You know it could be it could be his last, and 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 it proved to be his last. But him uh, ending with a message to his daughter, reiterating her, you know, repeating back to her what she had said to him: "I love you three thousand. Just mm. such a sweet Ugh. moment. And then back to that music from Alan Silvestri, Paul's one, What a Wonderful World callback, um, <laughs> as we get to the funeral. And I don't know that I would have sunk proof that Tony Stark has a, a heart to the bottom of the lake, but they got to sing something, so I guess that's okay. Um, I might have <laughs> kept that. Um, but any, uh, nevertheless, I mean, a great little you know piece to put out there as part of the ceremony of saying goodbye to Tony and you know, Pepper effectively lays him to rest there with her, uh, with their daughter. And then we just an unbelievable shot that had me crying for multiple reasons because it was Tony's funeral, but also because what a great reminder of just how big this universe is to pan back to Happy and Rhodey. And we see Cap and we see Thor, we see Doctor Strange. And while we go through all the different groups, all the different families of franchises that have come together, the Ant Man crew with, uh, with Hope and Scott and Hank and Janet, we see the Guardians of the Galaxy, and we see Harley Keener from Iron Man Three. Yeah, we yeah. see you know like having him there, and then here we go. We see Captain Marvel. We see Maria Hill. Even Ross is there. Secretary of State Ross is there to pay his respects to Tony. And then our the last one we see is the person who brought Tony into this bigger universe in the first place, Nick Fury. Just. What an amazing shot to go oh. back through all of those performers as they as they're all saying their goodbyes to Tony Stark. Yeah, it was really really beautifully done. I think if there was anybody that I missed in there, I and I know it's blurring lines at this point, but I would have loved to have seen Coulson in there. 
Um, but to me, one of the one of the sweetest moments and a really deserved moment was uh, Happy and Morgan talking about cheeseburgers. Yes. And yeah, I love I love that they gave that moment to John Favreau. Yes, because John Favreau really you, you he he did so much to kick off. Yes, he did. The Marvel the Marvel Cinematic Universe and and to we don't have I, it without Iron Man him. Is, yeah, Iron Man is Iron Man is is not just the character, uh, but the movie that started all of this. So it was yep. nice. It was nice to have him to have that little moment with with Morgan and get you all the cheeseburgers you want. And it was just so, you know your your dad liked cheeseburgers, and yep. it was just such a sweet, beautiful little moment. And yeah. again, the first thing Tony the, wanted when he came back from uh, Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, Sean is a Sean. I have said before, it's impossible to watch Iron Man and not just and not just need to go to Burger King right now. Um, yeah, but. Uh, no, yeah, I mean great it happened. It, it literally happened on my Iron Man rewatch as I rewatched all of the MCU <laughs> to get ready for this movie. So I tweet yeah. that I'm at Burger yeah. King, and then John's tweeting me back: "Is this happening right now?" <laughs> and yes, I'm it on was. my way. Yes, it was. I'm on my way. I'm buying um, a plane ticket right now. Yeah, it's just so such a great touch. I'm glad that she her lunch request was cheeseburgers, just perfect. And to give Favreau yeah. that nice tender yeah. moment with her um, yeah. was awesome. I'll get. I'm gonna get you all the cheeseburgers you want. Yeah, um, just yeah, bless, awesome. Bless Favreau. Bless them all. At this he, point, it's just it's just beautiful. He gave us all the MCU cheeseburgers we could have wanted. So yeah, yeah pretty much. Just yeah, yeah. unbelievable. Yes. And then and and yet the emotion is not over. <laughs> no, not yet. Well, we're still. Not, I mean, next we Good we Lord. Well, next we're catching up with Thor and Valkyrie, uh, which we talked uh, about a bit. Thor acknowledges you're already the king of Asgard. Like. I've been getting drunk playing video games. You're actually, I haven't even been playing video games. I've been getting drunk watching Korg and Meek play video games. <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty I, much. I, I can't even, you know, claim any accomplishments on Fortnite, let alone anything else. So, uh, you're the king of Asgard. You already have been. And then she says, "I'm going to make some changes around here." And says, "Good. I would expect nothing less. Like you should." And so, Thor, I love this. When we talk about the idea of, you know closing a chapter and ending well this is an ending for thor because we're we're moving past the point of who thor and he's doing this as well i'm i'm fine for the first time in a thousand years i have no path it's time for me to stop worrying about who i'm supposed to be you know just be the person i am and so i love that so much it's such a great thing for thor it's like here's a brand new jumping off point for thor to go do anything He's not tethered to earth to earth to earth, to earth and not even tethered to Asgard. He's got, you know, they've founded a new Asgard. It's in good hands. It's in the best hands with Valkyrie uh, now running the show there. And now Thor can go anywhere he wants. And he's hitching a ride with the Guardians of the Galaxy. So, and, he, and then walks onto the ship and says the Asgardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> I wasn't sure, you know, when it starts. And I guess I'm still not 100% sure. You know, he was talking about getting a ride. So I was like, well... Are they just going to drop him off somewhere, or is he going to be hanging around with the Guardians for a while? And it seems like he's going to be hanging around the Guardians for a while, yeah. uh, given the the hilarious confrontation over leadership. <laughs> That's like, you know, Thor, does, Chris Hemsworth's version of passive-aggressive is just the best. Yeah, <laughs> like, it really is. It's well, so and, good. And for the record, there is, what's funny is when he says, as Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, there's a comic. That, that's a comic book. And yeah, I, yeah, I was, yeah. it's, not, it's not a bad comic. I, I, I I read the first couple of issues and it's interesting, but it's 
not surprising that like they he says that and it's already a comic book out called as guardians of the galaxy and and what exactly does it mean that he's there i took it as he's joining the team like i i literally did because there's no gamora there uh well let's talk about gamora for a second so when thor walks onto the ship peter quill is searching for gamora and i don't know which gamora he's searching for because we don't we don't know what happened to 2014 gamora did she go back right. in the past? Right. Did she just she went back. did yeah. she just run off? What happened to her? Because remember, she doesn't technically have to go back. 2014 Gamora will always be there whether she goes back or not. So she doesn't have to go back in the same way that, Nebu- that 2014 Nebula could die and it wouldn't affect the fact that present-day Nebula was still alive. So she doesn't have to go back, so maybe that's who he's searching for. But... I mean, it may mean nothing, but the image on the screen is actually, it's not 2014 Gamora. It's, the, it's 2018 Gamora. It's, the, it's what she was wearing. It's what her hair was when she died in Infinity War. So I don't know if he's searching for, because I, I think there is something, you know, we talk about the idea of an everlasting exchange with the Soul Stone, but what about, what if the Soul Stone no longer exists or it's been reduced to atoms, as Thanos had said? So... I mean, because the the stones, now that they've all been placed back, they don't exist in this present day. So does that mean that every exchange for the soul stone, is it still upheld? Or maybe is there a way to free people from these transactions? And so will this be the search for Gamora in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? And if so, which Gamora do they find? The one who actually got thrown off the the cliff in Vormir by Thanos? Or the one that they met in, the the one that came into the future from 2014? I don't know the answer to that question yet. Or both. Oh, I don't know. Can no. you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine both? Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I don't, I, I don't want both either. Yeah. I don't want both either. I, I can see, I can see an argument for for either one. I think narratively, story wise, it would be more interesting if 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 the one they get is is twenty fourteen Gamora, who 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 hasn't lived what right what what her what what our Gamora who died, she, she hasn't lived that life and she, and she doesn't know, uh, you know, every, all of the progress between, between her and Quill, between right. everything, this is all going to be completely, yeah. completely new to her. Um, it would be interesting to, to see what the new dynamic is between, between Peter Quill and, and 2014 Gamora with, you know, Thor watching the whole thing. Like, <laughs> this is, this is this is going to be good, you know. Yeah, uh, I I could I could definitely see that. What are your guys thoughts about Thor being on uh, be, being a member of the Guardians of the I Galaxy? Mean, I'm here. It seems like an interesting way to kind of kind of save some money and kind of combine. Well, you know, uh, we don't need to make a Thor four because we can we can just throw Thor in, in Guardians of the Galaxy three. But on the other hand, I want another Taika Waititi Thor movie. And I think uh, so does I, I think, Chris Hemsworth and yeah, Taika Waititi. I think Thor four is still happening into, you know. Yeah. Right. I, I don't think I don't really have any doubts about that. Kevin Feige recently said, you know, without specifically announcing anything, when he was asked about just a, a series of things, including Taika Waititi making a Marvel Studios movie, he talked about that being among other things in the works. You know that that right. may be closer than people think, and we'll see what happens when they start announcing things. So, I think if Taika's going to come back, he's already said if he was going to come back, he wanted to do another Thor film, and now that Thor's alive and Hemsworth is up for it, yeah, that's it right there. So. I I do wonder will Thor how much will Thor be in Guardians three will it be a full on member of the team or will he just be a part time player I don't know all the answers to that right now but certainly there's room for another member of the ensemble with Gamora 
not necessarily being a full-fledged member of the team. They're going to have to spend some time without her because they're going to have to find her regardless of which one they find. Um, right. There's still that search for her, and so Thor being part of that. And I think even, you know, that clearly there's something that works between, well, Thor and a lot of this cast, but there's something between Hemsworth and Chris Pratt that is just really <laughs> working, and we've only seen seconds of it across yeah. these two movies. And so... Yep. Yeah. I could see that totally working and just being an absolute blast. So I hope Thor has uh, an important part to play in Guardians 3, but I also hope we still see him in uh, in Thor 4. I want I want both because <laughs> right. the more time we get to spend with Hemsworth as Thor, the better. Um, but because Guardians 3, I mean, it's the end of that trilogy, I still want the main Guardians team to be the core focus of it, uh, which right. is almost why I would prefer they find the the Gamora who died be as opposed to 2014 Gamora. I don't know how much I want to see 50 first dates between Chris Pratt and Zoe Saldana. I don't. I don't. So right. you know yeah, they'd no, have it's... to they'd really have to toe that line. It's like I already went through the whole process of two films of these two to finally bring these two characters together. I don't need to see a repeat of that. I feel like they've already made they've already done the comedy bit you can with it. She kicked him in the balls and then said yeah. you know him. And then Nebula, your choices were him or a tree, which was a great comedy beat in the middle of this huge epic battle. But I don't know if I need it to be more than that. So I'm almost leaning towards, you know, my preference would be they actually find a Gamora who already knows she's in love with, uh, in love with Peter Quill. But because, right. but the only question there is if you open that door and you remove the the idea of the uh, you know the soul the everlasting exchange with the Soul Stone, if you if you remove that, if you void that clause, well, then that means Natasha comes back, which either helps you or hurts you. If you don't want Natasha back, then it's not great that you that you voided that clause. But if you do want Natasha back, great, two for one special. You get Gamora and Black Widow back after because you've destroyed the Soul Stone. And we don't know what the Soul yeah. Stone does with them, by the way. We They're, don't. That we see dead bodies, uh, you know, with blood coming out of the back of their heads. We see that visual with each of we them. We do. Yeah. But we also see a light shoot up, you know, on those towers yeah. in Vormir. As if that's the soul of the person who just died, and what if it's sending him somewhere? And what and if the they... person and the person who yeah. survives just wakes up someplace else yeah. too? I mean, it's, it's there's can... there's a lot there's a yeah. lot that we're not seeing. And so, again, I just I just keep seeing the seventh seal situation where yeah. it's Cap playing chess with the Red Skull for the fate of the souls that uh, that were taken by the storm. Or you can't, or you know, Peter's search leads them to Soul World which exists in the comics now it exists inside the soul gem but maybe that's different in the MCU and now that the soul also possible. now that the soul stone is destroyed maybe you can actually find the soul world in somewhere in space and you can actually liberate people from it i don't really i don't know exactly how it works but i think those kinds of yeah. things are on the table but regardless i'm very excited about the prospect of thor with the guardians of the galaxy and just more thor in the MCU in general i'm happy that that character has yeah. survived and survived in a way where his adventures will continue which is not exactly what we will say for Steve Rogers. Uh, but, uh, I mean, they didn't kill him, so you got uh, so at least you got that, Paul. Um, so yeah. Steve goes back. He's the one who's going to go. They've rebuilt a quantum tunnel. Steve goes back, and he's taking the stones and 2013 Mjolnir with him, and he's going to place all of the stones back where they got them. He's going to clip all of the branches, as he said, and then for everybody else, they're going to see him in five seconds. And as soon as Hulk says five seconds, you're like, oh, yep. you're not going to catch him. Yep. You're not going to yeah, get him. Yeah. And, he, and the whole reason it's five seconds is because a 10-second countdown would have been boring. So <laughs> it's got to <laughs> be five seconds so we can immediately start counting down and show that Steve is not back. Uh, and Bucky sees the old man sitting on the bench and 
we go off and we go there. So we have this meeting between Steve who went back in time and lived a life and we'll get to the life he lived in a second, but man, him handing Sam the shield. Well, explain first of all, explaining that he went back and he got some of that life that Tony was always telling him to get and then saying, um, you know, saying that it was beautiful and then Sam, you know, I'm going to, I'm sad to live in a world without Captain America and about that. Steve <laughs> hands him this new shield and it is a different shield. It's, it's vibranium, but it's a different, it's got a different design on it. It's got some design work I on love the star. It, by the way. it looks great. It looks, looks great. It looks and Sam amazing. should have a different, a slightly different design on the shield. So, you know, to make it a little bit more his own. So Sam or Steve hands Sam the shield and uh, Sam feels like it's someone else's. It isn't. I'll do my best. That's why it's yours. Perfect. Perfect exchange for handing off the shield. I was surprised to see this, not because I thought they would never do, you know, the shield thing. I did always say that if they were ever going to have Cap pass on the shield, that that Bucky was going to get skipped. You know, even though Bucky got it in, in the comics, I always knew it would go straight to Sam. If anybody besides Steve was going to be Captain America in the MCU, it would be Sam. But even then, I wasn't sure they would ever do it in the MCU. And they threw me off the scent with their damn Falcon and Winter Soldier series announcement. Like, yeah, they announced I, I it on the investor. They announced it on the investor day. They give a damn logo. Um, like, I feel like it's all a fake out. I, I feel like well, they're going to well, change I, the title I, I, to, to I, I Captain the America and the Winter Soldier. I, I, yes, the, the, the title I firmly believe will end up being Captain America no. and and the wrong. Winter Soldier. Wrong again. Wrong again, guys. This is what's. Ha- this is what. This is the deal. This is the thing. All right. This is the thing. <laughs> this series is still going to be Falcon and Winter Soldier, okay? And the reason why is, first of all, this series right here, or this scene, is incredible. It's perfect. It is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And what I love about it is that Bucky knows the whole time what Steve is doing. Yep. yep. And I love that. I, I yep. didn't catch it the first time, but this time, I yeah. I, I catch some of it the first time, but the second time, I was like, oh, yeah. he knows. That's why he like gives he, Sam the nod to go be the yeah. one to talk to him one-on-one. Yeah. He told, he, I love the fact that he told Bucky, I want to give Sam the shield. And Bucky gave him his, obviously, I'm not saying he needed Bucky's blessing or Bucky gave him a blessing, but I feel like in my own headcanon, that's what, that's what, what happened. And um, it's just one of those things where I just, yeah, I thought it was perfect that when he's talking to Sam and he tells him, you know, about that and he gives him the shield and he talks about, you know, not just not just Falcon. This is the, this is the key, guys. He goes, I feel I don't like the ha- having a world and paraphrasing, of course, of not having Captain America is mm-hmm. about that. He deliberately says Captain America. And then he says yep. about that is in the shield. So what I think. And what I think is going to happen is the Falcon and Winter Soldier series is going to be literally about Falcon and Winter, and Winter Soldier. But I think Mackie is going to play Captain America in his own film in a standalone like film. But when would this Falcon and Winter Soldier series take place then? Right after right after this, because I okay. don't think. Because I don't think Falcon is going to be. You're right. I'm going to be Captain America. Right. No, after. I agree with that. That's my one. That was my one thought on on how the show could still be Falcon and Winter Soldier is because Sam clearly has some reservations, uh, despite Steve saying like you're the guy. If Sam doesn't feel like the guy, maybe he does wield the shield for a little while without taking the name. So I agree with you that that is that is a possibility. But if I had to guess right now. I lean towards retitling, retitling it Captain America and the Winter Soldier. 
I wanted to say quickly about just about Sam getting the shield. I watched. I got. I, I just got the 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 four K disc of Captain America: The Winter Soldier and Captain America: Civil War, and I watched Winter Soldier uh, yesterday for the first time in a while, and was just struck how what a great what a great character Sam is, and what mm-hmm. a great what a great actor Anthony Mackie is, and what I love so much about Sam in in The Winter Soldier is he's just this guy. He's a guy who who Cap happens to meet while he's while they're out while they're out running having their morning run and he gets swept into this this whole huge um, this whole huge massive conspiracy with superheroes and superpowered people and he just he just hangs right in there you know yeah. and I love it when they're um, right after they've all been arrested and uh, and uh, Maria Hill um, re- reveals herself yeah. as is, is being there and she's like who's this guy. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, by the time she says, who's this guy, he's already earned his place on the team Absolutely. in, in, such, a, in such a short amount of time. And then, then you see him with, you know, he gets he gets he gets the wings and the and, and the everything. And it's just like, man, this is a guy who was just, you know, doing his best, doing his best after coming home from a tough deployment where he lost a lot. He's given everything he can. He goes, he, he, he talks to his veterans group and he tries to, you know, he tries to help people. And he's just a good dude. Who suddenly, when he's swept up into this whole thing, he steps up, and he's mm-hmm. there. And when Cap goes off, he's like, "Well, hey, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go find Bucky. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be right there with you. Not that. Oh well, it's the end of the right. It's the end of the road for me. Yep. This was all. This was all too much for some random dude like me. Nope, right there. And uh, I really feel like he's 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 earned that. And I look forward to seeing um, Anthony Mackie with that ridiculous charisma. Um, being being Captain America in one way or another. Yeah. I, and I think and I think the reason why the the it, the TV series you could really milk the fact that you know you're building up to Captain America and you could sell the fact he is going to be Captain America in the next film and it's to be a big deal. I think I think that's a I think that's something that is worthy of a film. And also the fact that there at that point will have not been a Captain America film in a long long time, and um. But by by the time they actually would do that, I don't think it would, I think it would be at least another well, year and a half. Maybe two well, years. well, and it, movie's not the only option though. Maybe True. just Avengers, just Avengers movie. No, itself. Not, no, not just that. But remember, Mandalorian's getting a second season already. Yeah. Right? And so the idea for the Marvel Studios shows is they're limited series. So what if what might have ordinarily been season two of Falcon and Winter Soldier changes to Captain America and the Winter Soldier? Like you could do that. Like, like what would be you know season one is really more of. Uh, it's still called Falcon and Winter Soldier because at least when it begins and it gets started, like Sam has the shield but isn't ready to take on the mantle, and then he becomes you know, and then by the end of that you know eighth episode, six episode, whatever, like he becomes Cap, and then yeah, that that either springboards into a movie, a Captain America movie, or it. Uh, springboards into a Disney Plus series or both. I don't know. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, true. I mean, either way, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm all about a Falcon Captain America, and yeah. that's what and that's what I want to see. So absolutely. Now, getting into Steve and what this means for him and the ending, this is one that people speculated about, and I didn't love it. I, I didn't love the idea until I saw it executed this way, because I didn't like the idea of. You know, Steve intentionally says goodbye to everybody, and everybody knows that he's going back, and they're never going to see him again. I like that he's already come back around and gets to explain, you know, gets to kind of briefly explain what he did and why, and pass on the shield. So the way, the way they did this in the movie, 
I thought was better than a lot of uh, you know fan theories and speculation about this. Uh, they really did a great job with it. Uh, it's not really that uh, different to me than than the snap because I fi- a lot of people figured Infinity War could end with the snap, but the way they did it in Infinity War is what made it so great. And it's the same thing here. It's all in the execution. So for Steve to come back and be able to say what he did, you know, and, and why, and then just set up the you know, you, as he shakes Sam's hand and puts his left hand over uh, over both of their hands, you see the wedding ring, uh, and Sam yes. sees it, and you want to tell me about her? No. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, no, I don't believe I will. Like, it's just so good. Uh, and then we cut back to sometime in, looks like, 1940s, maybe 50s, but probably 40s, and it's Steve and Peggy finally having that dance, playing something slow, which is what they were going to play for their dance uh, when Steve was going into the ice in 1945. And even playing the song It's Been a Long, Long Time, which is the song that was playing in Steve's apartment when Nick Fury was there in Captain America the Winter Soldier. Uh, So even that song comes from somewhere in the MCU. Uh, To have all of that, and then there's that moment between Steve and Peggy, and they got to live a life together. It's perfect the way that they did it, because Steve has one of the saddest lines in in all of the MCU, Going back to Sam, when Sam says, what makes you happy? And Steve says, I don't know. Because the Mm -hmm. one thing that was going to make him happy wasn't available, and that was a life with Peggy. Uh, That was the love of his life. As he talked about in in the group therapy session, you know, I met the the love of my life in 1945, went in the ice. That was it. So for Steve to be able to have that, um, you know, because even if Steve died some amazing heroic death, in the battle against Thanos, that would have been incredible, and I wouldn't have had a problem with it. But I there, would, but there would have been a sad point there, in that you know there would have been a, a really sad thing that would have happened there is that Steve never really got to do what made him happy. Mm-hmm. So you know the fact yeah. that he actually got to be happy with Peggy, and remember, changing the past doesn't change the future. These are all little time loops here, so. It doesn't change the fact that there was that Steve was in the ice for 70 years and that Peggy had a husband and another relationship and all that stuff. All that stuff still happened, and now it's just looping back around. And, it, and same thing with the Infinity Stones, and now it merges with the main timeline because Steve always goes back in time, and so that's why old Steve is just taking the place of the Steve who went back in time. So that's why it always loops up at that, that exact moment, and that's why Steve is right there at that moment. And, of course, to also be because he knows where his friends are going to be so he can say goodbye. Uh, and Steve's not dead, by the way. He's just an old man and not going to be Captain exactly. America anymore, so he can still make appearances. But it was the perfect, just like they gave Tony the perfect ending, it was the perfect ending for Steve Rogers. The last shot of this film, of this era of the MCU, is Steve and Peggy having a kiss, just knowing what that's going to mean for Steve and this beautiful life that he's going to have, a beautiful life that he's earned, and a beautiful ending that this entire series that this film and this entire series of films has earned. Uh, so good. Yeah. It, it's, that was, you couldn't have ended it again, talking about having these characters and like Captain America's, you know, living his life in the end with Peggy couldn't have been again. It's perfection. Tony's life. I felt he, he couldn't have done any better than that. And I felt with Captain America, you couldn't have done it any better than that. The fact I love the idea of a mentoring Captain America that's older that that Chris that Chris Evans can just age into if you wanted yeah. to. You could keep you could go it forever. You don't have to worry about the age. I mean, to, and that's one reason why you had to kill, I think, Robert Downey Jr. off 
or you know his Tony Stark office because he's getting older and you can't really he's he's not gonna want to be that character for another like 15 years you know it's gonna be a lot harder whereas with Cap you just keep aging him under makeup and things like that and it's gonna be fine and he doesn't have to do you he he could still come back here or there and do some action scenes as old Steve potentially I don't, I don't know how much action he's gonna be in I think the implication no. is this is the ending for Steve um, I agree I agree but I'm just saying you're, there's potential there if you sure. wanted to but that's my whole point though is that you can still have him show up in these movies and be a mentor and not and it actually means something because not saying that it wouldn't with Tony but with with Cap he's already lived his life. You know yeah. what I mean? He already he already lived a life with that he he's led two lives essentially, right? He lived a life as a superhero and he lived yep. a life as a more human being. So he's got a little bit of both. So this Captain America could dish out a lot of great advice on multiple things. So yeah. there's a lot of you can do with that character. Totally. So yeah, just to sum up time travel, because I know some people have some questions on that. So it's all basically loops, and so that's what Steve is doing. At least that's the way that I'm seeing it. And it's hard to really explain on an audio podcast. I wish I had a diagram. I could draw it. <laughs> but well, yeah, well, don't, don't you, don't you wish you could point your finger and like but a, Steve's an orange pa- flaming but look, light would come out? But Steve going back to the pa- yeah, but Steve going back to the past that becomes his new future, and that's what it was. So all of that was actually a future for Steve, not a past. So he lived his life, and now he's back in this other timeline. The other one always goes back. So there's not two Steves in the present in 2023 because that Steve always goes back to 1945 or wherever. If Steve I may, went. you may. Okay, I, I apologize to keep interrupting. Um, if I may, what if this Steve went back into that timeline at that point after he lived his life and just he he had enough pin particles to Egan, you know, or whatever to go back to that timeline because he knew eventually he'd have to do that to line up to give the shield to Falcon and things like that because he ultimately had a responsibility to this timeline and he knew I can live my life out and I'll just wait until yeah. I'm ready to go back. That's yeah. why I always took it. Like, yeah. he's always going to come back, but he decided to live a life first. Yeah, no, that's what he did. Yeah, that's yeah exactly. Exa- that's yeah, exactly yeah. what he did. And he, he clipped all the branches, as he said. So, yeah. That's what Steve was doing is putting all the stones back and then he had had a life. But that life was his future, not changing his past based on the exactly. rules of this that were set up by uh, by Professor Hulk midway through the film. So that's really, you know, the quantum mechanics of the whole thing. It's all, you know, comic book movie pseudoscience. It's not real. But I think they stuck to they stuck to the rules of their universe as the way that they said that this is how time travel works. And so even with Tony making sure that. They did not undo the snap. The snap still happened. It's just everybody who disappeared got to come back at that moment in time five years later. So some people who survived the snap, they have aged five years. Everybody who came back, they did not age five years. So Peter and Ned and probably a bunch of his other classmates from far from home, they coincidentally were snapped in the way that coincidentally all six original Avengers were uh, were not snapped. So it's those kinds of things all in play here. But in the present day, there are no more Infinity Stones, but they do have a quantum tunnel. Um, we'll get into, we're going to have a follow-up show. We're talking about the implications of this yes. movie and what it means on we'll stories and future this. choices, because we've got, to, we're getting, yeah. we're getting close to four hours here. So <laughs> it's time to move into, uh, well, actually let's talk about the, the last thing because there was not a post credit scene. And, uh, I think this was probably, I don't know. I, I think this was the right move to not have the post credit scene. I, mean, I think it would have been fine. Totally the right move. There never would have yeah. been a tease for the future, but maybe I thought they could add an epilogue. Maybe. Um, I think that would have been, it would have been okay if they had done that. But the touch they put on this was perfect. First of all, love the credits 
showing everybody in the MCU and everybody who had been in the film and then ending with the original six Avengers with their signatures and everything. Uh, Perfect so good, touch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then the end, you just hear Tony making the suit. You hear the hammer pounding from the cave in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. And it's just showing you this entire adventure that you just saw that we just concluded. Here's how, Remember how it all started. Here's the mm-hmm. foundation on which it was built. And if I'm going to go a little more meta about it, remember a line that Obadiah Stane says famously in, uh, in Iron Man. Tony Stark built this in a cave with a yep. box of scraps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Marvel Cinematic Universe was built in a very yep. small office above a Beverly Hills Mercedes-Benz dealership. So not quite a cave, but not that much better. And it was with a box of not what they saw as scraps, but with what the rest of the world saw as scraps. You don't have Spider-Man. You don't have the X-Men. You've got what people were calling at the time B and C list characters or less to try and make this universe that you talked about that Kevin Feige slightly teased at 2006 at Comic-Con and then really didn't say much more about until Iron Man in 2008. Well, look what they did with it. So as I said, they never saw what they had as a box of scraps, but other people did. And I'm not saying that this is Marvel's intention with this. This is my own meta interpretation yeah. of it. And my, you know, the only meaning that, that I take from it is, yes, there is within the narrative, Tony Stark building, you know, starting this whole thing, and this was the foundation in, in story, but even the external story of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Marvel Studio and what they did and how it all started and what they were able to accomplish all of this with, it's just, it's unbelievable. I love Avengers Endgame. I don't even care. I'm not even at a point where I'm thinking about where does this rank in you know the Marvel I don't care. I don't care about rankings and whatever. We can figure all that out later. I just know that I love this movie. I just know that I never had any expectations or higher expectations or greater anticipation for a movie than I did for this one. And yet they delivered on everything I could have expected and then went and exceeded my lofty expectations. This was, in my view, the perfect conclusion to the Infinity Saga, Phase 1 through 3, whatever you want to call it, Chapters 1 through 22 of Book 1 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This was the perfect conclusion to it. I think the Russos, uh, directors Joe and Anthony Russo, Kevin Feige, Christopher Marcus, Stephen McFeely, this entire cast, I think they put together a masterpiece that is absolutely worthy to serve as the conclusion to such an unprecedented accomplishment with this kind of serialized storytelling and this narrative that has been built in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Nobody has ever done anything like this. Nobody will ever do anything like this again, unless it's Marvel Studios repeating themselves, doing it differently, but accomplishing the same thing in a different way. They might do it again, but that's it. Nobody else is going to be able to do this. This has been so special for these past 11 years and 22 movies. I think that Marvel Studios in this time period has overseen executed and just ultimately delivered for audiences what i believe just speaking for myself no one else has to agree don't mind if you disagree it's okay for me the marvel cinematic universe this 22 film stretch is the greatest cinematic saga of all time it is the greatest achievement in blockbuster and franchise filmmaking that i have ever seen and i feel privileged and honored to have lived through it as it was happening and that I don't have to catch up with it after the fact. It will still be great for those who do, but I feel so privileged to be here in this moment and to have been here 
throughout this entire stretch of these 11 years since Iron Man through Avengers Endgame. So for me, the MCU, well, you can spell, you can abbreviate Marvel Cinematic Universe as MCU, but I'm also going to start abbreviating it as G-O-A-T. It's the greatest of all time. <laughs> well, well said, well said. Yeah. At um, this point, yeah, well, sorry, Sir John. No, go ahead, Paul. Go ahead. Paul. I'll, I, at this point, Sean, I, I, it's hard for me to disagree with you until December. I'll, I'll make up my mind as of December, but we'll see. As of right now, it's, it's going to be hard. The Rise of Skywalker is going to have a lot to live up to compared to Endgame. The show, this is like the template of how to, to perfect a film and make a satisfying conclusion. I didn't know if they'd be able to do it and make everything seem so satisfying, and they did. So at this point, it's hard to argue with it. Well, first of all, thank you to Sean and Paul for letting me tag along for this. Thank you to all of Sean and Paul's listeners for letting me tag along to this. This has been uh, this has been a blast to talk about these movies with these guys, and and to have seen the the joy that that the three of us and so many people have shared from these films over over the last few years. I mean, you know, our I'll never forget laughing how hard we laughed uh, <laughs> during and after that Thor that Thor podcast uh, that yep. we that we that, that we did. And um, yeah. the box office, you, you look at the what's happening and how much money this movie is is making. That's because so many people have been touched by these films the way the way that we have. And I do think everything Sean said is I I can't say it better. I mean, what a perfect culmination for for these for these characters for the fans for the achievement upon achievement upon achievement that these films have made and continue to make i mean you know captain marvel captain marvel bumped back up to number 2 at the box office mm-hmm. this 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 week she made a billion dollars black panther made a billion dollars um this certainly won't be the last marvel film that makes a billion dollars uh they're not all going to make 2 billion yeah <laughs> but but the fact that this one is is well on the on the path to do that means that a lot of people have been touched by what these films have accomplished and that people love these movies and people clearly love this one. And, you know, just congratulations to everybody involved and to Joe and Anthony Russo. You're welcome because I called it a long time ago <laughs> on Modern Myth Media. These are the guys. These are yeah. the guys. You're welcome. <laughs> yep, that's true. John Beardley did call it. He believed in the Russos before anybody except Kevin Feige. Um, yeah, just amazing. So yeah, and uh, I would just wrap up by saying a, a thank. You know, there was a great thank you Avengers trend that happened on social media over the weekend, and I would also just say thank you, fellow Avengers fans, fellow MCU fans who listen to us on this podcast. You know, I've mentioned that you know what makes this journey so great is yes, the movies. We we have to have those, but this experience would not be the same without the joy that we have in sharing our enthusiasm and our love for these movies and these stories. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to share them with friends whom I love and, and people, and I've been able to do this with John and Paul and people who aren't on this recording, whether it's Brad or Chris Clow or Justin Bolger. And we've been able to share this with so many people, but so many more thanks to you, uh, you know, yeah. the audience that we have on these podcasts and so many of you, who reach out to us on social media or you're with us on the discord for the Patreon or you're part of the Q and a shows on the Patreon. This journey could never have been as special as it was without being able to share it with each and every one of you. So thank you for the part each and every one of you have played 
in maximizing the enjoyment that we had in this experience with this 11-year journey and 22 movies for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. You always know where you can keep up with us, patreon.com slash marvelstudiosnews, marvelstudiosnews.com, Facebook and Instagram at marvelstudiosnews, and on Twitter at marvelnewscast. John, where can they keep up with you besides our podcast at Fandalorians? Yes, uh, Sean and I have this uh, super fun Star Wars podcast called Fandalorians on uh, Twitter at Fandalorians. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at John Beerly, J O H N B I E R L Y. Also at JohnBeerly.com on Swamp Things Pod uh, on Twitter with uh, my friend, uh, all of our friend Robert Reinecke, retracing the steps of Alan Moore's saga of the Swamp Thing run from the 1980s. Um, and uh, yeah, so please, please check us out and uh, please continue to support. Paul and Sean, because I'm telling you guys and you and everybody who listens to them knows this moving forward, whatever happens next, you will not find better context, better knowledge, better heart, better anything than these two guys reporting on what comes next. Aww. Well, that that means a lot to me, John. Thank yeah. you. Thank it's you. just it's it's just not going to happen. Well, I didn't I was, say I was, it. I, was, I, I, I didn't listen, say it. I, I just agreed with it when John did. So I, yeah, what he <laughs> said. Right, yeah, I was right about the Russos. I'm right about this. Paul, where awesome. can they find you? You can find me after this almost four hour podcast on Twitter at Herman Twenty Two with two N's. I will now start talking about uh, after this episode air uh, is officially published i will talk about endgame more publicly on twitter engage questions obviously sean and i will be discussing a lot more about so much more to talk about there's so much more we barely scratched the service since almost four hours good lord yeah apologies for slacking this week with a four hour or or not quite four hour show Uh, really sorry we didn't make it all the way to an even four Uh, but you can find me on twitter and instagram at mr sean gerber sean spelled s-e-a-n so for john and paul i'm sean We love you 3,000.